Tommy Hen. Welcome. I am E.G. Marshall. Welcome to the world of your own terrifying imagination. Since the beginning of time, people have argued about the existence of ghosts. They've been called variously wraiths, specters, phantoms, apparitions, shadows or shades. But everyone agrees that if there are such things as ghosts, they are the souls of dead persons haunting living persons. And that's what our story is about. Ghosts. No one, Mr. Garth, whether professional ghost hunters or ordinary people, have ever been able to spend an entire night in that house. Well, how many have tried, Mr. Flanders? Well, I know of at least a dozen. And that's within the past two years. Well, did you get any reports from the professionals? Most sketchy ones. But they all say the same thing. That whatever or whoever it is that haunts that house... The manifestations are the most powerful and evil in their experience. They all mention nameless horrors. Our mystery drama, A Ghostly Game of Death, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Murray Burnett and stars William Prince. It is sponsored in part by Anheuser-Busch Incorporated. Brewers of Budweiser, and by the Kellogg Company, makers of Kellogg's Special K cereal. I'll be back shortly with Act One. Nameless horrors. A nice phrase. But as soon as you put a name and identity to horrors, somehow they prove bearable. In the last century, people have shown that they can and do bear up under mass genocide and atomic bombings. But the horror that is nameless, that is the most fearful of all. And our spine tingler will try to put a name to one kind of horror. You are not real. There are no such things as ghosts. I just imagine these things. But I see you. Until the tragedy. Mm -hmm. You have the details? 
Well, Captain Hatch was supposedly a hellraiser in his youth, but also a great seafaring man. He was in whaling, and if the rumors are true, slave trading. At any rate, he amassed a fortune. He fell in love with this Endicott girl who was the town beauty, married her, settled down, and built this house. It's a tragedy. Well, the story goes, as nearly as we can piece it together, that the captain returned from one of his voyages earlier than expected and found his bride entertaining a lover. And he killed them both. Horribly. And ever since, the house has been haunted and unlivable. We're building a condominium. This house is a key location, right in the middle of the property we own. We can't even get records to tear it down. No one will go near the place. Well, you keep telling me that no one has lived in the house. What about this girl who just died? Now? Oh, that was a stupid idea of my partner's. Her name was Roberta Ginley, a television reporter. She wanted to make a name for herself, and my partner sold me on the idea that if she spent a night in the house and then went on television and told people about it, our problems would be solved. And now we're in a worse mess than before. That's why we came to you. Well, there you are, gentlemen. The haunted house. Well, is it always this windy, Mr. Flanders? No, Mr. Kelly. Only when the wind blows from the east off the ocean. Well, for a haunted house, it looks substantial enough. Well, shall we go up to the house, Mr. Flanders? Um, why don't you two go? I'll wait for you here. You'll be quite safe, Mr. Flanders. It's broad daylight. Jim Kelly here has been with me in more haunted places and dealt with more ghosts than any man, except myself. <clears throat> and don't forget Byron. Byron is my dog, Mr. Flanders. And like me, he doesn't believe in ghosts. Huh? Do you, Byron? <coughs> oh, uh, I'm not scared, gentlemen. It's just that I've seen the house so many times, I've... <laughs> well, I don't want to influence you. Who's just Let's go, Byron. <coughs> you will uh, bring all our kitchen? Well, it's back at the motel. We won't need it until tonight. Huh. Wow. They certainly built solid houses in the old days. Look at this door. Robert, what? Take it easy, Byron. Boy, everything's okay. You got the keys right here? Mm-hmm. All right, in we go. In we go. Come on now, Byron. Come on. We're on our way to meet the ghost. Tim, keep Byron quiet. Sit, Byron. Come on, sit. I don't think we should bother the downstairs. Let's go up and see where we're going to speak tonight. All right, I'm with you. Come along, Byron. Oh, this looks like the master's bedroom. I'll sleep here. All right, I'll sleep in this little alcove here. Right, right off your room. Byron, what is the matter with you? I wouldn't try to take him into that alcove, Tim. He can stay in this room with me tonight. All right, all right. Hey, there's a door here leading outside to what you call the widow's walk. Want to come out and look around? I'll be right with you. Just checking the fireplace. You're going to need logs. Okay. Where's the door? Ah, it's right here. Hmm. It hasn't been open in a long time. No. Ah, what a view. Look at that ocean. Anyone waiting out here to see her husband's ship come in might be blown away. And what Flanders tells the captain's wife wasn't too anxious for her husband to return. <laughs> That's right. She was too busy entertaining her lover. Oh, look, 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 look. 
Better than that. What happened? I really don't know, Alex. I swear. I thought someone pushed me. Mr. Garth, I'm not at all sure I'm doing the right thing, and I'll understand if you don't want to go through with this. I'll pay all your expenses to date. You're uh, concerned about my safety? Yes. A real estate deal is important, but not that important. Mr. Flanders, you have nothing on your conscience. Tim and I will spend the night in the house, and by tomorrow, the ghost should be at rest. And you think there is a ghost? Well, of course. I just don't believe in its malevolence. Have you taken care of the wooden logs to the fireplaces? The men wouldn't go into the house, but uh, you'll find plenty of firewood outside the door. Fine. Then I'll be on my way. <laughs> never seen Byron act like this. Hmm. Something to think about. Well, I've been with you on about 50 of these haunted house deals. You think there's something different about this one? Well, I don't know, but I'm going to find out. Well, I've heard that sort of moan before. According to you, Alex, it's a ghost in pain. It is. <laughs> Sounds like the evening's entertainment is about to start. Tim? Yes, Alex. We've worked together for a long time, and we get along so well because I respect your disbelief in the supernatural. Yeah, which has come in handy when I uncovered a few tape recorders and other little safe devices. Right, right. But for your own sake, Tim, there's something about this house that seems different. Now, please, be careful. Huh? You're trying to scare me? Oh, I don't think that's possible. <laughs> right, right. Now, how about some wood for my fire? Whoever you are, if you're trying to scare us, it's not going to work. You know, in all the years we've been working together, Alex, I've yet to see a ghost. But you've heard them. Oh, so you tell me. You talk with them. I just hear noises, and sometimes they're man-made. Mm-hmm, and sometimes not. Uh, would you strike a match, please? Ah, that's better. <laughs> Get some of the chill off the room. The fireplaces always seem to make a room more cheerful. The electricity must have been installed around, oh, I guess the turn of the century. Huh? <laughs> well, I've seen brighter lights, but at least we have light. And candles. Oh, did I share mine with you? No, I have a supply back in my room. Oh, all right. Ah, here we go again. Spirit wrapping. Oh, now I've made it angry. Listen to me. Whoever you are, my name is Alex Garth. I would like to help you, but I can't unless... Huh. Doesn't want to talk to you, evidently, Alex. We'll see. Although you're my friend in the lie, you are often a disturbing influence. Now, I won't deny that I'm an unbeliever. So I'll turn in now that the fire's going. And you can go back to your side of the room and commune with the spirits. And with each other, Tim. We'll check with each other, as we always do. Oh, quiet, Byron. It's all right, boy. It's all right. Oh, trust me, Byron. Ah, 
is laughing. Oh, no, you expect me to sleep with all that racket going on? Has Byron's on bananas? Till I'm trying to quiet him. Easy, boy, easy. It's all over. Tim, is there any way we can get Byron out of here? He's beginning to frown as a mouse. He's covered with perspiration. Well, I don't want to let him out now. He'll just get lost. He'll get over it when he sees nothing's happening. I... Hey. What? My lights just went out. How are yours? Going. Going. Gone. Easy, boy. Easy. I know you're in trouble. Please. Let me help you. If you'll show yourself, I could help you. I've helped others. Believe me. Is your name Lucy? Lucy Endicott? If you are Lucy, would you rap twice? Can you? frightening a dumb animal. You're not frightening me. I'm sure you don't want to terrify a beast. He's never done you any harm. Byron, come here. Come out of that corner. Come to me. Good God, good God. Come on, come on. Alex, the fire's going out in here. So we go to the candles. You find me a match, haven't you? Yeah, I'm fine, but I'm really worried about Byron. Oh, somebody's playing games. I tried to find the fuse box if I could, but... Hey... What is it, Jim? Well, whoever's at the controls is pretty good. A nice cold gust of wind just blew out the match I was using to light the candle. Well, I've got a couple of candles lit. You want one? Oh, no, thanks. I'm not scared of the dark. Ah, that's pounding. That's a new one, isn't it, Alex? It's new to me. It isn't spirit rapping. Sounds like someone wants in. Mm. Want to go down and open the door? Oh, oh, no chance. Hey, Alex, your side of the room... Rocking like a boat? I'm steady as a rock. Was that Byron? Yes. What happened? I'm not sure. He's... He's dead, Tim. What? His neck seems to have been broken. Tim, did you hear me? I said Byron is dead. Tim, are you all right? Tim, Tim, what is it? Run. Run. Each man has his own nightmare. Something from which he will run. Driven by the secret whips of his own fears. But I suspect that Alex Garth could not tell you what it was that Tim Kelly ran from that night in the house that faced the sea. We'll be back shortly with Act Two. Alex Garth, authority on the supernatural, has undertaken to spend a night in a house so demon-ridden that workmen have even refused to tear it down. Deserted by his friend and ally, Tim Kelly, 
who fled in terror from unknown fears, Garth knew that he had to face the rest of the night alone as the heavy outer door boomed closed behind Tim Kelly. Will you show yourself now? I promise not to run away like my friend. You'll never find peace unless you let me help you. There can be no rest for you except through me. Do you think you're being punished for some sin you committed when you were alive? That isn't you. Is it, Lucy? Please, let me help you. I will not let you in and I will not leave this house. Locking the room doesn't frighten me. I'm not afraid. Mr. Coggins! We've split it tough, Gallus. Keep it steady or I'll kill you! That letter I received in Trinidad tells me that my Lucy, my wife, is just carrying on under the roof of the house that I built for her with young John Roger. So, Mr. Coggins, we're going to drive for home. Nightmares. We've all experienced them. But I venture to say that none of us has experienced the horrible sights, shapes, and sounds that Alex Garth saw and heard in that dark room of the haunted house for the next hour. And when he still held hard to his sanity and what remained of his courage, the apparitions changed in character. Garth no longer knew what was real and what was fantasy. He later told me that he may even have fallen asleep. Hard as that may be to believe. Alex? Alex Garth? Lucy? I am Lucy. Am I not there, Alex Garth? Yes. Even beautiful? Very beautiful. Would you not like to touch me, Alex? Even if I wanted to, I could not. You think I am cold and, and repulsive. That is what you think. John, tell Alex how nice I am to touch. You are very nice to the touch, Lucy. Was John your lover? You do nothing but ask questions, Alex Garth. What should I do, Lucy? Make me feel once more the touch of a man. A man you love. And... Lucy, you're in torment. I can only give you peace. Torment? Why should I be unhappy? I live here in my house and... and... <sighs> of course, we were naughty, John and I. We tried to frighten you. But that was only because I don't like strangers in my home. Apologize to Alex, John. This is a childish game you're playing, Lucy. But I adore games. I love games. Come dance a minuet with me, Alex. Isn't the music lovely, Alex? I don't dance the minuet, Lucy. John, you dance with me. 
This was how John and I first met. Doesn't he dance beautifully, Alice? Very beautifully. Remember, John? Remember how you looked at me that night? Yes. And that old witch Hannah saw it and wrote the letter to your husband. Oh, nothing, John. It was much later. Look at me that way again, John. You're no fun. No fun anymore at all, John. Alex, you come and dance with me. No, thank you. You are afraid, Alex. Yes, I am afraid. John, you heard. He is afraid. I said I was afraid, Lucy, but not terrified. Fiddlesticks. You play with words, Alex God. And you want me to play ghostly games with death, don't you, Lucy? to drive me from my home. Are you happy in your home, Lucy? I will not leave. You shall fail. Others have tried. Would you like to see what happened to those others? I have a mirror you can look into in my room, just down the hall. Look in that mirror if you dare. I think I've been given a fairly good idea already. Leave this house, Alex. For your own sake, leave. Tomorrow morning, Lucy. Tomorrow will be too late. Sit down, Alex. The room will stop spinning. There. That's better, isn't it? I'm still busy. I warned you. Now. Alex Garth. Now. Look at me. Good. Lord! You do not find him beautiful now, Alex Garth. Not now, with the blood flowing from the wounds inflicted on me by me when he murdered me. Not murdered. Executed. You would not like to kiss me now, Alex Garth. Stay where you are. You need not worry about my blood staining in your clothes. It will not even show. Stay away. Stay away! I warned you, Alex Scott. You think no one would wish to embrace me now with the cuts and wounds and blood disfiguring me. Is that what you thought? I am not listening. Someone will wish to kiss me. Someone who loves me. I will kiss you, Lucy. I will embrace you. And I will embrace you, John, my love. Even with the blood flowing from your poor I can't look. I can't. It will do you no good to put your hands over your eyes, Alex. You will still see the bloodied lovers kiss. No, I won't witness this horror. My thoughts are mine. And they're real. You're phantoms and you don't exist. For many we don't. But you know that we do. We are here. And we are real. And the only way you can banish us from your mind's eye is to run. Run, as your wise friend did. Run, and you'll see us no more. No. No, Lucy. I'm not leaving this house. This is the 
bearing me to the burial ground, Alex. If you open your eyes, you can see into the coffin. The undertaker did a fine job. I looked almost as pretty as I did before I died. I was wearing the dress you see me in, Alex, and the only mourner following who wasn't afraid of my husband's wrath, the only person who didn't believe I was a wanton. Do you believe that? Yes. You do? Yes. Everyone feared Captain Hatch. And you, Lucy, most of all, you still fear him. No. Oh, why won't you go? Like you, Lucy, I am bound. How bound? By my knowledge, by my pride, by knowing if I leave now... I failed. You have stayed longer than anyone. Not long enough. You mustn't stay. What you have seen is... It will be worse and dangerous for you. Even more dangerous. And you're afraid for me? Yes. Why? You really don't know. Of course not. But you've seen, John. Have you not noticed that you are very alike? Well, I... Really hadn't looked that closely. Would you? No, no, I believe you. Then you must see how dangerous it is for you now. Then help me. I cannot. If you would trust me and tell me what the control is, I could help. You're very wise, Alex, but this is something beyond your wisdom. Try me. It's impossible. I am held here by forces stronger than yours. How do you know what my powers are? I told you, you are not the first who has been here. But you are the bravest. And your courage will destroy you. I'm not quite functioning yet. What do you see? What's in that house? Demons. I thought you didn't believe in ghosts. No. But I believe in evil. And, Mr. Flanders, in that house, you can actually feel the presence of evil. It's all around you. And it's dangerous. Now, listen, Kelly. God knew what he was getting into. It's up to him to handle it. I tell you, his life is at stake. Well, if you're convinced of that, then it's up to you to do something about it. Not to run away. You speak to me of powers, Alex Garth, yet you are afraid to test them. What kind of test do you propose? The mirror. The mirror in my room. Let's go. Well, come on. I'm warning you, Alex Garth. Oh, wait a second. Your death machine will not help you. Death machine? Oh, you mean the revolver. Call it what you like. It spits fire and noise and has been used stupidly by stupid people against us. Surely you know better, Alex Garth. No, it gives me something to hold on to. Come on. 
You could try to hold on to me. This, this is your room? You fear to go in? Well, I'm wondering what it is about this room that... This is the room Tim ran out of, isn't it? The mirror is over here. Now, look in the mirror, Alex Garth. Look well. See, Alex Garth? You're sure? 
sure? I'm sure. Then we have to leave. You must come away with me, Lucy. Where will we go? West. To a new place. For a fresh start. Somewhere where Ephraim can't find us. There is no such place. Of course there is. Lucy. You know what will happen if Ephraim discovers that... Ephraim won't be home for at least a week. He was in Trinidad the last I heard... Lucy! Lucy, please! Come on! Come on down! What do we do? Hide! I need Where? Anywhere! Quick! There! In my wardrobe! Behind my gown! Lucy! Coming, Ephraim! Just getting my robe! Don't be wasting your time, Lucy. It's been four months since I've seen you last. All right, Lucy. Where is he? Who? John Rogers, your lover. Have you gone mad, Ephraim? Aye, maybe. Mad with jealousy. Stop lying and tell me where he is. You're hurting me. Aye, and I'll be hurting you a lot more. Unless you tell me where he is. Who put those... Terrible ideas into your head. The widow Davies, that's who. And, and you believe that old gossip? Tell me she lies. Tell me. Here. Lie. I lie there and snivel whilst I rust out your fancy man for wherever he's cowering. There's no one here, Ephraim. God is my witness. Well, for your sake, I hope you're right. But the widow told me she saw him sneaking into the house tonight. He lied. He lied. Maybe. And now, how about your wardrobe? Ever! I am with child. Get up on your feet. Think I'll have my wife carrying another man's child? No. Oh, you'll be killing your own child. Liar. Cheat. Oh, stop. 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 He's here. The man who got you with child. Then come here and stop me. Come on. No. You know I can't do that. Can't? You mean you won't? You know as well as I do. I've never had anything to do with your wife. Just as you know very well who I am. What I'm trying to do here. Then do it. I'll match my blade against your pistol any time. Captain. No, John. No. So, you came out at last, did you? Now, tell me how you like the taste of steel. Here, have another drink, Garth. You look as if you need it. Flanders, there isn't enough liquor in the world to warm me. Not after what I saw at your house. Then it is haunted. By ghosts beyond anything in my experience. Can you help me? I hope so, but I'm not sure. I managed to stay the night, and I barely managed to survive. There's one room in the house that seems to be the focal point of all the manifestations. That's the room I believe was occupied by Captain Hatch's young wife, Lucy. That's the room from which Tim ran last night. And that's the room in which I saw things no man should ever have to see. And you propose 
to hire some workmen? Oh, that's impossible. I told you what happened when I, I had work. I can understand why no workmen from around this area will go near the place. I intend to import a couple of men I've used before. Well, you could try it, but what would you want them to do? To dig into and around that room and see if we can find something that will account for the hauntings. We, well, you and I, will be with them. Uh, correction. I hired you, Garth. You'll be with them. And report back to me. Hello? Flanders, this is Olive Garth. I'm calling you from a diner just down the road from the house. With good news? With news. My workman walked out. Well, that's that. If you want that house cleansed, all I ask is you meet me there in half an hour. Well, why do you need me? Well, for two reasons. One, I don't know what may have to be done to the house, which is your property. And two, I don't think one man can do all the necessary digging that may have to be done. Try not to think about this house or the stories about it. Just, just hand me that hammer. What do you want with a hammer? I want to test these walls, the floors. And if there's a secret passage or some nonsense like that? Well, I don't know what there is, but there must be something. You'll have to take my word for it that what goes on in this house isn't an ordinary lost or restless spirit seeking solace. It's something that's Planned and controlled. How? That's what I hope to find out. Ah! Here. You found something? I think so. Listen. That sounds hollow. Yes. And the further down you go towards the floor, the hollower it sounds. I mean, that crowbar. Uh... Well, maybe we should let things be. Not if you want to rid the house of the ghosts. Or what will we find? Lord knows. <coughs> Here goes. And a... Wait. Can't you handle us with that? <laughs> you scared? Well, I think I'd feel better if I stepped outside. <laughs> be over in a minute. <coughs> I, I don't think I'm going to be able to stand this. Well, just think of something else. You get a thought, and you hold on to it. Well, I can, I can only think of the sea and the storm and the ship, God, and a woman. Flanders, uh, well, hold on to me. Hang on. And look. Look, there's nothing down there but a room. Look. Look for yourself. God, why, sh why should I be so terrified? Why do I want to run? There are steps. No, you want me to go down? Come on, it's only an empty room. I'm not so sure it can... Come on! Steady now. What's that? It's a table. There's something on it. I know. Let's see. It's just a plain saucer. Yeah, the saucer's plain. But look what's in it. What is that stuff? Well, I'm not 
sure, but it looks to me like something like mercury. I bet there's mercury in it. We'll have to have it analyzed. What's that on top of it? A needle. Look at its spin. I see. But don't you see anything else? No. Well, look under the saucer. Looks like a slip of paper. It does indeed. Let's have a look at it, if I can get it out without disturbing the... There we are. There's running on it. What does it say? As moves this needle, so moves my will. Accursed be this house and all who dwell therein. See to it that they find neither rest nor tranquility, but be doomed to eternal agony and torment beyond the ken of man and woman. To which I affix my seal and signature, Ephraim Hatch, master of the schooner Lucy. Do you mean to tell me that this piece of paper, that saucer of liquid and a needle... Look out! The saucer! Be careful! Quick, quick, the ladder! Hurry, hurry, Flanders! (laughs) The smoke! I can't breathe! The ladder! Quickly! I'm right behind you! You wouldn't have been down there in the first place if I hadn't insisted. I owed it to you to get you out of there. God. Yes? I want to explain about my upsetting the saucer. I wouldn't say this to anyone except you, but... I swear that something pushed my hand. Do you believe that? Yes. Flanders, I believe it. And now your house is cleansed. The fire will see to that. For those of you who are skeptical about the existence of such things as ghosts, I have a suggestion. Find a house reputed to be haunted and spend the night there. And then let me know about it. I'll be back shortly. Alex Garth is still an avid investigator of the supernatural. However, he has a curious reluctance to tell people about what he saw during the night he spent in that house on the New England coast. And he never admits that many times in the dead of night, he sees again the face of Lucy, her lover, and the terrible sword of Captain Ephraim Hatch. And he awakens with his mouth open in a soundless scream. Our cast included William Prince, Ralph Bell, Joan Tyson, William Redfield, and Gil Mack. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. And now, a preview of our next tale. Are you saying the legend is true that Millie has offended the beast goddess and is being punished? I don't know what I'm saying. But look at her. She's flushed, breathing rapidly. She could burst through that sedative any minute. Oh, my heavens. 
I'm so hungry. Try to rest, darling. I'm going to speak with a hospital in Rio. I'll describe her symptoms. They'll arrange together. Oh, my wrist. Oh, oh, my wrist. Oh, oh. It's burning. Oh. Look at her wrist. Look at her wrist. Something's on it. It's a design. It's the shape of that bracelet. Kevin, it's your imagination. Here's it, look. Do you see that symbol? It's on every ornament worn by the goddess. The design decorates her dress. It's just a raw, ugly scar. But it's her sign. The sign of the beast goddess. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams. WTAX Radio. The CBS Radio Mystery Theater presents... Marshall. Welcome to the terrifying world of your own imagination. I would like to offer a few observations on the vagaries of the animal called man. Take the popular saying, seeing is believing. What idiot first said that? And how many idiots have repeated it since? Do you believe in love? Tell me the color of it. Do you believe in truth, goodness, mercy? What shapes do they come in? No, my friends. Seeing is not believing. Only believing is believing. And we'll prove it to you in the story that follows. The longer we're away from this earth, Alice, the less we rely on our senses. The senses, in a manner of speaking, start to fade little by little. They tell me this is quite normal. Actually, they tell me I'm a bit ahead of the game to be able to enjoy as much as I do. Charles, when you say they, they tell you this and they tell you that, you mean... I mean them, of course. All those. The ones up there? It isn't up there, Alice. And it isn't down there either. Well, where is it? It's simply there. Meaning, not here. I thought you knew that. Are there a lot of... them? Of course there are a lot of them. What would you expect? Our mystery drama, The Ghost at the Gate was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Elspeth Eric and stars Beatrice Strait. It is sponsored in part by Anheuser-Busch Incorporated, Brewers of Budweiser. I'll be back shortly 
with Act One. With how much ease believe we what we wish. An English playwright named Dryden wrote that in the year 1679. Brilliant man, Mr. Dryden. But wait. Listen to this. Men freely believe that which they desire. Someone else seems to have had the same idea. And he wasn't a 17th century English playwright. He was a Roman emperor named Julius Caesar. Proving once again that no man in any age has a monopoly on wisdom. Now, let's get on with our story. Come in, Dorothea. Your chocolate, Mrs. Emery. Oh, good. Uh, shall I light the fire in the fireplace? Yes, please. I think it's chilly enough for... Oh, Dorothea. Ma'am? You forgot the other cup again. I did. I told you to always bring two cups. Oh, it seems so silly. I'll decide what's silly. When it's just you to drink it. I've explained that to you, Dorothea, more than once. I like to drink two cups of chocolate before retiring. And I don't like that icky sediment in the bottom of the cup. Uh, I'll try, Mrs. Emery. Um, now, if that's all... Or, or do you want me to go downstairs and fetch up another cup? Oh, no, no. Go to bed. Oh. Good night, Mrs. Emery. Good night, Dorothea. All right now, darling. Chocolate's all poured, fire's lighted. Charles, everything's ready. Now, come on, darling, or the chocolate will get cold. Don't want any chocolate. Oh, Charles, you love chocolate. You always love chocolate. Tastes like mud. But it's very good chocolate. You know what good chocolate Dorothea makes. Now, come on, Charles. Don't make me wait. You want me? Want you? Oh, Charles, how can you ever ask such a thing? Why, I go through the whole day thinking of you. All afternoon at the community chest, I think about you. My darling, it's... It's torture for me listening to those other women whose husbands are... are with them in their conventional way. I want to scream at them, but I have my Charles, you silly females. Every night he comes to my bedroom and he's tall and handsome and brilliant and romantic and adorable and manly and, and we talk together and he... All right, Alice. That's enough. There you are. Oh, Charles. Missed me? Oh, darling, the days are so terrible. I can't think of anything but this moment when we're together. But you know that, my dear. I tell you every single night. I need to hear it, Alice. We who have more or less left this world can't come back unless we are wanted by someone who is still here. Wanted a lot. Otherwise, we can't make the trip, as it were. We can't even purchase a ticket, so to speak, unless we have a destination that is vibrant with love and need and desire. But I love you and I need you. I desire you. You should know that, Charles. Well, it doesn't hurt to hear it. Here's your chocolate. Try it. I don't want it. Oh, Charles. The longer we're away from this earth, Alice, the less we rely on our senses. The senses, in a manner of speaking, start to, to fade. Mashed potatoes begin to taste like cold cream. 
Coffee tastes like iodine, and this chocolate tastes like mud. They tell me this is quite normal. Charles, when you say they, they tell you this, and they tell you that, you mean... I mean them, of course. All those. The ones up there? It isn't up there, Alice. And it isn't down there, either. Well, where is it? It's simply there. Meaning not here. Heaven, I thought you knew that. Are there a lot of... of them? Of course there are a lot of them. It's all so vast, so endless, and so damnably peaceful. I know what it is to be lonely, Charles. This big house... I couldn't bear to move out of it after you weren't here all the time because I couldn't leave the place where you and I had spent so many happy years together. Why don't you ask someone to move in with you? Move in? Why, I, I never thought. Such a large house. You could have separate quarters. You wouldn't be forever bumping into each other. But who would want to move in? Who would I want to move in? Oh, some old good friend. Well, like who, Charles? Oh, someone like Connie, maybe. Connie Lawrence. Connie Lawrence? Well, I've certainly known her long enough. We were roommates at school. What, do you think she'd want to? She'll jump at the chance, would be my guess. She still lives in that tiny one-room apartment. I, I know she's saving for her retirement. And with the pay school teachers get in this town. Charles? I'll call her tomorrow. She gets home from school at three. Come in, Dorothy. Your breakfast, Mrs. Emery. Thank you. Um, you don't want two cups in the morning, do you? Oh, no. Mm. No. Coffee doesn't leave that icky stuff the way chocolate does. Actually, I think I won't have chocolate at night anymore, Dorothea. I feel like trying something else. But two cups, just the same. Don't forget. Yes, ma'am. Do don't go just yet, Dorothy. I want to talk to you about something. Sit down, won't you? Oh, yes, ma'am. Dorothea, do you find the work too hard in this big house? No, ma'am. Well, we used to have a houseman and an upstairs maid and a cook. Oh, I have no complaints, Mrs. Emery, if you don't. Oh, I don't. This is the only job I've ever had. I've worked here for 22 years. I was so fond of both you and, and Mr. Emery right from the start, and I still am of you. And, well, goodness knows I practically worship this house. It's so beautiful. I love taking care of it, and I love living in it. Do you still have that little room on the third floor in the back? Oh, I love that little room, Mrs. Emery. I can look out and see the garden. I was thinking, why couldn't we give you all the other rooms as well? The rooms the other servants used to have. All of them? Well, why couldn't we knock out the partition between your room and what used to be the cook's room? I'd have... I'd have two windows. And make one of the other rooms into a really big dressing room. Oh. And maybe put in some kind of a kitchen for you with a hot plate in the refrigerator. Oh, Mrs. Emery, I never thought I... I never imagined in my wildest dreams. No, no. <laughs> it's all settled. Oh. I'm going to stay right here in bed all morning and make plans. I don't know 
thank you, Mrs. Emery. <laughs> Don't try. It's my pleasure. I just hope I deserve all of oh. Before I forget, Dorothea. Forget? Last night, while I was drinking your lovely chocolate, an idea came to me. You and I are, are rattling around in this big house. Oh, we certainly are. And I was wondering, well, how would it be if we invited Miss Lawrence to stay with us? Miss Constance Lawrence? Do you remember her? Isn't she the one who teaches school? Used to come to dinner once in a while. And after she'd help Mr. Emery with the double crossing? <laughs> That's Connie. Oh. I thought we could open up the two big rooms on this floor in the back. In that way, she and I would have separate quarters and not be, you know, bumping into each other all the time. Of course, I, I imagine she'd expect to take care of her own room. Oh, I wouldn't mind. Let's do more rooms. You wouldn't mind cooking for her? Oh, what's one more person to cook for? Nothing. Oh. Well, then, it's all settled. My goodness. The house will be kind of lively again. Almost like before. Not quite, of course, but... Well, you know what I mean. I know what you mean, Dorothea. <laughs> it will be uh, more lively. Will you? Then I'll scratch your head for you. Oh, dear. You're just going to have to wait. I'm sorry, Goldie. Hello? Connie, this is Alice Emery. Alice, how are you? Long time no see. <laughs> well, I don't get out a great deal. Maybe we can have dinner some evening. Would you like to come here? Well, I, I thought you might like to come here. Well, if you'd rather... Heaven knows your dinners are better than mine. Connie, I want you to come here for good. I mean to live. To live? To live with you? Why not? We've known each other practically all our lives. And I've got this huge house. I've got Dorothea to look after us. You could have your own quarters overlooking the garden. We live quite independently since I'm in the front. And you're in school till three. And by the time you get home, I'll be at the community chest. We'll just meet for dinner. Maybe have a little nip together first. Oh, Connie, say you will. Oh, Alice, I don't know. I, I've lived here for so long. That tiny little place. High time you got out of it. But I'm used to it. And then there's Goldie. You know, my canary. Bring Goldie with you. We'll find a nice sunny window. Alice, it's all very tempting, but... I don't know. Think about having two big rooms and vegetables out of the garden and being waited on. And Connie, think of the money you'll say. Well, yes, but all the same. You've just got to say yes, Connie. Take the afternoon to think about it and call me back. I will, Alice. I'll call you soon. Fine. Bye. Bye, Alice. Oh, dear. It all sounds so... Luxurious. Two rooms and fresh vegetables. And someone to cook for me. But I can't leave this little place. I can't give up my afternoons. Why, I couldn't live without my afternoons. I, I know this place is small and dark and 
furniture is dingy and the bathroom is old-fashioned. But we've never minded, have we, dearest? Have we? It's a very small place, Connie. But if I move into Alice's house, I might lose you forever. You might never come to visit me again, and all my lovely afternoons would be really over. You're not to worry, Connie. You mean we can go on as we always have? Only we'll have more room. Well, if you say so. Trust me, Connie. Oh, I do trust you, Charlie. Haven't I always trusted you? All these years. His flesh may be weak, but the spirit of Charles, or Charlie, is very, very willing. Also, very inventive and very persuasive. Ah, well, there's nothing like the love of a good woman. Unless it's the love of two good women. We'll come back in a bit for Act Two. Now we come back to our story. We seem to have uncovered a triangle here. Connie, Alice, and Charles. Or Charlie, as Connie calls him. And the apex of the triangle is naturally, if you will pardon my chauvinism, the man. Listen now to the second act of The Ghost at the Gate. What a lovely dinner that was, Alice. <laughs> was it, Connie? It was the wine that made everything taste so good. Whatever gave you the idea of bringing home a bottle of wine? Alice! It's the first anniversary of me moving in here. Don't you realize? I've been here a month. Well, for heaven's sake. Why, it seems like a week. Or it seems like you've always lived here. I don't know which. It has worked out, hasn't it? Has it ever worked out? I was so afraid it wouldn't. You know what? It's meeting just for dinner that's done it. Leading separate lives except for dinner. Connie, let's have wine every night. This wine. What kind is it? I can't quite make out what the label says. Oh, it's in French. Oh, so never mind. It's got a picture of a house on it. If it's French, it's a chateau. I didn't know that. You're very clever, Alice. <laughs> Save the label, and I'll order a case of it. Must be really nice to have money. I've always found it to be nice. I guess money is about the nicest thing in the world. Money isn't. Love is. Oh, yes. First comes love. Friends come second. Then money. How about friends who have money? <laughs> oh, Connie, you're very witty tonight. So are you, Alice. Witty and profound. <laughs> Seriously, though, Connie. You have been happy here, haven't you? Oh, Alice. My beautiful room. The marvelous food. Having Dorothy to make my bed and clean up is heavenly. <laughs> You're stuck with me. Oh, I am so glad, Connie. You can't imagine how glad. Is there any more of that wine? More than half a bottle. Oh, good. Let's... Mrs. Emery. What? Oh, Dorothea. What is it? It's after 9 o'clock, Mrs. Emery. You don't say. I was wondering, should I bring your clear consomme upstairs to you? What clear consomme? 
Well, Mr. Demi, we talked about it last night. Remember when you decided to give up the chocolate, and then we tried apple juice and prune juice and lemonade, and last night you said clear consomme because it has a nice aroma? Well, I did say that, didn't I? Uh-huh. What time did you say it was? Quarter past nine. <gasps> My goodness. What's the matter, Alice? Past time. Past my bedtime. You want the consomme? Oh, to heck with the consomme. I'll take the wine. You don't mind, do you, Connie? Why no, Alice? Oh, let me have your glass, too, all right? Sure, Alice. I've got my glass, Connie. Forgive me for eating and running. Alice, it's your house. <laughs> I simply didn't realize the time. A quarter past nine. Alice. She'd better not drink any more of that wine. She's not used to it. Neither am I. Only tonight we were celebrating my being here a month. Mm. Why did you want two glasses, Dorothea? Oh, she always wants two. Two cups, two bowls, two glasses. One of her little ways. But tonight she took my glass. Do you suppose she wants me to join her? I wouldn't know, Miss Lawrence. Maybe. Maybe she's always expected me to join her after dinner. Only she didn't want to suggest it. When I moved in here, we agreed that we'd lead absolutely independent lives, not get in each other's way. We've been very careful about that, going to our separate rooms after dinner. <laughs> Maybe all this time she was hoping I'd stop by her room on my way to my room, and I never noticed Dorothea. That must be it. I wouldn't really know. I never guessed. Oh, how self-centered. How insensitive. I'll never forgive myself. I'm going up there right now and apologize. Can I clear the table now? Do whatever you like. She's got to forgive me. That's all there is to it. Dear sweet, generous Alice, she'll understand. No, I didn't mean to hurt her feelings. Alice, <laughs> may I come in? Come on, darling, have some wine. Alice? Connie and I had it for dinner. We just loved it. Try it, Charles. Charles? Not at all bad. Nice bouquet. Charlie! Charlie! Where did you come from, Connie? You never told me. How could you, Charlie? Charlie? Just give me a moment and I'll explain everything. But I need a moment to think. Then I'll explain. <laughs> what did you think of Charlie's explanation? I've heard it all before. How he needs lots of love to make the trip from there to here. He always needed a lot of love, even when he was just here. Well, he got a lot. Did he really spend all those afternoons with you? I mean, before he left here and went there? Five afternoons a week. Alice, do you hate me? I should. I know, but do you? I guess I do when it comes right down to it. I'll move out. I'll move back to my one room. But I don't want you to move out. Oh, we were having such a good time. Remember how we were laughing and carrying on at dinner? I haven't laughed like that in years and years. Could have been the wine. There's half a bottle left. Should we? Let's. You don't think we'll turn into a couple of alcoholics, do you? Not on half a bottle of wine. Like what wine? <laughs> well, here's to... To what? Here's to Charles. Charlie. I feel as if I've just buried him. Said goodbye forever. Did he really come to see you five afternoons a week, Connie? 
at three o'clock. You see, my school and his bank let out at the same time. It was practically inevitable. Charlie was a no-good man. He still is. Only now he's a... A, a, a no-good ghost. Oh, Alice. <laughs> There's enough wine left for a glass apiece. Fill her up. Hold out your glass. All that stuff about needing to be loved and wanted or he couldn't make the trip. Remember what we were saying at dinner, Connie, about love being the most important thing? I've always believed that. And friends being the second most important thing? Especially friends like you, Alice. And like you, Connie. I feel closer to you right now than I've ever felt to anybody. My mother, my father, my canary. We've been through a lot, Connie. Just in the last half hour. And yet we're still friends. Isn't that amazing? Truly remarkable. It must mean something. Something very profound. Like what? Like, well, like there are times in a person's life when love isn't the most important thing. Friends are. A friend. Yes. Stupid ghost. Silly, pompous ghost. You believe in ghosts? Certainly not. Neither do I. Never have. Except Charlie, of course. Why should Charlie be an exception? He is for you too, Alice. You know he is. Tell me something. Why do you believe in him? Because... Why? I want to. That's why I believe in him too. Is that wrong? Not wrong, but you've got to stop, and I've got to stop. We can't have him visiting you in the back of the house from three to six, and then coming to see me in the front of the house from nine to twelve. Now that we know, it wouldn't be nice. We couldn't be friends anymore. Oh, Alice. But if we don't believe in him, if we don't, or don't desire him, then he'll have to go back there and stay there. He won't be able to come here anymore. He can't make the trip. Connie, can you do it? Stop wanting him? Yes, of course I can. Why, well, I'm having a wonderful time. I don't need him. Neither do I. We'll be better off without him. We'll be free, Connie. Liberated women. Let's drink to that. Right you are. Bottoms up. Ah, what courage lies in the bottom of a glass? Courage for the shy, the lonely, the frightened, the frustrated. And for the two elderly ladies determined to forget a ghost. We'll return shortly with Act Three. Alice and Connie are bravely resolved to forget the man both had loved so long. But what of him? Poor, lonely, unloved ghost. Doomed to live on forever in the there. Banished forever from the here. What of him? Connie. Connie. me, Connie. That's my sweet Goldie. That's my lovely bird. 
But you're not. I am so. I don't believe in you anymore. You do too. And I don't love you or want you. So there. Connie, you are being very cruel. I expect I am. If you don't believe me, why are you talking to me? Don't try to confuse things, Charlie. Answer my question. Why are you talking to me if you don't believe in me? Goldie, tell that ghost to go away. How did it go today, Connie? Oh, he was around. I could hear him. What did he want? The usual. Be loved, be wanted. I told him no more of that. You had a conversation with him? Not much of a one. You haven't stopped believing. Have you stopped, Alice? I think so. You haven't. If you'd stopped, you wouldn't say, I think so. You'd know. Oh, Connie, how can I know? Mrs. Emery? What is it, Dorothea? Do you want Cleo Consumay in your room tonight or what? Nothing. Not anything? Not a thing. Oh, well, all right. Um, I had it all ready, but... Uh... That ought to show him, don't you think, Connie? Blessed thing, Charles. Ah, you spoke. I didn't mean to. But you did. How beautiful to hear your voice. Uh, don't tell me that old malarkey, Charles. Malarkey? I never thought I'd hear my wife use a word like that. I'm not your wife. I'm your widow. And I'm using a lot of words I never used before. Alice, say you love me still. I can't make the trip unless you love me. I loved you for 35 years. Alice, I'm facing eternity. What's 35 years? Maybe not much there where you are, but it's a long time here. Now I'm going to turn off the light and go to sleep. I was talking to him before I could stop myself. It was the same with me. But he couldn't complete the trip because I wouldn't say I loved him. Same here. And I really don't think I do love him, Connie. I think I just got into the habit. Me too. What does he want to hang around for? Can't imagine. Must be so beautiful there where he is. Why should he want to come here? He says it's very peaceful there. Sounds heavenly. Not much like here. Alice. That's why he keeps coming back. He can't stand the peacefulness. He isn't having any fun. Bet you're right. No worries, no troubles, no arguments, no problems. <laughs> he can't stand it. That's the way he was when he was here. That's why he took up with me. Why else would he want to have a clandestine affair in the afternoon with a middle-aged school teacher when he had a wonderful wife like you? He was bored. He wanted a little excitement. He still wants it. Funny. I always thought people changed when they left this terrible world. I guess they don't. I hope I change. I'd hate to go on the same way for 
for eternity. Being petty and jealous and suspicious. Oh, no. Well, how can it be so peaceful there if everyone's the same as they were here? Maybe. Maybe the others don't stay the same. Maybe they accept all that eternal peace and enjoy it. In the meantime, Connie, while we're still here, we have a problem that must be dealt with. Let's face it, neither of us has stopped believing in Charles completely. Alice, I don't know if I'll ever be able to stop completely. Maybe there'll always be some little corner of my mind that goes on believing that Charlie is here. It's the same with me. And as long as we both have that last little shred of belief, he will be here. Wandering around the house making bleating noises. But we won't answer it. We've got to be strong. Use firm measures. But what? Like... Like rejecting him utterly. How do we do that? I have two rooms in the front of the house. Two big rooms with a big bath between. Would you consider taking one of them? Why, I... That would be... What I call rejecting him utterly. He'd never try to visit one of us if the other one was there. Could I bring Goldie? Of course you can bring Goldie. I'll get a canary, too, of the opposite sex. You'll hear some real singing then, all right. <laughs> Let's skip to this. Let's go upstairs now and look at the room, and you can decide what furniture you want to keep and which you want to get rid of. So terribly exciting. Oh, Alice, I don't want to be dead for a long time. <laughs> The desk between the windows and the chair here. We take out the love seat. And that'll leave room for the bed. What do you think, Connie? I think it's perfect. Now, what color do you want the walls painted? Uh, blue. Blue? Really? <laughs> I'd have thought with your dark hair you'd have wanted pink or yellow. Blue is such a nice background for Goldie. I'll tell you a secret, Alice. My hair is dyed this color. Alice. Alice. Listen to him. He sounds miserable. I expect he is. You really dye your hair, Connie? Do it myself. Want me to? I'll show you how. I wonder why I ever let myself go gray. You look lovely. Sort of a pale ash blonde. Pale ash blonde. I like the sound of that. Connie. Connie. Where are you, my darling? Poor old thing. Don't you give in. Oh, I won't. I won't. Be strong. Oh, I will. I swear. Connie. Now, you said blue for the walls. Now, what shade of blue? Aquamarine, turquoise, robin's egg? Turquoise. Good. And we'll put white crisscross curtains at the windows. With turquoise chinacks. Right. And we'll get a turquoise and white spread for the bed. Beautiful. Could I possibly have a white rug? A white shag rug. Why not? Alice. Connie. Somebody. Do you mean to sit there and tell me you didn't even take one peek at your new room? I wanted to wait till you got home from community chairs. Well, right after dinner, we'll look at it together. What if the color is wrong? The painter showed me a sample. Pure turquoise. <laughs> we'll eat fast. I can't wait to see it. Dorothy had the bed moved in. Oh, Connie. I hope we'll get along as well as we've been getting along. 
after you move in. We will. We will. And Charlie will go back there and settle down. He'll be much better off. He'll thank us. If I know Charles, he won't. <laughs> well, if you don't know him, I don't know who does. Unless it's you. You know, you're right there. <laughs> Tony, I have a thought. What if I went to the community chest in the morning instead of the afternoon? That way, when you get through school, we could do things like... like go to the movies. Oh, Atlas, for fun! And you know what else? Weekends, we could take a train into the city and see a play. Or a concert. Or go to a museum. Oh, Alice! All those things I've been wanting to do, only I didn't want to do them alone. And you know what else? You mean there's more? Well... You have that two months off in the summer. We could go to Europe. Europe? I'll pay, of course. I don't argue. I'm your rich friend, so I'll pay. Alice, say it again. We're doing the right thing by Charlie, aren't we? Charles must stop being a ghost and settle down. And be happy. He will be happy, won't he? Charles will be happy there in whatever way they are happy there. Just as we will be happy here. I dare say the ways are different, but to each his own. Isn't that the expression? Oh, Alice, you do have a way of making everything sound simple. It is simple. If you stare the facts in the face and don't waver. I hope we're not being selfish. We're being realistic, that's all. Sometimes realistic and selfish look like the same thing, but they're not. Finished your coffee? Uh-huh. <laughs> then guess what we're going to do? Go look at my new room. Yes, only wait a minute. Dorothea, I simply can't wait to see it. Yes, Mrs. Emery. You know that case of French wine I ordered? Did it come? The one with the picture of the chateau on the label. It came last week. Well, will you uncork a bottle and bring it upstairs to my suite? To our suite? Oh, Alice. And two glasses? Yes, Mrs. Emery. Connie, you and I are going to drink to a brand new life. Three new lives. Yours, mine, and his. Come along. Come in, Dorothea. Oh, good. The wine's arrived. Just set it down here, Dorothea. Yes, ma'am. Dorothea, Miss Lawrence and I have decided to go to Europe for two months this summer. Oh, so you'll have a good long vacation instead of your usual two weeks. Full salary, of course. You're free to go where you like, or, or you can stay here. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Emery. Uh, I don't know where I'd go exactly. Well, suit yourself. Pour the wine, Connie. Will uh, that be all for this evening? That'll be all. Uh, then I'll say good night to you both. Good night. Sleep well, Dorothea. Thank you. months. I'll be gone two whole months. What will I do with myself? Dorothea? Where would I go? Dorothea? What would I do if I stayed here in an empty house? Dorothea, can't you hear me? I'd be all by myself. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. If there were just somebody... There he is. 
There he is. If you'd only listen. Somebody like... Like him. There is me, Dorothea. Oh, Dorothea, hear me. But he's gone. Believe in me. Never to return. Love me. Want me. And I loved him so. Dorothea, listen. And I still do. Oh, I love him still. Dorothea, look at me. Why, Mr. Avery. I thought you'd never notice. Have you... Have you been here long? Not too long. I'm so surprised. I thought I'd never see you again. Ever. Well, now you do. It's like a, a miracle had been performed. A lot of good hard work is more like it. I've never forgotten you. Really? I... Well, I know it was just that one weekend when Mrs. Emery went to her 25th college reunion, but I've never forgotten. That, that was quite some time ago. I was younger then, of course. You haven't changed, Dorothea. Not an iota. Oh? Still fresh, plump, and, and adorable. Oh, you mean that? I've never met anything so much in my life. Or since. Dorothea, could you love me? Oh, but I, I do love you, Mr. Emery. You do? I've never loved anyone else. Not since that weekend. You came up to my room on the third floor, don't you remember? That tiny little room. Yes, I do remember. Oh, <laughs> um, you're going to be around for a while? For a long while, Dorothea. Practically indefinitely. Will you be here this summer? This summer and this fall and all next winter and next year. For as long as you want me, Dorothea. Oh. Come on. Let's go up to the third floor. Mr. Emery, could I ask you something first? Anything, Dorothea. Anything. Uh, do you mind if I call you Chuck? Of course I don't mind. <laughs> then come on, Chuck. Follow me. I'm right behind you, darling. Right behind you. <laughs> Charles continues his mad pursuit of life after death. And I, for one, wish him the best of luck. And the best of luck to Connie and Alice, with their new hairdos and their new pants suits. Good luck to them all. Good luck to all of us. It's what we need the most. I'll be back shortly. you enjoyed our little ghost story. It wasn't meant to be taken too seriously. His life isn't meant to be taken too seriously. Or, for that matter, death. 
Don't you agree? Our cast included Beatrice Strait, Paula Truman, Joan Loring, and John Barragrave. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. And now, a preview of our next tale. Now, Prometheus, O firebringer, give our friend a sign. A sign, O firebringer, a sign. The ledger's on fire. (coughs) Drop it, Johnson, drop it. Uh, Fear not, fear not. We are all safe. None of us has transgressed. I now call upon Prometheus for another sign. A sign directly for me. Watch now, Casey. Watch. You see, Casey? The man's a sheet of flame. He should be burned alive. But he'll emerge unharmed when the flames die down. It's a miracle, Casey. It's impressive. But I don't believe in miracles. Radio Mystery Theater was sponsored in part by the Kellogg Company, makers of Kellogg's Special K cereal. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time. Pleasant dreams. KIXI CBS Mystery Theater was brought to you in part by your friendly Tradewell store. G. Marshall. Welcome to our world of mystery and the macabre. Sit back and lend us your fears. Have you ever seen a ghost? It is an experience of such horror as to turn your blood to ice. Oh, I know, I know, there are those who scoff, but they have never met a ghost. Our mystery drama, The Ghost Driver, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by George Lothar and stars Augusta Dabney and Mason Adams. It is sponsored in part by Anheuser-Busch Incorporated, Brewers of Budweiser, and by the Kellogg Company, makers of Kellogg's Special K cereal. I'll be back shortly with Act One. Wake, bake, in the morning, Kellogg, Kellogg, and that wholesome taste to get you up and grinning. This is Jerry Crawford for Kellogg's Special K. We've been having some fun in our television and radio commercials by using a ball and chain to symbolize the slight overweight problem common to so many of us. We point out that being a few pounds overweight is just a little more difficult for you. Climbing stairs, just walking around, even sitting down can feel, well, like you're wearing a ball and chain. In case you missed the message, it's this. If you really want to get rid of that extra weight, you really have to work at it by exercising and with sensible meals like the Special K Breakfast. A one-ounce bowl of Special K, America's favorite high-protein cereal, four ounces of skim milk, tomato juice, and coffee, less than 240 calories, nutritious, and by the way, delicious. So why not begin each day with a Special K breakfast and then keep up the good work? 
Special K can't help you lose weight all by itself, but it really is a good start. No matter what you say before, that's what suburban savings for suburban. Suburban savings offers you an easy way to borrow without touching a penny in your regular savings passbook account. Just let Suburban loan you the money. It's called Suburban Savings Passbook Loan. You can borrow up to 90% of the total amount you have on deposit at reasonable rates, and you can pay off your loan at your convenience. When your loan is repaid, you still have all of your savings intact, plus interest. So if you need money, why not take a loan from Suburban without touching your savings? Suburban Savings Passbook Loan. In New Jersey, at Bayonne, Edgewater, Elmwood Park, Emerson, Hackettstown, Morris Plains, Nutley, Paramus, and Sparta. Do ghosts exist? Mel Stout doesn't think so. But his wife, Liz, feels differently. If it had been up to Liz, they'd never have bought Gormley Lodge on top of Manitou Mountain in Colorado. Why? Because according to a local legend, the former owners, the Putnams, had been sent crashing to their death by a ghost driver who came at them head on. Now, in the living room of the lodge... Liz, I've had it up to here with that brother of yours. Oh, now, I mean, he promised to help finish painting this living room before the Duncans arrived tonight, and where is he? I'll tell you where he is. He is out on the slope skiing, enjoying himself as usual. Well, do you just be reasonable now? If we didn't have Rory, where would we get a ski instructor, I'd like to know? We certainly can't afford to hire one any more than we could afford to have this place painted. Oh, I'm sorry. It's just that I've, I've got so darn much on my mind... Liz, I, I just hope that I haven't made the mistake of my life and yours. We'll make a go of the lodge. We're off to a pretty good start. The Duncans arrive tonight, and they're booked for a full week. And the Todds and the Morgans arrive next week. Yeah, and after that? Well, darling, our newspaper ads ought to get us more customers. Just ask yourself, darling, what would you rather be doing now? Painting the living room of your own ski lodge with paying guests arriving tonight? Or slaving away at your old accounting job in Aspen? Well, at least that brought a check in every week. Oh, Mel, you've wanted to be your own boss for years. And so we bought this old mansion on top of Manitou Mountain to start our own ski lodge. The old Gormley Mansion. And we're going to keep at it until we make a success of it. (laughs) Liz, you're marvelous. Oh, there's somebody at the front door. I'll get it. Oh. Oh, Mrs. Gormley. I'm coming to pay you a visit, Miss Stout. My first formal visit. Well, that's very good of you, Mrs. Gormley. Uh, well, won't you come in? All right, Jason. You heard the lady. Wheel me in. Yes, Mother. You know my son, Jason? You've met? Yes. Yes, briefly. Mel? The Gormleys have come to pay a visit. I see you, Mrs. Gormley. Jason, I hope you don't mind if I finish this painting. Oh, go right ahead. I'd give you a hand, old as I am, but my arthritis keeps me in this wheelchair. Jason, why don't you... No, thanks. I couldn't think of asking a fine arts painter to do... Fine arts? You hear that, Jason? Mr. Stout complimented you. Called the mountain scenes you paint fine arts. Well, they are. 
Why, I saw some of them in the ski shop in town. They're very good. Do you sell many? A few. Oh, just enough to cover the cost of the paint and canvas. Oh, yes, and a quart of whiskey now and then. Mother, please. Well, now, they, if they don't hear it from me, Jason, they'll hear it from others. Well, a drink now and then. Now and then. Tell the Stouts how you play Russian roulette with that old revolver of your father's when you're drunk. Stop it, Mother, stop well, it. perhaps you'd like some coffee, Mrs. Gormley, or, or tea. It won't take a minute. No, 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 thank you. We won't be here that long. Now, I've come to do for you what I did for the Putnams. Them that bought my house out from under me three years ago. Out from under you? Mrs. Gormley, are you saying that, that we have done that? Forced you out of your house? Well, haven't you? Oh, it's not your fault. Jason's father left us destitute. Left me destitute, I should say. With a son too lazy to support his old mother. So I had to sell this beautiful place. Mother, the Stouts aren't interested in all this past history. Well, they'd better be. If they value their lives. Value our lives? Well, Mr. Halliday didn't tell you. Of course. Tell us what? About how the Putnams met their death. Why, yes. The real estate man told us about the accident. That was no accident. No more than my husband's death was an accident. He died in the same way? His car crashed off the bridge into the gorge? Right. 800 feet down into the gorge. To the rocks 800 feet below. But no accident. Suicide. The Putnams didn't commit suicide. Not them. My husband, Jason Sr., Raving drunk and suicidal, but theirs was no accident either, the Putnams. He drove them off that bridge. Who? My husband. Now, wait a minute, Mrs. Gormley. If your husband was dead... Hi. I am back. Oh, sure. Naturally, Rory. Now, the painting job is nearly done. Oh, now, don't get up tight, Mel. I, I just didn't remember it till I was out on the slopes. Hi, Mrs. Gormley. Jason. Uh, paying a little social call? It's anything but social. Mrs. Gormley, are you saying that your husband, even though he was dead, somehow killed the Putnams? Liz, come on now. All right, I'll tell you. After my husband's death, when I realized I'd been left penniless, that I'd have to sell this place, I fell into a state of depression. When the Putnams bought Gormley Lodge... Oh, they were going to use it as a winter home, not turn it into a ski resort like you... When they bought it, and I had to move into the little guest house, I was so sad I thought I'd die. For days and days I sat and wept, and and then, in one night, my husband come to me. Your husband? You dreamed? It was no dream. Oh, it was my husband. His ghost. Oh, for the love. He stood at the foot of my bed. And he begged my forgiveness for leaving me a pauper and breaking my heart. And he said, Jessica, I promise you'll live in Gormley House again. And then he, he vanished. The very next night, the Putnams crashed through the bridge over Gormley Gorge. Well, accidents do happen. It was no accident. Now, the real estate man didn't tell you the whole story. Mrs. Putnam lived long enough to tell just what had happened. Well, you can ask the sheriff. The Putnams didn't go off the bridge by accident. They were driven off it. Forced to swing them off it by an oncoming car. A car driven by a skeleton. Good heavens. 
diamonds. That's what I wanted to tell you. And now you know. Good day. Well, what kind of a put-on is this? She's trying to scare us out of here. I'm trying to save your lives. You're trying to get back into this house. That's what you're doing. Just the way you moved back after the Putnams got killed and lived here a full three years until now. Well, I have some respect, respect. for Respect? No way. She may be old, but she's as shrewd as they come. She frightens you off, then moves back in again and stays until some other sucker comes I along. I warn you, Just you're... let us know when your husband's ghost shows up again. It did. What? Last night. Oh, man, this is the neatest ripoff oh, I've Shut ever... up, Roy, will you... Your husband's ghost? Last night? Yes. And he used the same words, Jessica, I promise you'll live in Gormley Lodge again. Oh, I beg you, listen to me. The Putnams wouldn't and went to their death. Oh, Mrs. Gormley, you're really out of sight. You know... You, so smart, you're so sure of yourself. You think he isn't watching and listening, my husband? Do you think he doesn't know how you insulted me? And do you think he'll not repay you? Oh, yes. If people are to die this time, too, you will be the first. Now, be warned. Jason, wheel me back. Be warned. Rory, you shouldn't have talked to Mrs. Gormley like that. You didn't spring for that crazy story, did you? I don't know. I wonder. What, Miss? Mel, call the sheriff. Find out if Mrs. Gormley's telling the truth. Oh, come on, Liz. I look like a fool. Anyhow, I've got to finish this paint job. What? Liz, you're not... I must find out. Suit yourself. You always do. Sheriff Harper speaking. Oh, Sheriff. Uh, this is Elizabeth Stout calling... We're the new owners of Gormley House. Oh, oh, yes. What can I do for you, Mrs. Stout? Well, we just had a visit from Mrs. Gormley. Oh? What do you mean, oh? Oh, nothing, Mrs. Stout, only she can be a little hard to take, getting on in years. Yes, well, what I wanted to ask you, of course you remember the accident to the Putnams three years ago, crashing off the bridge over Gormley Gorge. Yes, yes, I remember. Well, according to Mrs. Gormley... Mrs. Putnam lived long enough to tell you what had caused the accident. Is that so? Uh, yes, it is. And what did she tell you? Well, now, Mrs. Stout, she was near death. Maybe out of her head with pain and shock. What did she tell you, Sheriff? Did she tell you that they had been forced to swerve off the bridge because of another car that came straight at them? A car with a skeleton driving it? Well, as I said, she was out of her Did head. she? Yes, that's the story she told me. Thank you. Goodbye. So? Mrs. Gormley told the truth. Oh, the Putnam woman was dying. Anybody in that condition is liable to say anything. I suppose. Now, look, just, just, just get off it, Liz. We put our life savings, every cent we've got in this place, and I'm not leaving, ghost or no ghost. Well, speaking of leaving, I'd better get on down into Manitou and pick up the Duncans at the airport. Well, it's a bit early, isn't it? Or have you got some cute chick in town that you'd like to spend an hour or so with? <laughs> Mel, you put me away. Don't give me any ideas, Rory.
bit early, isn't it? Or have you got some cute chick in town that you'd like to spend an hour or so with? <laughs> Mel, you put me away. Don't give me any ideas, Rory. <laughs> some road, Rory. You drive it often? In the dark, I mean? A few times, Mr. Duncan. Well, it's frightfully steep and curvy. Now, don't push the panic button, Mrs. Duncan. I'll get you to the top of Manitou Mountain safe enough. You'll be enjoying a hot toddy in front of the fireplace at Gormley Lodge before you know it. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe you better slow down a little. Ah, it's okay. That was just a patch of loose shale. You much of a skier, Mr. Duncan? Oh, I do okay. My wife will need some lessons, though. I uh, take it Gormley Lodge has a pro. Oh, the best. Me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, fine, fine. Uh, Say, this road is steep and curvy. Must be pretty spectacular. Views, I mean, in the daytime. It's spectacular enough right now, what I can see in the headlights. We've got some views, all right. Here's one. It's real cool. From the bridge over Gormley Gorge. Steep? 800 feet straight down. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's too bad there isn't a moon tonight. I'd stop on the bridge and let you have a look. What's that sound? We're crossing the bridge now. A wooden bridge over Gormley Gorge. About 500 feet across. Hey, what's the lights of a car coming fast? That damn fool is coming straight at us. Get over! A skeleton driving that car. Hey, we're going off the bridge! <laughs> I'll be back shortly with Act Two. If you have the nerve to return, that is. Hello, Fox. It seems like only yesterday that I was a little girl tasting porridge. You know, this one's too hot. This one's too cold. And now I conduct taste tests on diet drinks. And there's one I must tell you about. Sugar-free Diet 7-Up. It has a fresh, natural, delicious taste. It drives my taste meter crazy. Sugar-free Diet 7-Up. This one's just right. Hey, Mom, what's for dinner? Hey, Mom, what you got? How about a no-cook dinner for a change? Serve a delicious spread of sliced meat, cheeses, salads, and crisp rolls from ShopRite's appetizer counter. You'll love the freshness, the fine quality, and the pleasing variety. This week's best buys are ShopRite freshly sliced chicken roll, half pound, 69 cents. Imported Switzerland Swiss cheese, half pound, 89 cents. ShopRite liverwurst, 99 cents a pound. Fresh macaroni salad, 39 cents a pound. So relax. Pick up a ready-to-eat dinner at the ShopRite appetizer counter. She loves the family. She wants the best. She does all that she can do. She lets ShopRite do the rest. Hey, Ma, what's for dinner? ShopRite has the answer. Hello, Amcow. My automatic transmission just got automatic-ing. I was wondering, do you service Chevrolets? Do we service those sensational Chevrolets? Ma'am, Amco has serviced over 3 million automatic transmissions of all kinds. Ah. Nearly 900,000 Chevrolets alone. Ooh. Do we service Chevrolets? George, pitch pipe, please. Chevy Nova and Impala and the Valero and Camaro and the Chevy too. Oh, my. 
yep, we know them. Every Chevrolet automatic make and model on the road today, from the oldest Biscayne to a bright, spanky Caprice. Uh, by the way, what sort of Chevy did you say you had? A Chevy Mustang. Well, no matter. Nobody knows your automatic transmission better than Amco. Double A. MCO. There are over 500 Amco centers coast to coast. Consult your yellow pages for the Amco center nearest you. Double A M C O. Amco. This is WOR New York and RKO General Station. Terror, unless you have experienced it, is only a word. I could employ all the art at my command, my voice, the words I choose, to convey to you the full impact of terror. Yet, I know I should fail, even as Michael Duncan fails now in telling his story to Sheriff Harper on the bridge over Gormley Gorge the next morning. Terror? You say you experience terror? What would you experience, Sheriff? Delight? Mr. Duncan, I'm only trying to get at what happened here last night. Excuse me, Sheriff. Yes, Mr. Stout, what is it? Will it be much longer before they get the, the bodies up? Hard to say. Why? I'd like to get back to the lodge. My wife is alone, and you can imagine her condition after hearing of her brother's death. Say nothing of how it happened. Sure, sure. You go ahead. I'll let you know when you're needed to identify the bodies. I'm sorry about your brother-in-law, Mr. Stout. And the publicity. Publicity? And this is the second time the ghost driver has struck. Ghost driver? And the news has got out. I hear they're sending reporters over from Aspen. That's great. That's just what I need. That'll end my ski resort business for good. Not that it ever got started. Uh, wait a few minutes and I'll ride back up with you. Nothing I can do either till they recover Jill's body. Oh, yes, there is, Mr. Duncan. You can give me a full account. Now, look, Sheriff, I've told you all I know. We were driving across this bridge when we saw this other car coming straight at us. Stout's brother-in-law was driving. He swerved to avoid the oncoming car and went through the guardrail. In the split second between swerving and going through the rail, I left clear and saved myself. I wish I could say the same for that boy and, and Jill, my wife. About the skeleton at the wheel of the other car. Why do you keep harping on that? Because it's something to harp on. If you saw a skeleton driving that car... I didn't. You said... I know what I said, but... Well, I've got to be wrong. I couldn't have seen what I thought I did. Why not? Because I don't believe in skeletons driving cars. I don't believe in ghosts. Now, take it easy, Mr. Duncan. All I'm after is a complete report. The fact. All you're after is the publicity you're going to get out of this. Put you on the map, won't it, Sheriff? Why, you might even get a job in one of the big Colorado ski resorts like Aspen or Vail. That'll be enough, Mr. Duncan. You can go. I'll phone the lodge when I need you. Well, invite me in, Miss Stout. Oh, yes, of, of course. Uh, yeah, I'm... Well, I'm surprised to see that you're not in a wheelchair. Oh, it depends on how bad my arthritis kicks up. Sometimes I can walk with a cane, like now. I see. Is your husband home? No. He's down at the bridge with Mr. Duncan. Oh, the fellow whose wife got killed, huh? Yes, well, I'm sorry about that. 
sorry about your brother, too. Even though he asked for Mrs. it. Mrs. Gormley, I, I, I... Your I brother's dead because he wouldn't listen. He wouldn't heed my warning. Now you listen, child. You heed my warning. Make your husband listen and take warning, too. You leave this place. Leave it today. Don't think I wouldn't. We wouldn't if we could. But we can't. All our savings are tied up at Gormley Lodge. Listen to me, listen. Now, my dead husband came to me again last night. And he promised me again I'd return to this house. You love this old house, don't you? Well, it was my life. You're a woman. You understand how that is. Yes. I came here a bride 40 years ago. Jason, senior, that is. He was just starting his career as a painter. Jason, my son, was born here. There was another child, a little girl. She died here. No, this house isn't made of wood and stone. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, oh I think they've come back. Yes. My husband and Mr. Duncan are back. Well, I'll go then. Oh, well, Mrs. Gormley, I'm going to put some coffee on. You stay. Have a cup. No. I can't bear to go on looking at people who I know are going to die. What's this? Die? Who, who, who's going to die now? You are, Mr. Stout. You and your wife. If you don't heed my warning and leave... As soon as possible. Now, what's all this, Stout? Who is this woman? Jessica Gormley used to own this place. Oh, the woman you told me about. The one who claims her husband's ghost visits her. I don't just claim it. It's true. Who are you? My name's Michael Duncan. Ah, oh, yes, yes. The one whose wife went to her death in the gorge last night. Well, you take my advice, too. You leave here. Leave as fast as you can. How about a drink, Stout? Oh, so you two won't listen. The ghost driver killed your wife last night, and yet you won't listen. Well, let me warn you once and for all. You... What was that? A, a shot. It was a gunshot. Jason! Oh, it's happened. He's killed himself. She's fallen. Liz, help her up and keep her here. Duncan, you come with me. <laughs> What do you want? Oh, you're okay, Jason. We heard a gunshot. What of it? Well, we've heard of you and your little games, like Russian roulette, and we thought that, that you... I'd shot myself? No such luck. Come in if you want to. Oh, the, uh, the gunshot we heard. I fired it. Deliberately. You fired that shot deliberately? You ask a lot of questions for someone I haven't even met. It's Mike Duncan. He and his wife are to be my first guests. It was... His wife who got killed last night. Oh. I'm sorry. How did you escape? Flung myself from the car just before it went through the guardrail. Well, you'd better keep an eye out for the old man's ghost. He'll be after you. Uh, Mr. Gormley, I don't believe in ghosts. Now, why did you fire that revolver? What business is it? A... All right. I'll tell you. You'll think it's nutty. I'm sure. I've been playing Russian roulette with this gun for years, ever since my father died. And I always win. Or lose, depending on how you look at it. 
And how do you look at it, Jason? I give it to you straight, Mr. Stout. I want to lose. For years now, I've picked up the gun. Like this. Oh, no. Not every day. Maybe once a week. Once every other week. Whenever the mood comes on me. And I put it to my temple. Like this. Wait a minute. <laughs> Don't worry. Gun's empty. I haven't put in a fresh bullet yet. You see... The reason I deliberately fired that bullet I had in this gun was to find out if the thing was a dud. It wasn't. Too bad. May I shake your hand, Mr. Duncan? You're the first man I've ever met who says what he thinks. You want to kill yourself? Go ahead. <laughs> I like you. You do speak your mind. And now, gentlemen, if you'll excuse me, I've got to get back to this painting of mine. By the way... What do you think of it? Pretty lurid, isn't it? <laughs> That's just the right word for it, Mr. Stout. See? There's the car swerving and crashing through the bridge. The oncoming ghost car with the skeleton at the wheel. All in flaming color. I knock out one an hour. I slap a frame on it and I sell it in Manitou for 20 bucks. So excuse me, will you? Business is going to pick up. Thanks to last night. And I want to be ready to supply the demand. Uh, it's been a rough 24 hours, Miss Stout. It's a nice chair. Just right for sitting in front of a fire. <laughs> Cost you plenty, I'll bet. Yes, plenty. But that isn't what I'm thinking about. You're thinking about your brother and my wife lying in their coffins at the undertakers in Manitou. Yes, and also that even a small village like Manitou has an undertaker. Birth, death, taxes. The only sureties in life, Mrs. Stout. Liz. Mike. I, uh, I like your husband. Me too. He told me about everything. About what getting this ski resort means to you. Your life savings invested, all that. All down the drain, I'm afraid. The publicity? What else? Every reservation's canceled. Well, all except one. But that'll come in, too. It has, Liz. Yes? There it is. Please cancel my reservation for next week, Frank Norton. As a family of four, telegram phoned in from Aspen. Anybody got a sponge? A sponge? So I can throw it in. I'm through, Mike. Do you always give up this easy? What do you mean, easy? Just that. Do you always fade when the going gets tough? Well, this is the time to start fighting. Does it make good sense to let all this go down the drain because somebody's playing a trick on you? A murderous trick? Do you think it's a trick? What else could it be? A skeleton driving a ghost car? What else but a trick? Well, what else? You were in that car last night. You saw... And it was a skeleton behind the wheel of the oncoming car. You told the sheriff that. You can still say that... That it was a trick, yes. What kind of trick? Damn it, Mike, you admit you saw a skeleton driving a car, but you can still call it a trick? Yeah, see, I see you don't answer. Uh, look, Mel, I'm a practical man, a businessman. You think being a businessman is simple? Oh, no. I've had troubles that would make yours look like, like nothing. Today you won't find anybody more successful than me. But I've been bankrupt twice. Yes, and paid off every cent. 
How? Well, not by running away the way you want to, but by standing up and fighting. And that's what you've got to do right now. How? You tell me how and I'll do it. Uh, we'll, we'll do it together. I've got a stake in this too, you know. My wife is dead. Murdered. Yes, murdered. Not by a ghost, but by a trick. And if it's the last thing I do, I'm going to find out who played that trick and make him pay. Then you don't think it's a ghost. Do you? Answer me. Do you believe in ghosts? Did you believe before you came here and ran into this mess you're in? Well, no, I didn't. Then why start believing now? <laughs> ghosts, my foot. Now, this is a trick. Somebody wants to stop you from turning Gormley Lodge into a ski resort. And if you ask me, it's the Gormleys. One or the other or both is behind all this. Or that sheriff down in Manitou. The sheriff? Oh, Mike, you don't really think that the sheriff... I don't know what to think, Liz. All I know is that somebody's behind this. And those are the three likeliest suspects. Now, look, I'm, I'm no Sherlock Holmes, but I've got a brain. And I've got guts. And... And... Well, my wife is dead. My, my Jill. Well, I, I'm just going to find out who killed her, that's all. The tougher they are. You like a drink, Mike? No, no. No, thanks. I'll be okay. Especially when I nail that murderer. What What have you got in mind? Well, it'll be dark in about an hour. We take the car, Mel. You and me. We take the car, and we drive up and down that road. All night, if necessary. To meet up with this so-called ghost driver. And when and if we meet up with him. Yes. If and when you meet up with him. What? We don't turn aside. We don't swerve out of his path and off the bridge. We drive straight at him and keep driving at him. If he's a ghost in a ghost car, we'll drive through him. And if he isn't? If he isn't? <laughs> well, if he isn't, it'll be one hell of a crash. You. You out there listening. What would you do? If you were Mel Stout, would you accept Mike Duncan's challenge? I'll be back shortly with Act Three. Ever see a beer drinker pour his beer real easy down the side of the glass? Maybe you do it yourself. If so, the Budweiser Brewmaster thinks you're missing something, especially if you're a Budweiser drinker. You see, Bud is brewed, so it will kick up a healthy head of foam. Exclusive beechwood aging and natural carbonation make it a lively brew. Well, anyway, pouring Bud plunked down the middle of the glass helps bring out the best in that clean white Budweiser foam and real beer aroma. It also helps you get the full benefit of a taste, smoothness, and drinkability you'll find in no other beer at any price. Remember, brewing beer right does make a difference. Next time, pour that Budweiser right down the middle and see for yourself. Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis. Summer, TWA has some good news for you. You can. 
thanks to TWA's demand schedule service, you can fly to California for only $125. Just make your reservations 90 days before you want to go and put down a $20 deposit for each way. For all the details, call your travel agent. TWA's demand schedule service. Now you can afford to fly to California. driving the twisting, precipitous mountain road that leads to Gormley Lodge. One, Mike Duncan, believes that the ghost driver they hope to meet is nothing but a trick. Mel Stout, his life savings, every penny at stake, has had no choice but to go along. Mike, I'm bushed. Let's make this the last trip. Uh-uh. We're going to drive up and down this road till dawn. Yes, and night after night if we have to. Until we meet up with our so-called ghost driver. This is the sixth time we've been up and down this mountain road. Okay. Pull over. I'll drive. Get out to your side. I'll slip behind the wheel. Yeah. Hey. The car coming up behind us. Red light flash. That must be the sheriff. There's the sheriff, all right. And this is Stout. Oh, and you, Mr. Duncan. What are you doing here, Sheriff? Well, that's what I want to ask you. I got a report from Mountain View House across the valley there that they were seeing headlights going up and down this road. Guess I don't have to tell you everybody around here is on edge after what happened last night. Now, what are you up to? We're not up to anything, Sheriff. We're driving this road in hopes of meeting up with whoever or whatever killed my wife and Mr. Stout's brother-in-law. Get yourselves killed in the bargain? Oh, no. You drive on up to Gormley Lodge, and when you get there, stay there. You make that sound like an order, Sheriff. That's what it is, Mr. Stout. Well, I, I guess we better do like he says, Mike. I don't think so. Oh, you don't? No, I don't. This is a public road. We've got a right to be on it. Unless we're doing something that breaks the law, and we're not. You're a kind of troublemaker, Mr. Duncan, aren't you? Sheriff, I never go looking for trouble, but I know how to handle it when it comes my way. Now, either you arrest us for breaking some law or other, in which case you'd better be prepared to back it up or I'll sue the town of Manitou and you for false arrest, or get off our backs. I'm not on your backs. I'm trying to save your lives. Take my advice Advice, and... huh? I thought it was an order. All right, wise guy. Have it your way. Go ahead and get killed and and be damned to you. Right. Let's go, Mel. You can sure sound tough, Mike. Well, no small-town sheriff pushes me around. Well, he's only trying to do his job. Maybe... And maybe not. What do you mean? I don't know. But that's what we're going to find out. Tonight, tomorrow night, or whenever. Now, there's the bridge ahead. Yeah, maybe you better slow down. No. If it's a ghost, we'll go through it. If it isn't... Mike, headlights coming toward us. Now, look, don't lose your nerve. Coming closer. We're going to crash if you don't... Mike! Driving that car, it's roaring! Your brother-in-law, my God! Mike! Ah! 
Mel. Mike, I can't believe it. Can't believe it myself, Liz. Not only what we saw, but getting out of it with our lives. The fates were with us, Mel. I, I lost my nerve. I have to admit that. I just couldn't keep driving straight at that... that awful thing coming toward us. I, I couldn't help myself. I, I swerved at the last second. Well, thank God we hit that stanchion instead of going off the bridge. But Rory driving the other car, it's impossible. Rory's dead. We're burying him tomorrow. Rory's dead, that's for sure. But it was Rory driving that car, that's for sure, too. Then, then ghosts do exist? Mel? Yes, huh? After the funeral tomorrow, let's get out of here. Let's go away from this place as fast as we can. And go where? Back to Aspen, of course. Liz, we're broke. We haven't enough dough left for a motel room. Where would we stay? How would we live? Uh, Mel, I, I, I didn't know things were that bad for you. Putting this place back in shape cost me just about every penny I had. Well, look, uh, would a loan help? You, you'd you be willing to... Well, sure. I like you two, and, well, the way things turned out, we've gotten to know each other real fast. Practically friends. So... Well, if you can use a loan... That's generous of you, Mike. Uh, it, is, it is generous of you, Mike, and I appreciate it, but... No, thanks. What'll you do? Do what you said I ought to do. Fight this thing. Liz? Mike? If you ever come east, be sure to look me up. We will, Mike. Yes, of course. You, you won't change your mind about the loan? Can't. Would only be putting off what's bound to happen. Unless... Unless what? Unless I can find the answer to what goes on here. There's something bothering me. Something I feel that I saw somewhere, but didn't pay much attention to at the time. Well, what about it, this, this something? It's just something that's bothering me is all. Something that just could give me the answer to all of this. Hmm. Well... Good luck. You deserve it. Oh, there's the taxi that's going to take me to the airport. Goodbye, Liz. Goodbye, Mike. Bye-bye, Mike, Bye. and thanks. Well, we'd... We'd better get on back, Liz. Liz, you coming? Yes. Mel, you better know it now. No matter what you intend to do, I won't be staying. We've got to face the facts. Buying this place was a big mistake. I admit it now. But there's no sense in crying over spilt milk. What's done is done. So, darling, let's just turn our backs on it, walk away from it, and start again. Start what again? The treadmill of office work? The dreary day-to-day -day monotony of auditing accounts, toting up figures. I can't bear to go back to that kind of life. I have got to make a go of this. I don't have any other choice. But is it worth your life? Ghost or no ghost, Mel, it's killed four people. It would have been six if you and Mike Duncan hadn't been lucky enough to hit that stanchion. And it will be six if you insist on driving that road again tonight. Six? How, how, how do you make it Six. You don't think I'm going to let you do it alone, do you? But at the funeral, you said that... You said that, that you weren't even going to stay. Because I hope that would change your mind. But it hasn't. So, you see... I have no choice either. 
like last night with Mike. From the top of the mountain down to Manitou, then back up again and again, and no sign of him. But he did show, finally. And Mike lost his nerve, swerved aside at the last second. Let's hope I don't lose mine. Will it matter? What do you mean? Well, if you lose your nerve, we'll go off the bridge. If you don't, and the ghost car isn't a ghost car, we'll be killed in a crash. If there is a crash, but there won't be. You seem awfully sure of that. I am. Remember at the cemetery I told Mike there was something I had seen but hadn't paid any attention to? And that if I could only remember what it was, I'd have the answer to all of this? Yes. Well, it's come to me. Driving up and down the mountain tonight, it suddenly came to me. See, it wasn't something I'd seen. It was something I'd heard and paid no attention to. Something I knew but didn't realize what it meant. And if I'm right, Liz, if I'm right... What is it? What did you remember? We're on the bridge now. Let me concentrate on driving. Mel? Mel! Mel, there it is. The ghost car is coming straight for us. Yes. And behind the wheel, driving it. It's Rory! Oh, my God, it's Rory! Oh, we buried Rory. But then it's his ghost, Mel. Get your hands off the wheel. Don't try to turn the wheel. We're going to crash. This time he swerved and he went off the bridge, just as I knew he would. How? How did you know? Later, Liz. Right now, we better get up to the lodge and phone the sheriff. Oh. Oh. Come in, Mrs. Gormley. Mel? Mrs. Gormley's here. Please, won't you sit down? Yeah, thank you. Hello, Mrs. Gormley. I'm sorry about last night. I'm not. Mrs. Gormley, Jason was your son. Oh, he was the torment of my life. Every day I lived. Of course, I'm sorry he's dead, but... I can only be glad it's over for me. Did you know that your son was the ghost driver? I suspected... But I was never sure. You see, it was Jason who wanted to go on living here in this house far more than I did. Oh, you can understand. He was born here. He grew up here. Started his painting career here in a fine, big studio upstairs. Tragic. Just tragic. Even more tragic if it hadn't been for you. How did you come to know? What made you realize that my son was the ghost driver? A gunshot. A gunshot? The shot he fired to see whether the bullet he used for playing Russian roulette was live or not. Well, I don't don't follow you. You see, something kept bugging me, Mrs. Gormley, but I, I couldn't nail it down because I kept thinking it was something that I'd seen. But then suddenly I realized it wasn't something I'd seen, but something I'd heard. That gunshot. I I still don't know. It it got me to thinking about Jason playing Russian roulette, playing with life and death. And that got me to thinking a step further. Sure, Russian roulette. Only a fool or a would-be suicide would play it. But the fact remains that the odds are in his favor. Every time Jason spun the barrel of that gun and pulled the trigger... The chances were five to one against firing the bullet. Oh, but but what was the connection between that and and the ghost driver? 
Driving a car straight at another car is just another form of Russian roulette. Ah, yes, I see. Well, Sheriff Harper came to see me, and he said Jason was wearing a mask, Mm. a papier-mâché mask of your brother's face. Yes, and it wasn't a very good likeness of my brother, but it didn't have to be. It looked enough like him to fool you when you saw it under those awful conditions. The night and the headlights and and the car coming straight at you. Fear did the rest. There must be another mask, the skeleton face. Oh, there is. We, we, we searched the studio and we found it, Sheriff Harper and me. Yeah, well, it's all over. Jason's at peace at last. God knows I soon shall be. Well, good day. Funny, though. What, Mrs. Gormley? Well, we've searched and we've searched, but we couldn't find a mask of my husband's face. What made you think there was one? Well, you see, when I heard about the masks, I thought it must have been Jason who came and stood at the foot of my bed. Not my husband's ghost. But if it wasn't Jason, who was it? What was it? An interesting question. What was it indeed? I'll be back shortly. Hi, Ms. Goldilocks here. Professionally taste-testing diet drinks can be very difficult, but I just had to bear with it. Then I found sugar-free Diet 7-Up. It doesn't taste like other diet drinks. It's fresh, light, natural, delicious. Sugar-free Diet 7-Up tastes so good that I've taste-tested it hundreds of times. And each time I've given it my seal of approval. Yes, this one's just right. Introducing the greatest taste to come out of your toaster since Samuel Bath Thomas baked his original English muffins in 1880. Thomas's new onion English muffins. Little bits of real onion blended into Thomas's original English muffin recipe create a tangy taste that makes everything fantastic, like burgers and cream cheese and cold cuts. Even butter tastes better. Thomas's new onion English muffins. The greatest new taste since 1880. Thomas's promises. Hey, Pat, how tall do you think she is? 300 feet if she's an inch, Luigi, and a fine lady she is. The year 1886. While most New Yorkers were enjoying their first look at the Statue of Liberty, a few were enjoying their first taste of Thomas's bread and discovering it was every bit as delicious as Thomas's English muffins. Today, there's still never been a lady to equal the lady, or a bread to equal Thomas's protein, whole wheat, and white bread. Thomas's promises. Here's news from Queen Elizabeth II. Now you can sail to Europe on Queen Elizabeth II and fly home free. I'll repeat that. Sail to Europe on Queen Elizabeth II and fly back to New York free. She reaches Europe in five luxurious days. You have ample time for touring because you fly back. 
Meals and entertainment on board are included. A whole new crowd of people are discovering Queen Elizabeth II because she's affordable and she's fun. She has nine bars, four swimming pools, three nightclubs, a discotheque, a gymnasium, a sauna, a casino, and three of the finest restaurants in the world. Sail first class grades A to H and fly home free. Sail tourists grades L to Q and S to U and fly home half fare. Flights are British Airways economy. You can stay in Europe up to 16 days. Call your travel agent or Cunard at 212-983-2510. Sail to Europe on Queen Elizabeth II and fly home free. Great ships of British registry since 1840. Our cast included Augusta Dabney, Mason Adams, Mary Jane Higby, Norman Rose, Nick Pryor, and Leon Janney. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. Radio Mystery Theater was sponsored in part by new sugar-free diet 7-Up. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams. The preceding mystery theater program is furnished by the CBS Radio Network. This is WOR New York. I'm Fulton Lewis in the Mutual Broadcasting System studios in Washington, D.C. Now, my commentary. The chairman of the House Judiciary Committee said today he expects his panel to go along with President Nixon's request of today, a request for an additional five days to reply to a subpoena for 42 Watergate tapes. New Jersey Democrat Representative Peter Rodino said that he and the ranking Republican member of the committee had agreed to the postponement, and in Rodino's words, I am quite confident the members of the committee will go along with it too. He told a news conference the matter will be taken up formally by his committee on Thursday. That's the day the response to the committee subpoena was due. The delay requested by the White House today would put off the response until next Tuesday. At the White House, Deputy Press Secretary Gerald Warren attributed the White House request to the pressure of business at the White House and the demands on the president's time. Chairman Rodino said that the delay was requested by James St. Clair, the president's chief Watergate attorney, it was requested in a telephone call yesterday to John Doerr, the chief counsel of the impeachment inquiry. The chairman said that he and Representative Edward Hutchinson of Michigan, the ranking Republican member of the committee, instructed Doerr to ask St. Clair why at least some of the subpoenaed material could not be furnished on Thursday. St. Clair told Doerr that the president wanted to review all of the material at once before sending it to Capitol Hill. Rodino said St. Clair, though, gave no assurance that all of the subpoenaed material would be given to the committee. Asked about reports of the White House plan to give the panel transcripts rather than tapes, Chairman Rodino replied transcripts would not be satisfactory. White House Deputy Press Secretary Warren said a lot of work has, has been and is being done to compile the material necessary to prepare a response. The president himself has spent many, many hours reviewing the response and has determined that he would like some extra time to review the response in its entirety. Warren would give no clue as to the likely nature of the eventual reply to the subpoena. He said only the president has not finally decided on the form and content of the response. Asked if the request for a delay might not be considered inconsistent with repeated White House calls for a speedy resolution of the impeachment question, Warren said, quote, it is consistent with our position and with the president's position to deal responsibly with the House Judiciary Committee, and that is what we are doing. Back on April 11th, the committee voted 33-3 to 3 to subpoena the tapes that it had been seeking since Fe February. 
The president also faces a second subpoena. That one has a May 2nd deadline. That one is for additional tapes and other materials that are being sought by special Watergate prosecutor Leon Jaworski. Asked if the president might not also seek an extension of the May 2nd deadline, Warren said today, I know of no such requests. Now, this. What has Sheraton done for you lately? What has Sheraton done for you now? Next time you travel to Canada for business or pleasure, you'll find 20 sparkling Sheraton hotels and motor inns coast to coast, from Quebec to British Columbia. What has Sheraton done for you lately? In Toronto, the new Four Seasons Sheraton has a five-story waterfall right in the lobby. In Vancouver, there are two new Sheratons. And for a reservation at any Sheraton, call 800-325-3535 or have your travel agent call. That's 800-325-3535. Sheraton Hotels and Motor Inns Worldwide. The White House officials say privately that they're not really sure how they should interpret Vice President Gerald Ford's remarks to 1,300 newspaper and broadcast industry leaders yesterday. One school of thought is that he was not taking any pot shots at the president. Others, however, read into his comments a significant break from Mr. Nixon on the Watergate tapes issue. The vice president said that the president might have tried harder to get the story of Watergate out sooner and that he should begin cooperating as fully as possible to clear the issue up now. A committee subpoena for tapes and documents, of course, was due Thursday, but the request has been made now to postpone that till Tuesday. Ford, in his speech yesterday, said, It's pretty hard to put yourself back into the shoes of somebody else in a situation like this. I do read the newspapers very extensively. I could not have been oblivious to some of the things that were going on that has taken place or has transpired. It would be my technique, he said, if I were in those shoes, which I hope and trust does not take place. But it would be my technique to want to find out as quickly as possible. I assume that the president did. In fact, I have good reason to believe that he did. Unfortunately, the vice president added... Unfortunately, some of the people who should have known obviously did not give him the full story. Now, whether there should have been a more vigorous prosecution of all the details, that's a matter of judgment. And in my case, I think I could have tried to nudge some of my employees about as hard as I possibly could. Ford went on to say that the president knew nothing in advance about the burglary and bugging of the Democratic Party headquarters in Washington's Watergate complex during the 1972 presidential campaign... The vice president also said that he is confident that the president had not committed any impeachable offense under the Constitution. But he nonetheless urged the president to make every effort to settle the issue once and for all. The vice president said, I have indicated to him on a number of occasions that I thought he should do anything reasonable in order to clear up the problems that have developed subsequent to Watergate itself. I have consistently said the sooner any and all relevant evidence was made available the better the Congress could consider and the American people evaluate whether or not the president was involved prior to, at the time of, or subsequent to, the Watergate break-in. The vice president added, I hope and trust that sometime in the next 48 or 72 hours, the White House will cooperate to the maximum 
and making available to the House Committee on the Judiciary the relevant material that the committee has requested. He drew applause from his audience when he added, I strongly believe that to be the right course of action, and I hope and trust the decision follows that pattern. Radio Mystery Theater presents... his imagination play with the idea, he set down his findings in a ghost story that ranks with the world's finest, the classic tale of the Canterville Ghost. And if by chance you should think that a ghost's life is all wine and roses, why then listen to what went on one night at Canterville Castle. Blood! I must have blood! And when I say blood, I do not mean a drop or two. I mean gallons. Or am I not called Gibeon, the bloodsucker of Bexley Moor? Blood! Oh, give me blood! Blood, my foot! What you need is some oil for those rusty chains. <laughs> mystery drama, The Canterville Ghost, was especially adapted from the Oscar Wilde classic for the Mystery Theater by George Lothar and stars Arnold Moss. Our story takes place in Canterville Castle ancestral home of the de Canterville family since the 15th century. You immediately assume, I have no doubt, that the castle is in England. Well, it isn't. It was, but it isn't anymore. For you see, that well-known multimillionaire Hiram Otis had it dismantled stone by stone, transported to the United States, and re-erected stone by stone on his own estate in the Midwest. So it is that one fine afternoon, we find him, Hiram, and his wife, Martha, and his lovely daughter, Virginia, and Jeffrey de Canterville, her fiancé, in the newly restored library of the newly erected castle of the Cantervilles. Well, Mr. Otis, I hope you're satisfied with the job I've done. Canterville Castle re-erected, lock, stock, and barrel, even to the ancestral gardens which surround it. Well, the castle's okay, but I don't know about the gardens. The guy I hired to be the general manager when we opened the place as a tourist resort says the pool ought to be where you put the pine woods. But, Daddy, that's the exact area where the pine woods were in England. Well, Ginny, dear, tourists won't know that. But that was part of the deal when Daddy bought the castle from Jeff. 
and hired him to re-erect it here. That nothing would be changed. Well, business is business. If it'll be more convenient for tourists to have the pool where the pine woods are... Yeah. Now, what's this? Well, you know what that is, Mr. Otis. It's the blood stain. That's the spot in front of the fireplace where Sir Simon de Canterville stabbed his wife to death way back in 1601. I told you I wanted it removed. And I told you it can't be removed. You got in the oldest bathroom cleanser around, Jeff? Yes. Yes, of course. In the cleaning closets. You told me to stock it. Get a can of it. But, Mr. Otis, really... Otis it... bathroom cleanser is guaranteed to get rid of any stain. And it'll get rid of this one. Go on, give me a can of it. Good heavens, that vase. Oh, dear, it fell off the mantelpiece. No, it didn't fall off, Mrs. Otis. It was knocked off, I'd say, by Sir Simon de Canterville. The ghost? Yes, I'm afraid he doesn't like the idea of removing that bloodstain. However, I'll get the cleanser. Him and his ghost. What, do you think I was born yesterday? Jeff wouldn't lie to you, Daddy. <laughs> and, and if he says the castle's haunted... Now, look, Jimmy... Just because this fortune hunter fiancé of yours, Lord Jeffrey Canterville, believes in ghosts, doesn't mean I have to. Daddy, if you call Jeff a fortune hunter once more, just once more... Oh, I'm... okay, okay, honey. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. All I want is your happiness, sweetie. And if he'll make you happy, fine, fine. Here we are, Mr. Otis, a fresh can of Otis bathroom cleanser. All right, let me have it. Now watch. I spray it on the bloodstain. You bring a cloth to wipe it off with? Oh, no, I'm sorry. Oh, never mind. Use my handkerchief. Now, one wipe, so. Where's your bloodstain now? Oh, Hiram, it's gone. What else? An Otis guarantee is an Otis guarantee. It will come back. Not after an Otis cleanser treatment, it won't. Oh, oh, oh. What, what, what was that? Oh, what is it? It's the ghost again, Mrs. Otis. Oh. No, it was the wind or uh, something. There isn't any wind. Well, it was something else, but not a ghost. I just plain don't believe in ghosts, and that's the end of that. Well, if you ask me, Mr. Otis, it's only the beginning. The woman, where is she? Here, Simon, dear. Here I am. Get the paint bucket. We have to repaint oh, the stain. Again? I promise you, however often Mr. Hiram Otis erases my bloodstain... My bloodstain, dear. Oh, all right, all right, yours. But you wouldn't have had it if it hadn't been for me. You... Do forgive me. Oh, my dear, I have forgiven you at least once every hundred years since it happened. I should not be here otherwise. And the least I can do is to see that your stay here remains peaceful by giving that barbarous American his comeuppance. Fear not, my dearest love. It is Sir Simon de Canterville, me, against Mr. Hiram Otis, him... But I truly believe there's little doubt as to the outcome of the battle. A blue bloodstain? 
What do you mean a blue blood stain? Uh, just what I say, Mr. Otis. The stains reappeared, and this time it's blue, Daddy. Now, look, I don't know what you two are up to. Up to? For your information, the boss painter who's redecorating the upstairs bedrooms complained that somebody's stealing his paint. And you think that we, that Jeff and I would... Who else? But why would you think that? Because the way I see it... Uh... Yes? How do you see it? Well, I don't know how I see it. All I know is it doesn't make sense. And we better start making some sense around here because we open in a week. Now get rid of that stain. Once and for all, get rid of it. Do you realize that I have repainted that blood stain by the fireplace four separate times, and each time that meddling American has had it removed? I should think you'd want to forget it. After all, it's a reminder of why you are doomed to haunt Canterville Castle. Oh, dear, and I with you. But you are not. You can leave any time you wish, Eleanor. Oh, Simon, not without you. Oh, my dear. <laughs> Was ever man so loved by woman as I by you? Or I by you. Uh, and yes, I killed you. Because you loved me. Well, however you put it, I condemned us both to eternal misery. Well, it shall be misery in peace. For nearly 400 years I've haunted Canterville Castle without hindrance. Yet what that vile upstart has put us through in the past three years, tearing down the castle around our heads, building it up again around our heads, and oh, the noise, the noise. And now he means to turn it, my castle, into what they call a tourist attraction. Never! My dearest, what can you do? That beastly American must be driven out. And his family with him. I know. Let me see what I have in the way of grisly costumes. Ah, yes, yes, yes. I think this should do the trick quite neatly. Which is it? Gaunt Gibeon, the bloodsucker of Bexley Moor. Oh, that's smashing. <laughs> I won't let you get married till you get a job. But, Daddy, Jeff doesn't need a job. He has all the money you paid him for Canterville Castle. Have you? Have you, Jeff? You know I haven't, Mr. Otis. But obviously, Ginny doesn't. You didn't tell her. Tell her what, Otis? Yes, what? Well, tell her. Ginny, I'm afraid that just about every cent your father paid for Canterville... Went to pay off back taxes, liens, mortgages, interest payments, and the Lord only knows what. Oh, Jeff. Well, don't you see? That's why I sold Canterville in the first place. I had to. I, I, I couldn't keep it up anymore. I had no choice. It was, it was sell or lose everything. So, you see, he's broke. Flat bus. Now, just a moment. I have the promise of a job, Mr. Otis, a top-flight architectural firm in New York. The promise of a job? Now, look, Jeff, there'll be no marriage until... What's that? I, I don't know. I'm afraid I do. It's, it's the Canterville ghost. The ghost? 
Come on, Jeff. Come on now. Aren't these tricks of yours getting just a little childish? Now, Mr. Otis, believe me, this is no act. It's the real thing. Whenever the ghost moans like this, it means he's going to put in an appearance. And I've seen some of those appearances. Now, Mrs. Otis, Ginny, you'd, uh, you'd better come with me. Oh, where to? Well, anywhere but here. I'm not afraid of the ghost myself. He's never done me any harm, but his appearance can be positively ghastly. And you'd better not see it, either of you. No, I'm staying here. What? What? I've Jenny... been hoping to see him, Jeff. Hoping to see the ghost? Yes, Mother. Oh, somehow I have a feeling I won't be afraid of him. Don't ask me why. I can't explain the feeling. I just know I won't be. <laughs> of course you won't. Jeff lets you in on his little gag. But I suppose I'm to be scared to death, huh? Oh, but Daddy... <laughs> There is a ghost. You've got to believe it. Oh, oh, look. Oh, oh my heavens. I must have blood. <laughs> he, he's got to be kidding. When I say blood, I do not mean a drop or two. I mean gallons. For am I not Gaunt Gibeon, the bloodsucker of Bexley Moor? Blood. Blood, my foot. What you need is some oil for those rusty chains. And I just happen to have a can of Otis all-purpose here in this desk drawer. Cringe, thou knave. Grovel in abject fear before me. Ah, ah here's a can of Otis oil. Oh! oh, knock off the screaming. You got nothing to scream about, because believe me, this oil will do the trick for those chains of yours. Leave off! I'm ruining my chain. Daddy, stop it. Leave him alone. And another squirt. Oh, Daddy, stop it. Give me that chair. Here now. Leave him alone. Can't you see how how unhappy he is? Oh, now, look, Jenny. Any guy tries to pull a gag on me. No gag, no trick. This is misery. Oh, look at his face. Look into his eyes. He's in agony. I've never felt so sorry for anyone in my life. You. You feel sorry for me? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. No one has felt sorry for me in over 370 years. I do. Well, you... You frighten me. Oh, no, you can't be. You couldn't be. No, no. Not the golden girl. Come on, you two. Stop it. Nice little act, but just a little creaky in spots. You clod! You lout! You poltroon! Is it thus you'd taunt a noble lord of Canterville? Hear me, then. I sought but to warn you hence by harrowing up your soul. But there's another way to be rid of you. Death! No, I... I... No, 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 please, no, please, I beg you, don't kill him, don't, don't. For thine own sake, then, child, be warned and get thee hence. I am Simon of Canterville, an easy wrought into murderous rage. So be gone, be gone, be gone. Do you believe now that he's a real ghost? I sure do. 
I, I guess we better do what he wants us to do, Otis. Let's leave the castle. Oh, no. Are you saying that you won't... You bet I am. I paid a fortune for this joint. I'd rather die than see that money go down the drain. Oh, no. I'll tear this damn castle down again, stone by stone, before he gets the satisfaction of seeing me run. You hear that, Buster? Stone by stone. It certainly appears that for once, for the first time in nearly 400 years, the ghost of Sir Simon de Canterville has met his match. What happens, you may ask, when ancient English ghost meets eyeball to eyeball with modern American business tycoon? We'll learn more when I return shortly with Act Two. Simon de Canterville, or rather I should say the ghost of Sir Simon de Canterville, can't be blamed for threatening to kill Hiram Otis. After all, it is his castle, or it was, and, well, how would you feel if you'd lived somewhere for nearly 400 years only to have someone you'd never seen before threaten to tear the place down stone by stone? Now, you really can't blame him for being in a towering rage. Eleanor! I shall rend him limb from limb. Oh, Simon, perhaps we ought to leave the Americans in peace. Oh, no, oh, no. darling, please. I say no. Oh, Simon, please, don't make me speak severely to you. Severely? Well, truthfully, it's quite possible you've lost your ability to frighten people. Lost my ability to frighten people? Yes, dear. You are but a ghost of your former self. Just what do you mean? Well, I very much fear that, that you're growing stale. And in the parlance of the day, why, you simply can't hack it anymore. Hack it? Not able to hack it? Me? Oh, Simon, come now. Were you not reduced to using brute force? You, who through all these centuries have prided yourself on the artistry of your hideous disguises. Why, you failed to frighten a mere mortal. And Simon, an American at that. Well, he's a clod. Altogether too stupid to have even a semblance of nerves. I think so. It just occurs to me. I've always been at my best during a thunderstorm. True enough. And tonight, to judge from that sky out there, will be a night of elemental fury. A perfect background for haunting. I shall outdo myself this night. I shall employ a disguise so horrible, so fiendish... Something guaranteed to drive the churl out of his skull. What? Ah, yes, yes, yes. That is the question. What, 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 what shall it be? Oh, I have every confidence that you, my sweet, my sweet, will create a costume that every ghost in England, in the world, would give his winding sheet to possess. Oh, you are too kind, altogether too kind. But let me think. Let... Aha. Uh -huh. Oh, you, you, you have it? Yes, yes. 
You, my darling, have given me a thought. Winding sheets. That is the ticket. A winding sheet? Of course. I have an excellent one. Very old, very moldy. The one with the frilled cuffs and neck. But of course, of course, do go on. I will wear that and take with me my rusty dagger. I shall approach the room moaning and groaning in a most gruesome fashion. When I enter it, I shall stand over them in the form of a green, icy, cold corpse till they're all but paralyzed with fear. And then, and then I shall cast off the winding sheet and crawl around the room with white, bleached bones and one rolling eyeball. Oh, Simon, dear, you have outdone yourself. I dare say even you will agree I can still cut the mustard, my dear. Oh, you can, you have. What the girl? The American's daughter. Oh, she, she must go in peace. I touch her not. Why so? Because, well, my dear, you will scarcely believe this, but not only did I fail to frighten her, but she said, well, she said she felt sorry for me. She said that? Yes, yes. And she looked at me when she said it with eyes... Well, Eleanor, her eyes were filled with sympathy and pity and, yes, love. Oh, Simon, could she be the golden girl? I should like to think so, but I fear not, my love. It's too much to ask. Much too much. approaches and the storm, I promise you, oh, I promise you, that within a few short hours I shall reduce the cold-blooded Hiram Otis to a mindless mess. Why have you brought me here, Jeff? I've never seen this part of the castle before. It's a hidden passage, or it once was. As to why I brought you here, well, it seems to me every time I want to be alone with you, your your father shows up, or your mother, and... Oh, Ginny, I... I do want to talk to you. Yes? Ginny, marry me. But, Jeff, dear, I'm going to. You know that. No, I mean now. Tonight. Tonight? Yes, let's get in my car, drive to town, find a justice of the peace, and get married. But, darling, we don't have a license. Oh, we'll get one. How? I don't know, but we will. I'll, I'll manage it somehow. Jeff, this is the United States, not England. Things are done differently here. And, and anyway, there's, there's no sense discussing it because well, I just can't go against my father's wishes. Oh, you don't have to be afraid of him. Afraid? Oh, darling, I'm not afraid of him. I love him. I know what you think. That he's hard and domineering and ruthless and a lot of other things. But you know, inside, He's not that way at all. Mm, perhaps not. Unfortunately, I only know him from the outside. But as time goes by, you'll learn to know him better. And you'll see... Ginny, you're not a child. You're a woman. I need you, Ginny. I, I, I want you. Jeff, please, please, darling. No. Ginny. Ginny, oh, please. Jeff. Oh, Jeff. I must have blood. Oh, no. Not tonight. Not now. And when I say blood, I don't mean a drop or two of blood. I mean gallons of blood. It's him. 
It's the ghost. Who else? Oh, to drive that churl Hiram Otis out of his mind. Oh, 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 misery. Oh, agony. You went right by us. He never saw us. Yes, I know. Now, let's follow him and see what he's up to. Oh, horror. Hideous horror. Hark ye to the horrifying moans of the vampire monk. My parents' bedroom. He's gone in there. Heed to the horrifying moans of the vampire monk or the bloodless Benedictine. Who's there? The vampire monk. See, I bend over you, a green, icy corpse. Watch as I crawl around the room with white bleached bones and one rolling eyeball. What are you doing on the floor? Huh? Oh, why, you're the ghost, aren't you? Well, please now, could you be just a bit more quiet? My husband has had a very tiring day and he needs a sleep. And you're certainly going to wake him up sooner or later with all that moaning and groaning. Well, I am a ghost. I'm haunting you. All right, all right, all right, but please do it quietly. You'd ride and ridicule me, would you? Oh, but please, you misunderstand. Pay for it. Ay, woman, pay with thy heart's blood. You've seen your daughter for the last time on this earth. For the last time. Jeff. Jeff, he means me. No, darling, he can't. If he didn't see us following him. I have seen you. I saw you there in the secret passage, but was too busy with other matters to be bothered with you. I saw you following me. From the back of my head, I saw you. Stand aside, Jeffrey de Canterville. I take your beloved with me into the next world. Oh, no, you don't. I warn you. You're a Canterville, and I would do you no harm. But stand in my way, and I will place on you, as I already have on them, the Canterville curse. No. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Stand aside, I say. Stand aside. Wait. Yes, if you wish to take me into the next world, all right, go ahead. But leave Jeffrey alone. Leave my parents alone. Don't harm them. You would give your life for them? Oh, Ginny, Jeffrey, she's gone, vanished. Yes. What does it mean? Oh, good Lord, what does it mean? Uh, what? Well, 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 what does what mean? What, well, what's going on oh, here? Oh, Hiram, that ghost, that ghost. He's taken Ginny. He's taken her with him into the next world. Oh, come on now. It's the truth. In heaven's name, Mr. Otis, wake up to the truth. The ghost of Simon de Canterville has taken Ginny out of this world and into his own. And you'll never see her again. And I'll... And I'll never see her again. What the devil are you talking about? It's... It's the curse of the Cantervilles. The ghost placed the curse on you tonight. Oh, what lies ahead for you, Mr. Otis? Yeah? What does lie ahead for me? I can't even begin to tell you. And even if I could, I wouldn't dare. sort of ghost, Sir Simon de Canterville. At one moment, he's 
almost gentle, tender, and the next in a towering rage. He acts almost like us humans, doesn't he? And like us humans, he may have jumped from the frying pan into the fire in abducting Virginia Otis. We'll find out shortly when I return with Act Three. short flight of wide stone steps somewhere in the nether regions of Canterville Castle. Steps stained by centuries of dampness. It is a place where rats and beetles might scuttle about, in and among the bleached bones of a skeleton which lies on the stone floor. Poor skeleton. One of its hands, manacled, claws towards the remains of a bowl which once held food. A door opens. A light appears on the steps. And Sir Simon de Canterville sweeps down the steps, dragging Virginia Otis after him. He flings her to the floor. Here lie my bones. Here soon shall lie yours. He whips a dagger from a case at his side, stoops, grabs her by the hair, and holding her head back, makes as if to plunge the blade into her throat. But he stops short. How can you look at me like that? Are you not afraid? No. You face death. Yet, you're not afraid. Do I face death? Will you kill me? What is to prevent me? You killed once out of passion and have suffered nearly four centuries for it. Would you dare again? I would. I, I would. Well, then... If I'm to die, I suppose I shall. Being afraid wouldn't help matters. But really, I'm not afraid. At least, not of you. <sighs> Eleanor was right. Eleanor? My wife. She says I don't seem to frighten anyone anymore, that I can't hack it anymore. Why do you want to? I'm a ghost. It's my only reason for existing. It's not a very good reason, if you ask me. It's no reason at all, if it comes to that. It's simply part of the punishment I must bear for murdering my wife. The Lady Eleanor? Yes. Why did you murder her? Jealousy. Unreasoning jealousy. I thought her in love with another man. I found out later how wrong I'd been. But it was too late then... I assure you my remorse was so great I hardly struggled at all when her brothers chained me in this dungeon and starved me to death. And that? That's your skeleton? Yes. Poor skeleton. Poor ghost. You must be very tired. As only a man who has not slept for nearly 400 years can be. But there'll be no rest for me, never any rest, until the legend of Canterville Castle is fulfilled. But I didn't know there was a legend. Jeff never told me. Oh, yes, yes. And when it is fulfilled, then... Why, then I shall sleep at last in the little garden far beyond the pine woods. What garden do you mean? The garden where the grass grows long and deep 
Where the hemlock flowers are like great white stars and the nightingale sings all night long. All night long he sings. And the cold crystal moon looks down and the yew tree spreads its giant arms over the sleepers. The sleepers? Do you mean the garden of death? Yes. Death. Would you help me if you could? If you could make the legend come true, would you? Yes. What is the legend? It is this. When a golden girl can win prayer from beyond the gates of sin, when the barren almond bears and the girl gives away her tears, then shall all the house be still and peace come to Canterville. What? What does it mean? It means that you must weep with me for my sins because I have no tears and pray with me for my soul because I have no faith. And then... And then, if you have always been sweet and good and gentle, that withered almond tree you have perhaps seen outside the library window... The barren almond tree, yes. That tree will bloom again to show... To show... Yes, to show... That the angel of death has had mercy on me. I should like to do that for you. I know. But you may fail. Yes. And if you fail, the tortures of the damned will be yours through all eternity. You must dare to go beyond the gates of sin. You will see fearful shapes, hear wicked voices. If you are the golden girl of the legend, you will not be harmed. But if you're not the golden... I tremble for you. Well, what is your answer? I will do it. Think, think. Be sure. Oh, do be sure. I am sure. Then turn, turn, and behold the gates of sin. <laughs> Shrink back. You are afraid. The shrieks. The laughter. Worse lies beyond the gates. Far worse. Ah, <gasps> uh, you are afraid. You are afraid. And I am doomed. No. You will go for me. You will go beyond the gates of sin. For you. For any other soul. And give me your hand. Let me kiss it. <gasps> Perhaps my lips, too, shall be cold. If you are the golden girl, I pray God you are, for your sake more than mine. You must release my hand now, if I'm to go beyond the gate. Yes, yes, I know, only... Let go. Let go. Go! No! 
Virginia. Come back. Come back. <laughs> Mr. Otis, there's nothing that can be done. Virginia's gone. Forever. Harold, it's all your fault. If we hadn't ridiculed the ghost, if we had just taken him seriously, all this would have been avoided. Uh, I got to admit you're right, Martha. But that doesn't help matters. All I want now is to get Ginny back. Safe and sound. She's gone. Gone. I've been a fool. I I thought she might be the golden girl, the girl of the legend. And I let her go beyond the gates of sin. Oh, no. If that be so, I am done with you, Simon. Oh, no, 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 not you. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. You're revolting enough to be human. I tried to stop her at the last moment. I tried... But it was too late. Too late. Too late. Simon. The nightingale. Eleanor. The nightingale. It sings. It sings in the garden of death. It sings. And the girl, Virginia. Oh, she succeeded. She must have. Simon, Simon, look. Virginia. Simon. You've returned. From beyond the gates of sin, you've returned. Did you think I wouldn't? Yes, yes, I I thought that. I knew I would. I'd not have gone past those gates if I hadn't felt sure. Then you are the golden girl of the legend. You are the golden girl. Are you saved now? Oh, yes, child, yes. I'm saved. After all these centuries, released. And you're the one who did it. Eleanor, she is the one. What can I do to thank her? What? What? Oh, Simon, restore her to her own world. What else, dear? My watch has stopped. What time is it? It's nearly three in the morning. Three in the morning? I've got a nine o'clock committee breakfast. I... I... Oh, what am I saying? Business. Business. It becomes a habit. My little girl is gone, but my first thought is if... Oh, God in your heaven, what kind of a man am I? Oh, Hiram, you're a good man. You just lost yourself in in making a living. Yes. Lost myself in making a living. Yeah. We spend too much of our lives making a living. We should spend more of it living. (laughs) I guess your ghost knows that, Jeff. I don't know whether he does or not. I do. What was that? I thought I heard... What? It sounded like Jimmy's voice. Yes, I thought I heard it too. You did, Jeff. I'm back. I'm here. Ginny! 
Oh, my God. Jenny. Oh, it's Jenny. Oh, my baby. Jenny, my Jenny, baby. Darling, where have you been? What Jenny, happened to you? No, no, Please, don't ask me. Don't ask me that ever again. Yes, but Jenny. Daddy, you... I love you, but don't... Please don't, not ever, try to tell me what to do with my life, my soul, again. Let me do what I want to do. What God put me into the world to do. You... You sound... Strange. No, no, not strange. Truthful. I've seen what... what lies beyond. Beyond this world. Beyond us. And we... we here on this earth, we think that we're the end of everything. And we're really only the beginning. Daddy. Dad. And Mom. And you too, Jeff. There's so much out there that we don't understand. So much. Ginny, what did you see? What's that? Not a bird at this hour of the morning. It's a nightingale, Mother. And... Come. Come to the window. I'm sure we'll see what I expect to see. Yes. There. Look. At what, Ginny? At what? The storm is over now. And the moon, a great white moon, sheds its light over the gardens. Look. The almond tree. The barren almond tree. Why, it's blossomed. I can see the flowers in the moonlight. And that tree, it's part of the legend. For centuries it hasn't bloomed, and, and legend said it never would until... until peace came to Canterville. And peace has come. Far away, beyond the pine wood, there is a little garden. There the grass grows long and deep. There the hemlock flowers are like great white stars. And the nightingale sings all night long. All night long he sings. And the cold crystal moon looks down. And the yew tree spreads its giant arms over the sleepers. Jeffrey? Yes, Ginny? He's at peace, Jeffrey. The Canterville ghost is finally at peace. This story, this beautiful story, we owe to a man named Oscar Wilde. Perhaps some of you know the tragic details of the last years of his life. Well, no matter. What's important is what he wrote almost a hundred years ago wrote what entertained you in this past hour and perhaps enlightened you too. It is better to live than to make a living. I'll be back shortly. Oscar Wilde is buried in Père Lachaise Cemetery just outside Paris. I visited his tomb. 
A tomb over which a sad angel with drooping wings weeps. And yes, I bowed my head. Not so much in homage to the man as to the spirit within him. The spirit within all of us. Our own private, very private, Canterville ghost. Our cast included Arnold Moss, Marion Seldes, Mildred Clinton, William Redfield, and Robert Dryden. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. The answer's still the same. No dog, no baby. Just be happy with these dumb plants. They're bad enough. They have the whole bloody windows. I hate you. You're lucky I let you keep them. I hate you. I wish you were dead. What did you say? I said I hate you. I wish you were dead. Did you really say... Hey... Hey, what? Hey, what's this? The bloody plants are on my neck. Hey, oh. hey, Barbara, they're all around me. They're choking me. I can't get them off. Hey, Barbara. Barbara, they're too strong. But, 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 Barbara, don't stand there. Get them off. Give the scissors. Barbara, the scissors. I hate you. I hate you. I hate Because of the Judiciary Committee's proceedings tonight, we've had to adjust our program schedule. Coming up next on KRLD, the CBS Mystery Theater. Then around 11.30 tonight, The World Tomorrow. At midnight, you can hear the sixth and concluding episode of the Monday night serial Earth at Bay. And now, the CBS Mystery Theater. The CBS Radio Mystery Theater presents... Marshall. The doors of the mind can be opened into corridors of unlimited possibilities, where time and place have a way of melding into strange and provocative patterns. Most ghost stories take place in the dark of night, or when shadows are long, and the moon is crossed by clouds. But we're about to meet... A ghost at high noon, on a blistering hot day without a shadow in the sky. In the course of our story, the two women who are embarked upon a fateful journey find respite from the merciless sun when they are drawn toward a barn from which comes a very human sound. So dank and musty. What a place for a baby. The sound comes from... from there. No. No, the sound comes from over here. From here. The sound is right here. Yes, and this is a crib. Marion, I know. I know there's no baby in it. Our mystery drama, Ghost at High Noon was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Elizabeth Pennell and stars Celeste Holm. It is sponsored in part by New Sugar-Free Diet 7-Up and Contact, the 12-hour allergy capsule. I'll be back shortly with Act One.
Buick introduces a new concept for you to consider in light of today's concern about miles per gallon. Range. Range is what you get when you multiply the mileage your car gets per gallon by the number of gallons your car's gas tank holds. Range is what you need to get you there and back, especially if you plan to travel even just a little. Range is one of the things that helped make the Buick Apollo such a special small car. A small car with range. It comes from coupling the Apollo's economical six-cylinder engine with a standard 21-gallon gas tank. It holds a lot, but it doesn't use a lot. Holds a lot of people, too. There's room for six in Buick Comfort. And the ride is Buick, too. In fact, the only place the Apollo may deviate from your conception of a Buick is in its low price. Look into the Apollo. It's what you'd expect a Buick to be, and a lot more than you'd expect a small car to be. Apollo. It's the Buick of small cars. On Oscar Mayer Wieners should be too. On the grill, at the beach, on a picnic, at the pool, on the boat, in the backyard, in the sun, in the moonlight, anywhere the fun is. They're quick and easy to cook and a real pleasure to eat. Oscar Mayer Wieners, America's number one. Make sure you've got plenty and get them on. Oh, I wish I story begins on a long, straight ribbon of highway in an arid section of the western United States. Marion Jeffries and Janet Marston are longtime friends who are returning home after having driven Marion's son to a summer camp. What a lonely stretch of road. I don't like it. Oh, come on, Marion. No road is lonely at 10 o'clock in the morning. This one is. George was right when he said we should make this part of the trip either very early or late at night. Well, neither of us ever gets up at dawn. <laughs> and I don't think two women should travel the highways after dark. Oh, I don't mind driving at night. Well, then why didn't you say so yesterday? That motel we stayed in was certainly no prize. Well, not so bad. Anything to get away from Homer for a few days. Mm, not from my point of view. Well, you can travel anywhere you want to at any time. Sometimes I do it only to keep from being bored. Nonsense. You don't know what being bored is like. I... I wanted to make this trip last longer. Really, Janet, it's an adventure for me. Well, I've enjoyed it, too. It's given us a chance to catch up. But I must say, this stretch of highway is deadly dull. Well, I wouldn't mind if it weren't so beastly hot. There's not a car in sight. Marion, I have an uncomfortable feeling that there are things ahead of us on the road. Oh, I'm glad you're not driving. But don't you see those wavy lines? Shapes rising up, coming closer, and then fading away? Sure, heat haze. 
And over there, look. Look. Nothing but bare, dry land and sagebrush. I swear I see buffalo. And Indians. Oh, <laughs> terrible Augustine has gone to your head. But I admit I'll be glad when we get to the next... Uh, uh-oh. What's the matter? We're losing speed. The, the accelerator isn't working. Oh, please, let's not have a breakdown way out here. Motor's dead. But we're miles and miles from anywhere. I know. Well, let's do something. We can't just sit here. I'm just running the battery down. Then we'll be in a worse mess. Are you absolutely sure we have gas? Well, of course I am. Look at the gauge. And you'll remember when we got it. I'll, I'll look under the hood. Isn't that what you're supposed to do? Well, if you know what you're looking for. Good Lord, feel that blast of hot air. You'd better get back in while I check the manual. It's here, somewhere in the glove compartment. Marion, it must be 110 out here. Ouch! Matter. The hood. It's so hot I can't touch it. Well, get back in the car while the air conditioning lasts. We just better let the motor cool off. Cool off? In this blazing sun? Hurry, close the door. So now what do we do? I feel so helpless not knowing about what makes a car run or stop running. George always says, oh, skip it. I'm going to study this manual and see what happens when a motor's overheated. Maybe if I put on these gloves. Gloves in this weather? Well, then I could open the hood and look for a, a loose wire you or something. stay here. We'll think of something. I'm thinking very hard. No barn, no tree. Marion, what if we really are... Take it easy, uh, Janet. I said this trip was an adventure, so let's make the most of it. Then I suggest that we get out and start walking. Absolutely not. The best thing we can do is sit quietly here in the car. That's not my idea of an adventure. Someone's bound to come along. Janet? What? Look. Look over there. Is your window closed tight? Make sure. It's a dust storm heading straight for us. That's not a storm. It's, it's someone coming. But there's no road out there. Nevertheless, someone is coming. Well, they must be choking with dust. It's almost too thick to see us. We'll flag them. We'll flag them down. I'll get out and wave this scarf. Only, well, fantastic. It's, it's horses. And Janet. Janet, this is unbelievable. Look at what they're pulling. It's a mirage. It must be a mirage. No, no they're real. Marion, you said I was suffering from heat Not this time. You do see what I see, don't you? A covered wagon. And a man who looks at least 150 years old. Morning, ladies. Good morning. Who, who are you? I'm usually called Old Tyler, but my name is George. <laughs> That's my husband's name. I do not have the pleasure of knowing your husband, Miss Jeffries. Oh, how do you know me? I have come to take you and Miss Marston to the village. He knows my name, too. Of course, I know your names. And now, if you will both come... You will fix the car for us, won't you? Oh, I have no idea whatsoever how you propel these remarkable new conveyances. But you knew we were here. You... You must have come to help us. Oh, yes, I am here to be of service. 
Come along, ladies. Murado is expecting you. Murado? Murado is the town beyond the hill. What hill? Over that away. Well, it's perfectly flat. You'll see the hill when we get to it. But a hill can't... Please, a... ladies, step into my wagon. But we don't want to step into your wagon. Uh, we would like to be on our way. This is your way. I don't think you understand. We're going in this direction, straight ahead. Unless there's somewhere we can wait until help arrives. I have to get home. I mean, my husband's expecting me. Mr. Jeffries does not know what day this is. Well, we know what day it is, and both of us have to get back. We live quite a ways from here, but perhaps if I could call my husband... Oh, he would never hear you if you called from here, Miss Jeffries. Marion, I think this man is not quite right in the head. We don't want to bother you, Mr. Oldtimer. Uh, what we really want is just to be on our way in my automobile. Ladies, your automobile will never take you to where we're going. But we're not going anywhere with you. Mr. Oldtimer, I think it would be best if you'd be good enough to go back to your town and ask a mechanic. A uh, mechanic? You know, a, a garage man. Someone who can fix an automobile. Why, no one in Mirado knows anything about automobiles. Marion, what are we going to do? I don't know. But if there is a town, as he says, I can't believe... My orders are to take you to Mirado. What do you mean, your orders? Why, you have come to help us just as I'm here to help you. Well, then help us, will you, please? Aye, that's better. Come along. You cannot sit here in the sun. Well, he's right, Marion. And I'm getting terribly thirsty. At least we could get some water and, and find a telephone. A telephone? Don't tell me your town is that primitive. I've never been privileged to see a telephone. But you will send someone for help. I will take you to Murado. That is all I can do. It's not nearly as uncomfortable as I thought it would be. That's your idea. At least the countryside is changing. It sort of lulls you. Why, look, Marion, there is a hill, and we're climbing. But the horses seem so tired and old. I mean, you think we're going to make it? We're almost there, down in the valley. That's Murado. Incredible. And Janet, look. There are houses. Houses. That means there must be water. We have a fine village pump. And people, and people who can help us. But this, this town is not on the map. I've studied the map very carefully. It shows nothing. Look down there, Miss Marston. See for yourself. Not very big, is it? But you must have a restaurant. We have a tavern and a church and a jail. What's the population? Well, that depends. Get along there, Jezebel. The street, Janet. Janet, where are the people? It looks... It looks deserted. No one round at this time of day. Why, Janet, it's a ghost town. Yes, you could call it that. But surely you don't live here alone. Oh, no, indeed. Now, will you please take us... Oh, no, oh! If you'll step down, ladies, 
You can get yourselves a drink at the town pump. I can hardly wait. Oh, this rusty old cup. But I'm thirsty enough to drink from anything. Mmm, I'd like to put my head under it. Feels wonderful on hands and arms. But it tastes so, ugh, so brackish. Hasn't been used in a long time. Now, where can we go for help? I will show you the points of interest. No sightseeing right now, please. But thank you. Do you have a, a telegraph office? Oh, no, indeed, Miss Jeffries. Scouts used to take our messages. Although there is now no reason to send a message. No reason? Tell us right now how to find someone who will go to the next town. Ladies, you are going to stay in Murado. Well, I suppose we're going to have to for an hour or two. You have come home, Miss Jeffrey. Oh, stop making jokes, Mr. Oldtimer. Murado is a place where people stay forever. Stay? In this deserted place? We'll soon see about that. Let's go to the mayor or to the police chief or someone, anyone in charge. You won't find them now. Not a soul till a stroke of noon. Why not? Someone must live in these houses. Where are the people? Asleep, Miss Marston. They're sound asleep. That store over there. Surely inside we'll find someone who... No one there yet, Miss Jeffries. Well, I'm going to look anyway. Will you come with me, Marion? Yes, but it's all so quiet and eerie. Not a sound. Boy, you'll hear sound, all right. In the barn, cross road, out in that field. What sort of sound? Find out for yourself. <laughs> You're not being very helpful. I don't like this place. Mr. Oldtimer, you have some explaining to do. You said we were expected. You are, dear ladies, you are. Who are you? How did you know our names? It was destined that you were the ones to be chosen this time. What are you talking about, please, Mr. Oldtimer? Chosen for what? On the hottest day of the year, when the heat haze spreads across the desert, Mirado comes back to life and claims two people from the modern world. There may be no new thing under the sun, but a frightening prospect confronts Marion and Janet if Mirado really has a living past. It is possible that George is merely a foolish old man touched in the head by too much heat. But on the eerie streets of a ghost town, you never know what sinister forces may be at work. The two distraught ladies seem to be getting further away from help with each passing moment. We'll return to them and the old-timer shortly with Act Two. Oh, somebody's been drinking my sugar-free diet and it's all gone. Oh, actually, I saved a little. Oh, a bear! Hiya, Goldie. What's brewing? That's Miss Goldilocks to you. Oh, come on, kid. You mean you don't remember me? The cottage, the three chairs, the porridge? Baby bear! In the fur. Been a long time, Goldie. But baby bear... Just call me B.B. 
You drank all the sugar-free Diet 7-Up, and I have to conduct another diet drink taste test today. Well, yeah, I saw the sign on the door, a professional taste tester, huh? But how can I conduct my taste test now? Why bother? I try those other diet drinks, too. You'll notice there's still plenty of them around. Why not ask me? Well, okay, B.B. Tell me, why did you drink all the sugar-free Diet 7-Up? I like the taste. Light, fresh, natural, sugar-free Diet 7-Up is definitely... Definitely unbearably delicious. Mm-hmm. What do you tell a husband who comes home and says, I just don't know about a vacation this year? <laughs> well, you tell him about Ramada Inn's family plan, where your kids 18 and under share your room free. And you tell him about the toll-free Ramada Inn's reservation number, 800-228-2828. At least that's what I tell him. KRLD, Dallas. Stranded on a lonely stretch of road when their car broke down, Marion Jeffries and Janet Marston have been taken to the strange ghost town of Mirado. In vain, they have tried to persuade their ancient escort to help them get back to civilization. But he has an unsettling way of insisting that they have come home to Mirado and that here they will stay. Their panic is growing with each new turn of events. Aside from the old man, there is no sign of life on the narrow streets. And so you see, dear ladies, we are happy to welcome you. We? You keep saying we. Where are the others? Later, Miss Marston. You'll meet them later. We really can't stay very long. Miss Jeffries, I'll show you to your quarters. My quarters? Truly, we are not planning to be here long. Come with me, both of you. We need you, Miss Jeffries, in the tavern here. Come, we'll go inside. Oh, I don't want to go in there. Oh, nothing to be afraid of. Come along. Janet, the pewter plate. Look. Look. And the glassware. Oh, my, I'd like to take these home. Maybe we are in luck after all. Marion, I didn't touch it. Honestly, I didn't. I just put my hand toward that goblet, and and it shattered. I... Follow me, ladies. Kitchen here is equipped in the best possible way. Why, it's covered with dust. That wood stove hasn't been touched for years. I think you will find that it will soon be ready for use. But who's going to use it? It's not for you, Miss Marston. <laughs> We have other plans, uh, but we understand that Miss Jeffries is a very good cook. What are you talking about? This stove is for you, Miss Jeffries. <laughs> Marion, your reputation has really gotten around. Me? Cook on that? Oh, I believe you'll get used to it. Well, who, pray tell, is there to cook for? You'll meet them all. 
At high noon. Marion, we have to get out of here. Oh, yes, Miss Marston. I'll show you to the place we have for you. For me? I'm leaving. We're both leaving. We have real need of a school teacher. And what makes you think that I know anything about teaching school? We know a great many things about both of you. But I haven't taught school We for... know that you like teaching school. And this is a fine opportunity... Stop it! I won't listen to any more. You said... Janet. Janet, I hear something. A voice from the barn. A voice? Oh, please, make it a human voice. I'll be back at high noon, ladies. The bell on the church steeple will strike the hour. And then, at one o'clock, it will all be over. Janet, I'm terrified. He's a man-man. Listen. Oh, I hear it. Hurry. There's someone in that barn. It's a welcome sound with a crying baby. There must be a woman nearby. Help me. Help me to open the door. Stop. Well, we've got to open it. I think it's starting to... This door hasn't been opened in years. How could... Pull harder. Oh, there. So dank and musty. What a place for a baby. The sound comes from over there. No. No, the sound comes from over here. Right here. The sound is right here. In the corner. Look. Look in the corner. I don't see anything. It's so dark. A crib. Oh, what a lovely hand-carved crib. You're right. This is a crib. But I know. I know. There's no baby in it. Marion, tell me you hear what I hear. A baby crying right here in this crib. But there is no baby. Are we losing our minds? Oh, Janet, be sensible. We both hear it. Well, there must be an explanation. Oh, I can't stand it. This spooky barn. Let's get out. Oh, we can't walk out on a crying baby. You look on that side, I'll go over here. But Marion, I'm frightened. I always was afraid of the dark. Janet, Janet, we've got to keep our heads. That baby must be here somewhere. It's weird. There's no sense to any of this. Now, come on. There must be something about the acoustics of this old barn. You... The crying has stopped. Oh, Marion, I'm scared to death. Listen to that bell. kept talking about something happening at 12 o'clock. Let's get back to town. I tell you, I'm afraid. Well, you're the one who doesn't like the dark. We can't stay in here. But the baby that was crying. But there's no crying now. There must be a reason. Come on, we've got to find out. Look, Marion. Out on the road to town. People. Thank heaven. Those two men in the field. Let's go talk to them. Oh, oh. Thank they aren't moving. They look like statues. Or that painting. Yes. It's the Angela. 
And that girl who's running. Only she isn't running. She's standing still. Twelve. Twelve must be the magic number. That girl is moving now, and she's coming this way. Little girl? Little girl? Can you tell her stop? Please stop. We want to ask you. She didn't hear us. She didn't even see us. Well, those two men. Let's, let's talk to them. Sir, would you tell us, please? Please, we don't want you to stop your work, but we do need your help. I mean, can, where could no use? They can't see us or hear us. This is impossible. They're here. Janet, you do see what I see, don't you? A man with a spade and a man with a hoe. Exactly. So I'm going to find out the way they're behaving. This can't be true. It can't be real. Nonsense. They're... They're ghosts. I don't believe in ghosts. Now, I'm going to make this man talk to me. Look out. You'll be hurt. That hoe is sharp. This man is real. His hoe is real. Marion, don't go any closer. I'm going to touch you. No. Marion, no. You can't grab his arm. Mister, mister, you have to listen to me. He stopped breathing. I'm not sure he ever was breathing. But he's standing there. His eyes. Look at his eyes. Let go of him. It can't be. It can't be. He's going right back to work again. What about the other man? No use. It would be the same thing. We can try. No. Marion, I can see the look in his eyes, too. He's... He's dead. Just like the other one. Let's get away from here. Tony, where can we go? Well, I'm coming around... I'm coming around to your point of view. We must be very calm and think this whole thing out very sensibly. Let's move as far as possible away from these robots. How about that hillside over there? Well, maybe if we sit down in the shade of a tree, we'll come to our senses. here. But Janet, we can't stay here. I'm getting hungry. <laughs> Maybe that old man was right. What do you mean? Perhaps you do belong in the kitchen. A terrible thing to say. Oh, I'm only kidding, Marion. But you were the one who wanted adventure. Enough is enough. Today will last me for a lifetime. That's what I mean. You're talking very strangely. I feel strange. I felt strange all day, ever since seeing those buffalo. What buffalo? Back on the road, when we were in the car. It all seems like such a long time ago. Oh, Janet, the heat, the heat haze, it, it's gotten to you again. Perhaps we're still back in that car. No, we're here, in Mirado. And that is the strangest part of all. I agree that Murado is a very unusual town. But now that it's 12 o'clock, if George was right, if we just go down to the center of things... Marion, do you really believe there is such a town as Murado? But, Janet, you can see it from here, just as clearly as I do. Listen. I've heard that sound before, when the old man came. No, but this is different. The way they're traveling, this must be young men. And they're heading down the main street. There, there must be someone who can help us. Ghosts. They're all of them ghosts. Janet, snap out of it. 
Come on. Come on. Where are we going? Back into town. I don't think I can stand any more of these ghostly people. But the horses, Janet. Maybe we can get some horses and ride away from this frightening place. I haven't been on a horse in a thousand years. Neither have I, but we can try. Oh, Janet, we can try. They all look so busy. What did I tell you? Fiesta time is over. Everyone's awake now. They're far from awake, Marion. Blacksmith shop's over there. And that should be the place to find out about the horses. Hello, ladies. How are you getting along? It's the old-timer. Thank goodness, Mr. Old-timer. George, please, please, we can talk to you. At your service, ladies. You'd better be of more service than you were the last time. Well, I know it was you who brought us here, but we... You see, we simply don't understand. It's all very simple, Miss Jeffries. You heard the clock strike yes. twelve? Yes, we heard the clock, and we can see the people. I had my orders. Everything will work out within the hour. Good. Then you will take us back to civilization. Nothing of the sort. As I told you before, you're staying here. But we don't belong here. Those other people, they're... They're ghosts. I told you over and over again. You have been selected. But you said at 12 o'clock we would understand. And that everything would be all right. It is, dear ladies. It is. We need you, both of you, to go with the others. We'll pay you well, very well, for you to take us away from here. Anything you ask. I do only what I'm supposed to do for Mirado. There is no such place as Mirado. Right before your eyes, Miss Marston. As you said yourself, it's a very busy town. Oh, Janet, come on. We're going to the blacksmith shop. I wouldn't dare touch one of those horses. Oh, they look gentle enough to me. That gray one, I mean, are they real? Of course they're real. And that white-haired blacksmith. He's not like those other men. Look at those rosy cheeks. Most likely from all that heat. I must say the fire looks real enough. Excuse me. Um, please? Please stop for a moment. It's important. We, we want to hire two horses. No use talking to old Sam. He's deaf and dumb. They're all deaf and dumb, every one of them. Lady, lady, you've spent enough time in here. There's someone waiting for you. Well, why didn't you say that before? You you found someone who can help us? Come along. We're going back to the tavern. Why, that sign in front of the tavern is new. It wasn't there before. Now, people have been working. Uh, right this way, ladies. Through the swinging door. And the door. It isn't rusty anymore. Someone's oiled the hinges. The place is crowded. Joe! Joe! Welcome back, old-timer. Glad to see you. Did you bring her? Janet! Janet, he can talk! We found someone who can talk! Well... Things are looking up. Or are they? At least there seems to be one other living soul in Mirado. But why did Joe ask that question, did you bring her? Which one of the ladies does he mean? It 
doesn't sound as though he's going to help them get away. Marion and Janet may be in yet deeper trouble. And the mystery of this ghost town is far from solved. I'll be back shortly with Act Three. Give your hand to a friend. Give your heart to your love. To your love. But give your allergy to contact. Allergy is our business, too. We know pollen. We know that any of the 12,000 quarts of air you breathe each day may contain enough pollen to make your eyes itch, make you sneeze, and drip. We also know an ingredient that helps block pollen's bad effects. It's the antihistamine most prescribed by allergy specialists. It's an ingredient in contact. Give your hand to a friend. Give your heart to your love. Tiny time pills in one contact keep this antihistamine working up to 12 full hours, all day, all night. Give your to contact. Take contact only and need only as directed. It's a real hot day. I'm soaking up the sun, and suddenly I say, antifreeze, right out loud. My wife says, huh? And I say, haven't you heard that song? You can never buy press on too early. Do it now, do it now, don't you wait. You can never buy press on too early. You can only buy it too late. It's a fact. A 50-50 mix of Prestone 2 winter summer formula and water, about two gallons for most cars, fights boil over because it helps your cooling system handle heat better than water. Fresh boil over protection and fresh corrosion protection too because only Prestone 2 has a patented silicone silicate inhibitor system. Nothing beats it for corrosion protection. Summer, winter, spring, or fall, you can never buy Prestone 2 early. You can only buy it too late. Trust Who can you trust? At the stroke of noon, the little town of Mirado seemed to burst into life. The streets are crowded now as people come out of their houses and go about what looks like normal, everyday business. And there are workmen in the fields. But something is wrong. If you or I should try to speak to these people, would they answer? Our two frightened travelers had no one to turn to except the old-timer. But at last, they have heard the sound of another human voice. A man named... Joe. I asked you, old-timer. Did you bring her? I certainly did. She's right here. Marion, which one of us is he talking about? Mr. Uh, Mr. Joe, is that your name? Did you explain to her that there is a great deal to be done? I tried. He didn't explain anything, Mr. Joe. You tell us. Oh, no use talking to him at this stage. He can't hear you. But he answered you. Why can't he talk to me? Not one o'clock yet. You're still in the other world. I'll make him talk. Your name is Joe. You run this tavern, and we need help. Old-timer, did you show her the kitchen? Marion, it's you he's talking about. We've got plenty of complaints today about the food. Look at all the customers. Yeah, looks like a full house. Did you show her where everything is? Try to, but so far, 
She doesn't seem to quite understand. Oh, she will. You tell her we'll take real good care of her. Nobody ever any more popular around this town than the cook. What'd you say her name is? Miss Jeffries. Jeffries. You stop talking about me like that and talk to me. You hear? Like I told you, Miss Jeffries, he cannot hear He's you. He's got to hear me. Now, please, please, Mr. Jones, you look like a sensible man. You can tell us what this is all about, please. Well, George, got to be going. Trouble in the kitchen. See here. He can't see you either, Miss Jeffries. Not yet. You tell that new cook she's very welcome. You're going to like working for Joe. He's a fine gentleman. Stop it! I can't stand anymore. Janet, that sad-faced woman in the corner. Let's ask no her. No use. I already tried. Just like the rest. That's Miss Crawford. Oh. Widow lady. You'll find her a very good friend when you get to know her. I want to know her right now, right this minute. You must be patient, dear lady. Not now. Uh, we're on our way to the schoolhouse. We're here, everybody. Get ready. Oh, Janet. What a darling one-room schoolhouse. No one-room schoolhouse was ever darling. Children are charming. What do you think of them, Miss Marston? Well, they all look like normal, healthy children to me. Only I know they're not. Oh, I don't know from minute to minute what to believe anymore. You had better believe, Miss Marston. The children are doing this specially for you. They look as though they're singing. They are. <laughs> Very nicely, too. Well, then why can't I hear them? Why? In time. You'll hear them when you are their teacher. But I'm not going to be their teacher. Miss Marston, our teacher is old, as you can see. All the children have learned songs and games. I didn't think anyone still used those little bells. What are they going to do now? I think it's time for arithmetic. Oh, what a bright-looking little girl. The one going up to the blackboard. Yeah, you see? Seven times nine... Seven times nine does not equal 56. That's just what I mean, Miss Marston. But that teacher is nodding her head. This is outrageous. It's just as I told you. We need someone like you around here. Why, I'm going up to that blackboard and put her straight. Oh, no, Miss Marston. You can't do that yet. But I'm going to. Don't do it, Miss Marston. Children, children, this number on the blackboard is wrong. Here's the way it goes. Oh, dear, this chalk... It, the chalk won't write on the blackboard. Don't worry, Miss Marston. Here, young lady, you take the chalk and I'll show you the right answer. They've gone back to that game. Here, now I want to show you something. It's no use, Miss Marston. None of them can see you. Well, then why did you bring me here? So you'd know what to do later on. You keep saying that. We've been looking for someone like you for a long time, Miss Marston. And you've come to us at last. You will be there, teacher. You must be joking. Everything is a ghastly, hideous joke. That will be enough, children. It's time for us all to go. Marion, I have a feeling that the stage is being set for some tremendous catastrophe. The is approaching. And I must get to my station. Old-timer, old-timer, please don't leave us. George, George, you're our only hope. It's one o'clock. 
Hurry! Hurry! Run to the town hall! Marion, listen, listen. I heard the clock strike one, but the people, they're all talking now, all of them, and they can see us. Look, look, they're beckoning to us. Let's catch up. It's dusty. Storm. The beginning of a terrible storm. Look, look over there. I told you. I told you. What did you tell me? This morning when I saw those buffalo and, and the Indians. The town hall. Hurry, hurry. Stinking piece of road. Come on. It's my favorite stretch of highway. <laughs> Glad it's not my Pete. Well, if you had the right car, you could do 200 miles an hour along here. Yeah, we'll watch it, but a cop's supposed to set an example. Bet I can do 150. Shall we uh, try? No, no thanks. <laughs> you never make it in this thing. And we're supposed to be saving gas, remember? Ah, this road's only fun when you drive as fast as you can. Especially on a day like today. You know, Sweeney, sometimes I just feel sorry for the poor slobs we haul in for speeding on stretches like this. Yeah, right along here's the best place to get them. You, you actually come out here on purpose just to give them speeding tickets? <laughs> sometimes, when I have nothing better to do. <laughs> hey, 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 slow down, will you? Why, why? There's something up there on the road. Heat haze. No, 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 no. Come on now, Sweeney, slow down, will you? Hey, I think you're right. It's a stalled car, that's for sure. Yeah, rotten place to run out of gas. California plates. Nobody in it. Maybe they're sleeping. Well, we'll soon find out. Uh, this is supposed to be your day off. But I'm still on duty, so here goes. No, 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 I'm coming too. Man, feel that heat. Nobody in the car, Sweeney. Oh, they'd be crazy if they were. I got the license number. If it's unlocked, there should be a registration. Find anything? Yep. Belongs to a Mr. George Jeffries, Vallejo Street, San Francisco. You want me to get that down? Okay. But where's Mr. Jeffries? Wait a minute. Ladies' gloves in here. And a scarf. <laughs> Because he wasn't traveling alone. It looks like women's luggage on the back seat, too. Say, you don't suppose it was some dame who got stuck way out here all by herself, do you? No. No, it's my hunch that there were at least two people in this car. Hmm. But whoever they are, they took the ignition key. Air conditioning. That wouldn't work if the motor conked out. Yeah. Well, which, which way do you think they'd go? Wouldn't be stupid enough to walk on such a hot day. We got a ride. Well, we didn't pass anybody coming this way. They must have gone straight ahead. Yeah. Could have been some time ago. Well, what do you think? Should we push the car off the road? Uh-uh. Car's in plain sight. No traffic. And Midway's only about ten miles. We'll find it there. Maybe I should stay here. Oh, you're off. Well, I mean, rock. just just in case, you Look, know. Sorry we don't have the patrol car. We did, I checked with headquarters. I'll make my report, and if there's any trouble, you can come back with me. 
We'll bring the tow truck. Okay. I got it all down. Sedan, color blue. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Get in. Let's go. There's something in this book I want to check. What are you carrying that thing around with you for? Boy, what a rookie. Well, I haven't worked this territory as long as you have. Maybe they'll assign me to a car out here. Oh, just ask me anything. I just want to make sure that there isn't some other town or farm or someplace where those people could have gone. Oh, nothing but desert for miles in every direction. Well, let's just see. There's Baker. Razor. Hey, Sweeney, huh? listen to this, will you? Listen to what? Ever hear of town called Mirado? Mirado? It's not around here. Well, it's a coast town, or at least it was. Old trading post. Uh, maybe a hundred years ago. No, longer than that. Well, then who cares about it today? I do. You know, you're really something. Well, just a minute. Can I read it to you? Read it, read it. Since I got nothing better to do, go on, go on, read it. It says here that uh, in August... Of 1846, a band of bloodthirsty Indians swooped into the little town of Mirado and killed all but one of its inhabitants. All but one? The lone survivor was a baby boy who was found asleep in a crib in a barn. There is a legend that once a year, the residents of Mirado come back to haunt the place. Now, what do you think of that? <laughs> I think it's poppycock. Made up for the tourist trade. Hey, look over there, that great big spiral of smoke. Oh, Johnson, you're a fool. That's a dust storm, and it's coming our way. Come on, step on it. Anyone else drove as fast as I'm about to, even you would arrest him for speeding. Some people believe in predestination, and almost everyone at some time in life comes across a ghost. Our traveling ladies may have met with an unfortunate accident, or perhaps they really were sojourners in time who found a better, or at least a different place to fit into the scheme of things. The ghosts of times past are all around us, and legends persist. The present is made up of the past, and a clock of one century tells time in another. I'll be back shortly. Ever had a tall, frosty glass of amplitude? Well, if your beer is Budweiser, you've had it often. Amplitude is a fancy word for the entire taste phenomenon, the total experience of flavor. Next time you take a healthy swallow of Bud, watch what happens. Think about the sensations you're experiencing. Notice how the flavor of Bud comes on nice and easy. Not too strong, not too quick, just right. Notice the clean, crisp togetherness of Bud's taste. Everything in perfect balance, with no single element jumping out at you. And there'll be no aftertaste either, no hanging on. And you'll be refreshed and ready for another glassful. Actually, butt drinkers have been experiencing amplitude for years, but they never phrase it that way. They just say, Budweiser, and that says it all. Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis.
Be grateful for the energy crisis this summer. It may keep you from driving along a deserted highway. Check your automobile and drive with care. There could be a ghost town waiting for you. Our cast included Celeste Holm, Francis Sternhagen, Nat Pullen, and Gilbert Mack. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. Now, a preview of our next tale. I've got some clues. I have those tire marks. They made a mold five years ago. And I've got this, this little button made of bone. It was clutched in Grover's hand. Take a look at it. I looked. It was a little button. The sleeve button. From a corduroy jacket. One of, well, one of a host of buttons that adorned that jacket. The jacket I had worn that night. I never even noticed the one that was missing. That jacket. I still have it. I don't wear it often. But I still have it. It's in one of my closets. What you're saying is that if you can find the jacket it came from, you've got your killer. That's right. I've got it. Radio Mystery Theater was sponsored in part by Buick Motor Division and Anheuser-Busch Incorporated, Brewers of Budweiser. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams... I'm E.G. Marshall. Sit down. Anywhere you like. I have a small confession to make. I am crazy about ghosts. And I cannot for the life of me comprehend why anyone should be afraid of them. What, after all, what do ghosts do? They haunt, that's all. To haunt means to visit, to frequent. In short, to hang around. What's so scary about that? A hopeful lover hangs around a lot. If an inspiring lover or a wistful compatriot can hang around without inspiring fear, why not an anxious ghost? Is it... Is it really you, Paul? Yes, Melba. It is I. Paul. Don't cry, Melba. something. What? Are you happy where where you are? 
I'm really sorry you asked me that, Melba. Our mystery drama, Ghost Talk, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Elspeth Eric and stars Lenka Peterson and Elliot Reed. Yes, ghosts haunt places. Traditionally, they haunt large, decrepit mansions with long halls, extensive staircases, and musty attics. But these big old edifices have all disappeared from our landscape, and it is more than likely that the ghost of today has to restrict himself to one-bedroom apartments with bath, kitchenette, and dining area. Poor ghosts. Will he give up haunting altogether, or will he do what we have done? Adjust. Melba? You have my number? Yes, Leonard. Both at home and at the office. If there's anything I can do, Melba, anything at all... I'll call you. Bless you, my dear. Oh, Paul. Where are you? Where? gone. Leonard Whipple was the last to leave. I'm all alone. No, I'm not crying. I'm trying to be brave and calm and, and remember everything you told me. Leonard said to call him if I needed anything, but I'm, what does that mean? I need my husband. I need Paul. Oh, no, Irene, I couldn't go to the movies. No. I'll just sit here and think about Paul. All the beautiful memories. Twenty-two years of beautiful memories. You know, Irene, I keep thinking all the time of what you said to me after the funeral. You said Paul will never be really dead as long as he's remembered. I keep saying that over and over... Paul isn't really dead as long as he's remembered. I want to thank you, Irene, for that beautiful thought. It means everything to me. Oh, Melba. Melba. How goes it, Paul? Oh, hello. It's Bruce, isn't it? I'm new here. I haven't got everybody straight yet. <laughs> you never will. It doesn't matter. Yes, I am Bruce. Mind if I join you? I wish you would. You had a particularly beatific expression on your face just now as I was floating by. Uh, I was thinking of my wife. My wife, Melba. Yeah, why? Why? Well, actually, because she was thinking of me. Remembering our wedding day. I was touched. You're really very new here, aren't you? Oh, yes, very. At the start, everybody is either touched that they're remembered, apprehensive that they won't be, or furious that they're not. Melba feels that no one is really dead as long as he's remembered. Is that what you want to be? Not really dead? It sounds nice. Well, it isn't. 
I don't know how you can say that. Because I happen to know. From bitter personal experience. My sainted mother remembered me every day of her life after I died. Till the day she died and joined me here. Since her arrival, I'm happy to say, we've exchanged precisely six words. A while back, she had the grace to apologize. I'm sorry, son, I didn't understand. Those were the six words. Sorry for what? For remembering me. What was she supposed to do? Forget, for goodness sakes. I wouldn't expect her to forget immediately, of course. That would be unreasonable. But as soon as possible, put me out of her mind. My life on earth was over. I'm sure she meant well, your mother. After you're here a while, you'll realize that everybody doesn't mean well. And quite often does a lot of harm. But your mother loved you. Then why not leave me alone to enjoy myself? Why wake up in the middle of the night to remember how handsome I looked the day I graduated from dental college? So inconsiderate. Why was it inconsiderate? Because, my dear fellow, if she kept it up long enough, I'd have to stop whatever I was doing and go visit her. Visit her? How could you do that? How? Well, the way it's always done. As a ghost, of course. Irene? It's me. Oh, all right, I guess. Leonard was here. We sent out for Chinese food. He left about an hour ago. Oh, I'm just sitting here and remembering. I got out the old picture album to show Leonard. (laughs) I don't think Leonard cares too much for travel. I wasn't sorry when he left. Looking at the snapshots and remembering the beautiful life I had with Paul, it seemed to bring him closer. Oh, I mean it, Irene. A couple of times, I, I felt as though he was right here in the room with me. Honestly. Bruce. Oh, Bruce. That you, Paul? I had a terrible time finding you. Well, now you have. I asked everybody where you were and nobody knew, and then Salome said, oh, he's probably out strolling among the stars. That's his favorite pastime. But I had no idea how many stars there are. You still haven't any idea. Actually, neither have I, and I've been here heaven knows how long. So far... This is my favorite galaxy. But, of course, I haven't seen them all. Has anyone, do you think? Oh, I suppose he has. He must have seen everything. Since the beginning of time. And before that? Ah, yes. What made you come looking for me? Something special? Bruce, I can't get a moment to myself on account of Melba. Your wife. You know what she did. She got out an old snapshot album and started looking over all the pictures we took on our vacations, birthdays, Christmases. Typical. They all do it. The worst part is she showed all these pictures to a friend of mine, of hers, ours, Leonard Whipple. He couldn't have cared less. She's really hanging on to you, isn't she? It's very nice of her and all that, but it's it, it's terribly exciting for me being here. Everything's so completely different. There she goes again, hear her. Paul, dear. Dear Paul. Hear that? Vaguely. She just keeps after me and keeps after me. Well, what about this Leonard Whipple? Well, he's a very nice guy, but he's not going to hang around much longer if she makes him look at pictures of our honeymoon in the Grand Canyon. Hmm. You couldn't just ignore her, I suppose. Well, she's my wife, and I love her. I mean... She was my wife, and I did love her. 
But now, things are different. I'd say so. <gasps> well, for goodness sake, look there. If it isn't him. Him? You mean it? Really? Him? I haven't seen him in eons. I never have. Uh, sir? Sir, please? Hmm? No. Oh, yes, yes, it's Bruce. Yes. Am I right? Yes, sir. And this is Paul. He's new. I know. Hello, Paul. I... I'm really thrilled to meet you, sir. The galaxy is looking well, don't you think? I love this galaxy, sir. You set it out so neatly. Mm. There's one star I've been concerned about. I think it's beginning to twinkle out. Uh, sir, as long as we were so fortunate as to run into you like this, could we have your advice about something? You know I dislike giving advice. It's for me, sir. I don't know what to do about my wife. Is she here? Oh, no. She's with the living. On Earth. Oh. And she's grieving. Well, that's to be expected. She'll stop after a while. She doesn't show any signs of stopping. I, I was wondering if I shouldn't, you know, appear to her. Bruce says it's a simple procedure. Well, you could do that, of course. I never thought very highly of that ghost business, so... Theatrical. Huh? But if it'll make her feel better? Mm, I suppose we do owe a measure of responsibility to the living. You think I could go back for a short visit? Well, you're free to do as you like. If I were to tell you what to do, you wouldn't be free anymore, would you? Well, if you just tell me what you think. No, I really can't do that. That would be tantamount to telling you what to do because of me being who I am. You see, you think I have all the answers. Everybody thinks so. Well, I don't. There are countless things I haven't found answers to. <laughs> However, like everyone else, I keep trying. Now, I really have to go to see if that poor star is feeling any pain. You'll both excuse me? He wasn't much help. Well, that's his way. Oh, dear. Oh, there she goes again. Bruce, I'm going to turn ghost and visitor. At least you've made a decision. How do I go about it? Well, there are no hard and fast rules. Actually, not many of us do it. It's, it's, it's considered kind of freaky. Freaky? Look how many of us there are and how few of them. If we all took to ghost walking, we'd have them outnumbered trillions to one. I don't care. I want to do it. I just need to know how. Well, you can do it in the old-fashioned way. Clanking chains, winds whistling through the trees, moon behind black clouds and all that. I don't think Melba would go for that. Well, then there's the crying, sobbing type of ghost. Inconsolable weeping. Since I don't feel particularly inconsolable. Well, then there's the ghost that flits through the halls, appearing and disappearing. Now you see it, now you don't. No, we don't have a hall, just a rather small foyer. Mm. Uh, can't I just appear in some simple, straightforward way, just say... Here I am, dear. You wouldn't want to start with one weird, uncanny shriek. I wouldn't know how. Or a sardonic laugh. Well, what would I be laughing at? Oh, life, death, anything in between. Well, if you don't want to do any of those things, things which he calls theatrical, then just appear. That's more my style, I think. But wrap a bit of vapor around you. After all, they need something to identify you by. And don't stay too long. And above all... Don't let it depress you. Why should it depress me? Mm -hmm. You'll find out, my friend. 
you'll find out. It never occurred to me that a visitation by a ghost could be depressing. Take now that well-known ghost of Hamlet's father, speaking spookily from the battlements at Elsinore. Of course, he didn't sound happy. How could he when his own brother had just killed him and promptly married his widow? He sounded angry, yes. Vengeful, yes. But depressed, no. And certainly not depressing, I'll return shortly with Act Two. Our moribund hero, Paul, has decided to return to Earth as a ghost and haunt the three-room apartment where he once lived with his wife, Melba. He has simply draped what remains of him in a shred of celestial vapor... And now, as he gazes through the living room window of what used to be his own tenth-floor apartment, he can scarcely be distinguished from the melting moonlight that floods the room inside. Nothing's changed. She hasn't changed a thing. Let's take our coffee into the living room, Leonard. Good idea. I think I picked the wrong time. Bring in that plate of cookies, will you? Right. Not those same old oatmeal things. I've always been crazy about oatmeal cookies. They were Paul's favorites. Set them down there. Mm -hmm. Cream in your coffee? Sugar? Uh, Black, please. No sugar. That's the way Paul took his. His after-dinner coffee in the morning. Cream and sugar, yes, but after dinner, nothing. Is that so? And milk in his tea. You don't say. That's the English way, you know. Milk and tea. I didn't know Paul was English. He wasn't. Oh, I see. Oh, way back, five, six generations, he was English, but... I, myself, was born in Wales. Is that so? Oh, well, that's near England. Richard Burton is Welsh, you know. For goodness sakes! Why, didn't you know that? The last movie Paul and I saw together had Richard Burton in it. I I wanted to show you something fascinating. Paul's World War II uniform. I've saved it all these years. Uh, no, I don't... Uh, not tonight. And his captain's bars. Some other time. I, I've really got to be moving on. Oh, if you really have to. Such a beautiful night. I think I'll walk home. Yes, a beautiful night. Oh, just look at the moonlight streaming through that window. Care to walk a ways with me in the moonlight? Oh, no, I don't think so, Leonard. I have a lot of things to do here. Well, if there's anything you need, you have my number. Yes. At home and at the office. Good night, Melba. Thanks for dinner. Thank you for bringing all that fried chicken. Oh, it it was nothing, really. Good night. Good night, Leonard. Oh, Paul. Dear Paul. I need you, Paul. Melba. Oh, I need you so. I'm right here. What was that? I said, I'm here. Paul? Yes, me, Paul. But, but, where? By the window, dear. I can't see you. I'll step inside. 
That'll be better. Oh, I see. I, I see something. You see me. I dare say I've changed somewhat. Paul. Can that be you? It is. I. Really you? Well, fairly really. Everything considered, as real as I can get. Oh, I, I can't believe it. Believe it, Melba. Oh, Paul. How are you? Oh, never mind about me. How are you? Oh, I'm all right. Really? All right? Everything considered. Everything considered, I'm better than all right. Paul, tell me, are you happy? Happy? I must know. Are you happy? I'm sorry you asked me that question. Why should you be sorry? Happy just isn't a word we use. Why not? Because it... It doesn't mean much once you've died. Oh, Paul, you're not saying you're unhappy. No, I'm not saying that. Then what are you saying? Look, Melba, I didn't really come here to talk about me. What about you? Well, naturally, I'm not happy. Why not? Without you? What about Leonard Whipple? Oh, him. What's the matter with Leonard? Well, nothing's the matter with him. He's just not you. Well, I'm not me either. Not the way I was before I... Oh, but I remember you the way you were. And as long as I remember... Melba, honey, I don't even remember me the way I was. You don't? Not very well. You remember me, don't you? Sort of. Sort of? Well... You were my wife. I'm still your wife. Not exactly. There'll never be anyone for me but you. Never, I swear it. Please, Melba. We are man and wife forever, for eternity. And now that I know you can return to me, not in the flesh perhaps, but even like this. It's strange. It's weird, but it's enough for me. I can live on as your wife and on and on till I join you. Melba. You don't know what you're saying. Oh, I knew you could never really die as long as I remembered you. And you see, here you are, living on. Hello, Irene. Me. Guess what? You'll never guess. Paul was here. Yes. Yes, yes. Right here in this living room. All right, then he's ghost, whatever. Well, he looked different. Yes, sort of steamy. Kind of like a, a street light on a foggy night. But I knew it was Paul, all right. His voice and the things he said and the way he called me Melba, dear. Well, it, he didn't say too much. I, I asked him, was he happy? Because naturally I wanted to know, but he wouldn't say. He wouldn't say he wasn't unhappy either. Isn't that weird? He wanted to know about me. Am I happy? <laughs> Isn't that sweet? And he asked about Leonard Whipple. Imagine him knowing I've been seeing Leonard off and on. Of course, I told him Leonard doesn't mean a thing to me, that there could never be anyone else for me. I said, Paul, we are man and wife for eternity. I said, you can never truly die, Paul, as long as I remember you. And then, you know what, Irene? There was this big, great, big noise, a, a crash, sort of. 
No, not like thunder. More like, like music, like a chord out of Beethoven or somebody. And all of a sudden, he was gone. But he'll be back. Like you said, no one is really dead as long as he's remembered. Sir. Oh, oh sir. May I speak with you? Mm-hmm. No. Oh, it's... Uh... Paul, isn't it? Sir, uh, could I have just a moment of your time? I have all the time in the world. I have all the time there is. But I don't quite know how much time there is, but I do know I have all of it. Uh, does that star look all right to you? Well, I, I wouldn't know. I, I don't quite know how a star is supposed to look. Please, sir. May, oh, may I... yes, 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 of course. You want to talk to me. Uh, what about? I... I've been back to the earth. My wife kept calling me. You said we owed some responsibility to the living, did so I... Did I say that? Yes, sir, you did. Oh, I wonder if I was right about that. These earth trips can be very upsetting. Mine was. My wife wanted to know, am I happy? They're all so preoccupied with happiness, aren't they? I didn't know what to say to her. I, I couldn't answer her. This woman I'd been married to for half my life, I couldn't talk to her. It was as though we were living in two different worlds. Well? Oh. Oh, oh yes, I, I see what you mean. Still, shouldn't I have been able to answer her? Well, what could you have said? Well, that that happy is a word that doesn't mean anything anymore. Happy is nothing without unhappy. The way pleasure is nothing without pain. The way health is nothing without illness. Euphoria is nothing without depression. Oh, you know what I mean, sir. I do know, yes. It's ridiculous to say I'm happy when I'm never unhappy. What I am is... What you are is... What? What I am is... Free. Yes. I'm free. I'm Paul... And I'm free. And I'm free to be Paul. No more, no less than me. Me, Paul. Sir, why couldn't I be free like that before? Oh, dear, I ask myself that same question all the time. The only answer is that I miscalculated somewhere. And I did give those people the power to think, to reason, to figure out the sensible way to do things. Why don't they use what I gave them? Why leave everything up to me? Theirs isn't the only planet in the universe, you know. I do have other things to look after, but the way they call out to me, they want me to do everything. It's, it's, It's not right. It really is not right. No, sir. I'm sorry, sir. Well, what's done is done. They'll just have to muddle through the best way they can. Uh, now, about your wife. Uh, Melba, is it? Yes, sir. Mm. Tell you what. Why don't you talk to Bruce about it? You two seem to get along so well. Yes, yes. Talk to Bruce. Now, excuse me, will you? Um, I really do have to go take a look at that poor star. Bruce, he just wasn't any help at all. Now, you listen, Paul. 
Suppose you had invented the greatest machine imaginable. One that would do, uh, oh, practically anything you can think of. How would you like it if somebody came running to you every time a bolt got loose and asked you to tighten it? But, Bruce, Mel says she's going to go on remembering me forever. We'll be man and wife forever till she joins me here, and then we'll still be man and wife. Maybe once she gets here, she'll change her mind. But she's only 42. She'll be remembering me for years and years and calling for me, and I'll have to put on that vapor stuff and haunt the apartment. And, and Bruce, it's so hard to carry on a conversation with her now. Didn't used to be, but now... You, You couldn't just ignore her. I love her, Bruce. Do you? Well... I did, for a very long time, right up to the moment I died. My last words were, I love you, Melba. At least, that's what I meant to say. I know I had it in my mind to say that, but I'm not positive I ever got around to saying it. Anyway, I can't just just brush her off. My, my. You do have a conscience, don't you? Well, I hope so. It's a very fine thing to have, of course, but sometimes... Look, there's only one thing you can do. What? Get married. G- married? To, to to Melba? No, not to Melba, you idiot. How could you marry Melba? She's there and you're here. Some marriage that would be. But then who... Whom would I marry? Oh, heavens to Betsy, Paul. The place is full of women. Have you ever seen Helen? Helen who? Helen of Troy, they call her. Actually, I've never met her myself, but from what they tell me... <laughs> Marriages are made in heaven, so it's been said. There are those who consider this a profoundly true observation, while others think it one of the silliest statements ever made. I myself have no opinion, at least none that I care to express here. But no one, so far as I know, has ever claimed that people actually get married in heaven. Melba was a wonderful wife to Paul. But as his widow, she leaves something to be desired. Two things. She won't stop desiring him, and she won't leave him alone. In his desperation, Paul has gone to his kindred spirit, Bruce, for help. The only advice Bruce could offer was for Paul to marry again. Not his earthly wife, Melba but one of the heavenly creatures who, like Paul, expect to live on forever in whatever place it is they live on forever in. You've definitely burned yourself out, little one. Too bad. Sir! Oh, sir! Now, look, Paul, this dear little star has burned itself out. Well, I knew it wouldn't be long. Uh, Sir... I did what you told me to. I talked to Bruce about my problem, and you know what he said? He said, get married. Married? He says the only way to make Melba forget me is for me to get married to someone else. Someone here. Where else? What do you think of the idea? Why do you keep asking me what I think? Can't you ever think for yourself? Well, I just thought... No, no, you didn't. 
You came running to me like all the others. I'm getting tired of it. Well, if you could give me a little advice. I gave you a little advice. I said, talk to Bruce. You talked to Bruce, and he told you what he thought you should do. Now, either do it or don't do it. Is it all right? Is uh, what all right? To get married. Here. Paul. The essence of this place is perfect freedom to do as you choose. It might work out, it might not. But that's true of everything, isn't it? It's certainly true of everything I do. Do many people get married here? Well, I don't know. I do know they don't come running to me to ask, is it all right? Bruce mentioned someone called Helen. Helen of Troy? Are you asking me to pick a wife for you? Now, what else do you want me to do? Tie your shoelaces? Help you with your arithmetic? Don't you people ever grow up? I'm sorry, sir. I don't care about your being sorry. That's too easy. I care about your achieving some measure of maturity. A bit of independence. A little simple sense. Is that asking too much? Tell me, is that really asking too much? Oh, sir, I... Sometimes I feel like giving up on the whole human race. You're, you're not going to cry, are you, sir? Why not? Who has better reason to cry than I have? Nobody, I guess. Uh. <sighs> However, we must all carry on, mustn't we? Never give up. That's my motto. Because if I gave up... Uh, don't oh, say it, sir. Please, don't say it. No. No, I won't say it. I wouldn't be so cruel, no matter how provoked. Now, Paul, I really must go to tend to that poor little star who, believe me, needs my help more than you do. Irene? It's me. Oh, just sitting around... Leonard asked me to go to that new steak place with him, but I said no. I didn't feel like it, that's why. Don't be silly. I like Leonard. He's a very nice man, but... Well, there's a beautiful moon out tonight, and I thought maybe... Oh, for heaven's sakes, what's that? Well, there was a terrible clanking noise just now. It scared me to death. Well, how could it be the radiator? The heat's not turned on yet. Is there a storm coming up or something? There's that, that whistling sound. Can't you hear it? Like a, like a terrible wind. Or maybe a hurricane. <laughs> what do you mean you don't hear anything? <gasps> what? There goes the moon. It must be a hurricane. I mean, the moonlight just stopped shining. How can it be shining where you are and not here? Oh, now it's shining here, too. Irene, are you there? Are you crying about something? I thought you were. No reason, I just thought I heard... Well, I heard somebody crying. More than crying, really sobbing. Oh, my goodness. Something just ran through the room. How do I know what? It disappeared into the kitchen. Irene, there's something here in the kitchen. It's laughing, terrible laughing. It couldn't be Paul. Because, because it couldn't be. Paul doesn't behave that way. He just comes to the window and says, Here I am, Melba, dear. It couldn't be Paul. Here I am. 
Melba, dear. <gasps> he just said it. Here I am, Melba, dear. Melba, I'm here. Irene, I'm going to hang up. I've got to find out if it's Paul. And if it is Paul, I've got to know why he's behaving so peculiarly. No, no, don't come over. You, you might scare him away. I mean, after all, I'm used to these things and you're not. Bye, Irene. Hello, Melba. Paul, is it you? No, it's not Paul. <gasps> oh, don't be frightened. I'm Bruce. Bruce? Who? I don't know any Bruce. I'm Paul's new friend. His best friend, actually. But why are you here? Why isn't Paul here? He couldn't make it tonight. Why not? Nothing's happened to him, has it? What could happen? Well, nothing, I suppose. Everything's already happened. Precisely. Well, then why isn't he here? I've thought about him and thought about him every single day and every time I woke up during the night. I've been over every moment of every day of every year we had together. That's just it. And I'm just about to start over at the beginning. Uh, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Why not? He's not really dead as long as I remember him. He's not really alive either, is he? Well, no, but... Melba, you're wearing him out with all this remembering. Wearing him out? Yeah, back and forth, back and forth. It's very tiring, Melba. You mean he'd rather just stay where he is? I think so. Oh, nobody wants to be dead and forgotten. Wait till it's your turn. I certainly don't want to be. Wait, you'll find out. Nobody wants to be dead and forgotten. That's because they haven't tried it yet. You mean to tell me that Paul wants to be forgotten? By me? If you think you could manage it. Forget 22 beautiful years? Oh, I, I couldn't. I, I couldn't possibly. What about having 22 more beautiful years with somebody else? Like who? Well, I've heard nice things about a certain Leonard Whipple. Leonard Whipple? I've heard he's very devoted to you. But Leonard's not Paul. Leonard could never be Paul. But he could be Leonard, couldn't he? If you'd let him. Paul is the only man for me. Always was, always will be, and that is that. Oh, Melba, Melba. Why do you say, oh, Melba, Melba, like that? Because you forced me to tell you something I really have no right to tell you. What? What is it? Hardly anybody knows about it. Just me. And Paul, of course. What is it? I shouldn't repeat it. No. My lips are sealed. It's too private. Does it concern Paul? Is it about Paul? You won't mention it to a living soul? I won't mention it to anybody. What is it? Paul. Paul is getting married again. Paul? Is getting married again? Yes. Who, too? I think her name is Helen. Is she pretty? I've never met her, but I hear she's very pretty. Young? I believe so. Oh, how could he? How could he? That's life, Melba. Life? Paul's not alive. No, but you are, Melba. Yes, I am. Make the most of it. That's my advice to you. Thank you, Bruce, for telling me what you told me. I really appreciate it. You're quite welcome. I don't suppose Paul would ever have told me himself. Oh, eventually he would have. Maybe. 
Maybe not. Well, if you see him, tell him I hope he's very happy with his Helen. I'll tell him. Nice to have met you, Melba. It's very nice to have met you, too, Bruce. I... Are you still sitting down or standing up? I can't quite tell. Does it really matter? Well, I'd just like to... I don't know, shake your hand or something. <laughs> Not necessary. Not necessary at all. I... I could see you to the door. No, let's just part this way. A fond adieu to you, Melba. A fond... Oh. He's gone. He just disappeared. Well, that's the way with ghosts. Who needs ghosts, anyway? With all their comings and goings. And the way they talk. Who can understand them? Hello, Irene? Irene, you are absolutely not going to believe what I'm about to tell you. You simply will not believe it. Bruce. Bruce, where have you been? I've been looking all over for you. Even Salome didn't know where you were. Where were you? I went to see your wife. Melba? What for? To tell her you were getting married. Bruce, you had no right to do that. Here, we do as we choose. He told you that. How did she take it? Shocked, of course. Hurt. What you'd expect. You told me you were going to tell her. I knew you wouldn't let me. I wouldn't have. For one very good reason. It's not true. What's not true? That I'm getting married. You changed your mind? Not exactly. I asked Helen. Yes? She said absolutely not. She says she's not the marrying type. But you didn't stop right there, did you? There are others. I asked Catherine. Uh, uh, I can't pronounce her last name. She used to be an empress in Russia. She laughed, fit to kill. And so did Amy and Louise and Marie. Even Salome laughed at me. Are you upset? Well, nobody likes to be laughed at. Yes, I'm upset. But on the other hand, I'm relieved, too. Bruce, I really don't want to get married. I never thought you did. Everything's so nice here, so free and sort of uninhibited. So peaceful. Leonard, it's Melba. You don't mind my calling you at your office, do you? Oh, that's good. How was the new steak place? You didn't go? On account of me, you didn't go? Well, I must say, Leonard... Oh, I, I spent the evening doing various things. Things that really needed to be done. Like, I got all Paul's clothes together and packed them in boxes. Tomorrow, I'll send them to some deserving charity. <laughs> Listen, Leonard, I was thinking, as long as you didn't go to that steak place, why don't you come over here tonight and I'll cook you the best steak you ever tasted? And hash brown potatoes. Would you like that? Ah, oh, good. We'll come early, and we'll have a martini first. Well, good for Melba. Good for Leonard. And good for Bruce. And for Paul, too. Good for everybody who faces up to a problem and solves it the best way possible. The solution may not be a perfect one. Solutions seldom are. But at the very least, 
They are an attempt to use the sense we were born with. And that's all God asks of any of us. I'll be back shortly. You do realize, don't you, that the story I've just brought you was all pure fantasy. I don't know any more than you do what happens to us once we have resigned this terrestrial life, and you know as little as I do. Unless, of course, you are a ghost. Oh, if you are, I wish you'd get in touch with me. I have gobs and gobs of things I'm dying to ask you, like, uh, like, uh, well, well, for one thing, are you happy? Our cast included Lenka Peterson, Elliot Reed, Robert Dryden, and Gordon Gould. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. And now, Mystery Both his parents were dead. So far as he knew, 
He was alone in the world, but his background was Irish, and he had some vague memory that an aunt and uncle were living still in the old country. So he decided to spend the two weeks on a vacation, which was to change his whole life. Nobody's going to believe this, but it's exactly what happened to me in Ireland. After roaming around a few days in Dublin, I took a train for Ballinasco and Galway, to the west. The only clue I had to my uncle and aunt was an old postcard with that postmark, and their names, Sean and Mary Day, which is sort of equivalent to John and Mary Smith. I didn't have much hope of finding them, but it was a joy just to have nothing to do with my last three days playing detective. No one was more surprised than I when a ruddy-faced little gentleman walked up to me at the station. Sure, now I couldn't be mistaken, but just for the politeness of the thing and observing the formalities of soil, but you wouldn't be Brian Martin from America. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> and now you're the wondering who I am. Uh, well, yes, I am. I am indeed. <laughs> I'm your great uncle Terence on your mother's side, once or twice removed. I was born on the wrong side of the blanket, they say. Oh, I, I, I don't know my personal care. For sure, in my own opinion, I was a changeling, which accounts for my close association with, with the... Uh, uh, that's of no matter for the moment. Terence Cushkin is the name. Terence Kinsella Lonnie Cushkin. But sure, Uncle Terence was first. It's the way most people know me. Well, I, I, I'm so puzzled. Um, how did you know me? I was a little cart and a pony waiting. Oh. And if we want to get to your aunt and uncle before dark, I'm thinking we'd best get along. And I'd tell you all on the way. <laughs> I don't mean to be rude, sir, but I still would like to know how you knew I was coming here today. I only made up my mind on the spur of the moment this morning. Now, that's where you're wrong, do you see? What do you mean? Well, say we're riding along. Would you like to get a dash of poutine to warm the pockets of your heart? Is that the Irish whiskey you make out of bog water that's about 180 proof? Uh-huh. The same? Uh, no, thanks. No, that's the stuff I had last night in Dublin that knocked me out like a mickey. It's still not over. <laughs> Well, now then, to answer your question, yeah. how I knew to expect you. Uh-huh. Do you remember the little chap in the green bowler you met at the snub last night? Oh, yeah, I remember him. He, he introduced me to this nectar. <laughs> well, now, McGoose is a friend of mine. Well, that's not what he said last night. That he wasn't a friend? No, I mean, that, that wasn't his name. Oh, he probably called himself Mighty Mahan or some such. Yeah, that's right. Sure, that's what he uses us. As a cover when he's out and about the town. <laughs> what is he, a, a secret agent, the IRA or something? Not him. He's all peace and goodwill. He's a leprechaun. A leprechaun? That's right. Oh, oh, oh God, come on, Uncle Terence. Stop pulling my leg. Michael Mahan was no leprechaun. Did he have a little green bowler? Well, I don't know if you could call it green. It was green. Old. And then he had pointy little ears just under his apron at the top, like. Well, as a matter of fact, medically, I was interested because the auricular cartilage was strangely shaped. The, the what, what, what? At the top of his ears. Ah, there, 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 there. You see? You see? There's your answer. Enough to convince an American. Anyway, your friend the leprechaun sent me a message in a way that we have. 
And that and this would be the greatest put-on of all time. You're not going to tell me you're a leprechaun, too. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. I, I know that a banshee, you might call me. But with special privileges. Oh, yes, quite special. Uh, but that can wait. Oh, Marina. Oh, oh. oh, is this where my aunt and uncle live? It is. Sean and Mary Daly? That's who they are. Are they expecting me? Good. Best you know, but you'll be welcome, son, as welcome as the flowers in May. <laughs> you take your bags and, and jump on down. Aren't you coming in with me to introduce me? I'm sure you're a nice, well-mannered lad, and you'll manage by yourself. But it's time enough to put Maureen and the cat and myself away till any of us is needed. God hold you in his pocket till we meet again. We are going to, aren't we? Oh, yes, indeed. I don't know how to really arrange, but I have plans for you in the future of more than one. At the moment, he was calling it back to me. The twilight was upon us. It must have been some trick of the rising evening mist, but I swear, before he reached the corner of the building, Uncle Terrence, the old-fashioned cart, and Marine, who pulled it, seemed to disappear in the gathering gloom. Good evening to you, young gentlemen. Uh, excuse me, uh, are you by any chance Mrs. Sean Daly? I am that. Uh, did you have a brother who emigrated to America called Thomas Mackin? I did. And you're from America? Yeah. You couldn't see. It's a spray in your eye. Brian Larkin, whose mother was Marcus Denise. That's me. Hi, Aunt Mary. Oh, Brian. Oh, my darling boy, my darling boy. Oh, forgive me. Come on, Gwen. Sean, Sean, will you look who's here? It's Tommy, son, and Marcus. This is your Uncle Sean. Well, it's a pleasure to meet you. Oh, sit down, sit down. Sean, take the boys back. Yes. yes. How right. did you ever find us? Oh, it's been years since we lost that. Sean and me had to move to sudden like, and our letters seem to go astray. Now tell me about Tom and Mark. Well, uh, uh, mother and dad both died suddenly oh. within a month of each other. Oh, I, I've been so busy burying myself in schoolwork, I didn't... Well, I, I let everything else oh, go. Oh, you poor garden. Oh, if I'd known. Oh, you must tell me all about it. Can I get you a wee nip to settle you? Oh, no, 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 thanks. I'm learning to be careful of Irish nips. Well, then I'll get you something to eat. Now, you'll stay the night with us in a few days. Sure, I, I, I've got till the weekend before I have to catch my plane home. Oh. Anyway, I, I'll wait to have dinner with all of you. Aunt Mary, Uncle Sean, Uncle Terrence. But uh, Uncle who? Uncle Terrence. He met me at the station, brought me here. I'd never found you without him. He just went to put the horse and cart away. Hmm. A little mare with one black eye and one white? Yeah, that's Maureen. And did you expect to meet him at the station? No, no. He absolutely floored me. I mean, the only reason I came to Ballinaslo was because I found an old card from you to Mother with a postmark. Uh, I was just taking a wild stab in the dark that someone might know about you or where you live. I wanted to... Well, I, I mean, as far as I know, you are my only living relative. Oh, we are, darling, we are. I didn't know about Uncle Terrence and... Well, and what, Brian? You can be free with that. Well... I, I, I don't know what to say. He talked about 
uh, leprechauns and banshees, and, you know, that sort of thing. Oh, I might have thought he was a little, uh, uh, I guess you'd say touched, except for, well, I shouldn't talk this way. I loved him. He was, he was fun and amusing, full of a wonderful zest for life, but sort of scary, too. Is he the same at home here? Oh, he can be all of those, though we don't see much of it anymore. Uncle Terrence is a great problem oh, for us. Oh, I'm sorry. Nothing to do with you. I hope you won't tell him some of the things I just said or, or intimated when he comes in for dinner. I mean. Yes, yes, he, uh, he won't be here for dinner. Oh, oh, I thought he lived here. Well, uh, so he does in a sort of way. I think it's time that we told the bride the truth, Sean, as best we can. Uh, yes. Well, you, uh, you had a good long look at Uncle Terrence. He, uh, he wouldn't forget it. Oh, no, no, never. Look behind the picture and make sure... Yes. Yes, he's back again. Now, come here. You see this portrait, Brian? Now, would that, uh, would that be Uncle Terrence? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's him. That's him to the life. You're not exactly. The gentleman you are looking at has been dead these 35 years. What? The only problem is that uh, he won't stay decently in his grave. So Brian Mackin has come all the way to Ireland to find a real uncle and aunt. And in addition, a quite unreal uncle. A man who appears to be able to rise from the grave full-bodied by the mere device of having his portrait turned to the wall. No wonder Brian is convinced that it's all illusionary, a pipe dream programmed by that potent potheen. And yet, this is only the beginning. I'll be back shortly with Act Two. again to our world of fantasy and a young American trapped in a web of superstition, illusion, or perhaps just the spell the Emerald Island can weave so easily about any visitor to its shores. Still, whatever doubts and fears he may have taken to bed with him, they are all dispelled by a glorious sunrise that wakes him up with cock crow. face to the east, with the sun streaming in and striking shafts of golden light from a blue river a few miles away. I climbed out of the host of warm blankets and quilts that covered my bed. <laughs> the room was cold enough for me to seek the sun's warmth directly. And it was there, at the window, I first saw Sheila. She was not a small girl. She was tall and sturdy. But she walked as though each footfall was no heavier than a feather landing on the ground. She had long brown hair and purple eyes, with a wide mouth that, well, once I saw it break in a smile, made me make up my mind this was going to be my gal. Since she was approaching the house carrying a basket, I don't suppose I ever dressed faster in my life to get down in time up in this meeting here. Good morning, Brian. Did you sleep well? Oh, yes, sir. 
sleep I had since I can remember. Ah, uh, sure, 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 sure. It's enough for an useful type. Well, that cock was clawing. And... Ah, that old rooster, he's no fake. <laughs> Small use is the hens anymore. His best days being over. Never a chick in the last two years. There's not over four or five layers we have left. So she let her me. We have a bargain. <laughs> oh, you must have met Sheila Shamsit in the next farm over. Sheila, this is my nephew, all the way from the United States of America. It's a pleasure to make your acquaintance, Mr. Uh, uh, Mackin. Uh, Brian Mackin. Oh, it's a good West Country name. Mr. Mackin. Uh, my grandfather came from here. Uh, from Galway, I mean. <laughs> they say he was quite a bully boy. Aye. Well, those days will pass, please Still, the way things are, we were better off with the shillelagh than the gun. Oh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Anyone who plans to be a doctor... Is that what you're going to be? Well, I, I already am. I mean, I graduated and have my license. Now I have to intern and be a hospital resident for a few years till I start out on my own. Oh, that's grand. I have a great admiration for doctors. No, no, then this will have to hold, or the bread will burn up on us. And I want you to get it home with a bit of heat left in it. <laughs> this is Mrs. Daly's bargain with me. I bring her a basket of eggs, and she bakes the most delicious bread this side of heaven. <laughs> ah, here's no, here's the basket. Keep the towel tucked in good and tight, then. Never fear. Uh, that's, that's a heavy basket, uh... Why don't I carry it for you to your house? I was going to give you your breakfast. Well, uh, wait. I always like a little exercise before I eat. Ah, well. You'll be after getting that, all right. It's a good mile and a half to Sheila's place. Oh. And a road like a switchback all the way. Oh, the basket is nothing. It's light as a feather. No, I, I really would like a walk, if, if, if you don't object. I don't object. I have a curious turn of mind. And I'd like to hear all about America. Oh, what I'd really like to, to be able to do is to show it to you. But why don't you show me Ireland first? Yeah. Was that Sheila O'Connor then? The same. Oh, now, Dabbit. Well, well why, why didn't she wait long enough for me to get down and, and get my little morning pack on the cheek, eh? <laughs> sure, she has little interest in an old gaffer like you. <laughs> But you should have seen her reaction to Brian and his proposal. Uh, well, will you look at the two of them? She's over shoulder high to him. Oh, what a fine couple they'd make. Oh, don't I know it. And don't I know just as well I should never have let the boy go off with even a pinch of hope in his heart. No, and she can't ever be for him. <laughs> That in Chicago, they have a building that's 96 whole stories high here. <laughs> yeah, that's true enough. That's so damn high that half the time the people on the top floors can't tell what to wear when they go out. Well, how is that? Well, you see, it's air conditioned. And when the cloud cover is low, they can't see down to the street, so they don't know if it's raining or snowing or cold or hot or what. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just imagine that now. Living above the clouds. It'd be a sort of fairyland. Huh. Nothing like the one you live in here. Right on the ground. Oh, sure. Air is oh. lovely. But there are other lovely places in the world I'd want to see. Hey, you know a lot about America, anyway. 
Well, I watched the telly, you know. And I read a lot. And I... Oh, here. What wind did you are? Oh, slow down a bit. Oh, it's just downhill. Up and down like a roller coaster. That's what Mrs. Bailey meant by a switchback. I'm surprised to find myself so out of condition. Will you be staying with the Baileys? On one condition. What's that? That you'll take another walk with me. Tomorrow's Saturday. We could take a picnic lunch along and climb that mountain over there. Oh. I'm afraid I couldn't do that. You have another date? No, it's not that deep. Well, you see, my dad's dead. It's just my mother and me, and she's half crippled with a rheumatism. Oh. I couldn't be leaving her all alone all that time. And then, well, there's the farm chores to do. Well, I could, I could come over and, and help you get those out of the way. Ah, oh, Dr. Mackin. Oh, Brian? Yes. It's a bit soon, Laura. If you want. Brian. Well, it's just no good. It's not the way it should be. You, you don't want to go with me? Is that it, Sheila? Sheila. I do want to, Brian. I do. Oh, well, then come. You'll be my only chance now. I'll meet you. Here, by this bridge we're about to cross. And before dawn tomorrow, so we'll not be seen. We'll spend a whole long, lovely day together. There's no one the wiser. But, but can I tell Uncle Sean and Aunt Mary? Well, don't tell anyone. It's our secret. But the picnic... I'll take care of that. Now, you leave me here. Till tomorrow, it's the fourth Thursday. Whatever you say. Sheila. I know. So do I. God help the both of us. She was gone in a second with that light, loping stride that covered ground almost as fast as a man running. I watched her as long as I could, away down that dusty, twisting, hilly road, appearing and disappearing, till at last she was out of sight, but not out of mine. Never out of mine, Sheila. Just her name was a song of love. But fortunately, as it turned out, as I came back in the house, the first thing my eye fell on was the portrait of Uncle Terrence. And for the moment, Sheila was out of my mind. Oh, no, 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 thanks. I, really, I couldn't eat another thing. Now, the only thing I'm hungry for now is information. About Sheila, is that you mean? Uh, Sheila. Uh, no, no, I... I'd rather find out about her directly. Uh, Brian, I, uh, about Sheila, maybe I ought to tell you something. Uh, no, Uncle, I, I, I'd rather for the moment stick to Uncle Terrence. Hmm? Now, you said he's been dead for nearly 35 years. Oh, yeah, two years almost to the day before that portrait was painted. He died in 1940. Now, are you sure of that? Oh, sure, I know it well. I was just a slip of a girl, not married to Sean yet. But it was the biggest wake this part had always ever seen. Ah, it was a pity he couldn't have enjoyed it for himself. 
He always was the life and soul of them with his stories now. Ah, yes, he does dearly love a wake just as much as a wedding. Mm, I did, uh, Sean. Did what? I did love a wake. But, Sir, look, I saw him last night. I talked to him. He brought me here. Now, now, lad, you'll have to remember, you had a wee drop taken, and Portin can scramble a man's brain. I can't believe that the... How did Uncle Terrence die? A hero at Dunkirk. Dunkirk? Ah, he was in the First World War, you know, in the Navy. And nothing would do but he had to be in the last big one, too. But a man 60 years old, they wouldn't take him. No. So he joined up with the home guard. When the retreat to Dunkirk came, with his Navy experience, he was taking a boat back and forth the whole three days. And when he saw that it would be his last trip, he found one of the fighting boys to take his ship back and gave up his own place to stay behind with a machine gun. The last boat out, just ahead of the Jerry's, brought him back. Uh, oh, they say he had more lead in him than salt in a full salt cellar. But his finger was still wrapped around the trigger of his gun. It was a sad way, that, Uncle Terrence. Mm. The only sad one I'd ever been to. Although... None of them are the same without him to keep the joke flying. <laughs> Even Michael, my hand had not the sorrow in him. Him who always had a twinkle in his eye. I remember him just standing in front of the portrait there. Just standing. Not even drinking from his glass. And do you remember what he said? He didn't say, he didn't say, he didn't say, he A blast of a boy, Terence Mibacco. And you should have lived a hundred years. But don't you worry. We'll see you do. I always wondered what he meant by that. Well, now, don't you see? If he was McGrewish, I mean, if Mahan was a real leopard... Now, push, boy. Don't let our Irish fancies run off with you. Sure, all he meant was he wouldn't be soon forgotten. Well, now, I, uh, I have to be off to work, and Mary has things to do, and, uh, and Brian. Mm. Don't dwell on Uncle Terrence. Uh, find some other thoughts. To fill your head. Yes, I. I have. I have. And that's the great box to the north. Don't ever go near there, Brian. Why not, Sheila? Once the beast catches you, you'll never get free. And they say it'll swallow a man in less than a minute. To the southwest, there's the rest of the Schleswig Mountains. The ones we're in now. And the way down there. What's the matter? Are you cold? How could I be cold with your arm about me? Bold. <laughs> That's what I am. Bold. Because you love me. And how could you be bashful with a man who loves you now, tomorrow, and forever? <laughs> I, I just can't believe my luck. Don't. Don't what? Oh, Brian Wayne. Don't say anything else. It's all been madness from the start. Love from the start. For us, the same thing. I should never have allowed you to. But I wanted. I loved. I'm sure God can't punish me too deep for just one day of all I've dreamed. Kiss me. We've got to go. It's twilight already. Oh, just a little longer. And what about tomorrow? We have no tomorrow. Just 
W.S. Gilbert, probably the finest lyricist of all time, who wrote of John Wellington Wells that he was a dealer in magic and spells, in blessings and curses, in ethel-filled curses, in prophecies, witches and knells. I mention him only because it brings us back to our story of magic, fantasy, and so far, pleasant sorcery. But will it remain that way as Uncle Terence's picture rocks on the wall and once again we hear the eldritch scream of the banshee wail? I'll turn the picture to the wall. But if he's going to appear, he'll only be to the one who turns the picture. I think this time we'd better let it be Brian. Look, I'm not going to ask any questions anymore. Just leave me alone. I'll, I'll turn the picture. But Brian! Come away, Mary. We're out of this entirely. All right, Uncle Terrence. Wherever you are, I'm about to turn the picture. And all I say is, you get me, Sheila, or show me how to get her. I don't, I don't care what the price is, short of my immortal soul, and I'll pay that gladly. Uh, here you go. Ah, who wants your immortal soul? Where are you? Turn it on. You have eyes, haven't you? Sitting right here in the fireplace, Nook. Oh, uh, what are you? Fact or fiction? Oh, why now, in a manner of speaking, I say somewhere in between. But does it make any sense to talk to you? Ah, oh, the sense in the word. Even suppose I believed, uh, if you're a banshee. Now, what's the matter with a banshee? That's well, evil, isn't it? Ah, the abysmal ignorance of the word. A banshee, young man, is a domestic spirit devoted to the care of its own particular family. Oh, well, are you going to help Sheila and me? Oh, sure, I'm going to do my best, but I'm not in fat of her. We'll have to be quick and nimble as the devil on this one. Well, why can't I just go to this Malachi Malloy and straighten it out, man to man? To begin with, did you ever see him? No. Oh, he's formidable, lad. No doubt of that. The man is a giant. And he's made of steel. Well, look, whose side are you on? Mine or his? Easy, lad, easy. Am I not the Banshee, and aren't you one of the family? Besides, he's a black Irish as if there ever was one. But I've got to take thought of this. If you're to have the chance I brought you here for in the first place. You brought me here? Well, sure, you didn't think as an American you'd have enough sense to get here and pick the right Irish girl for yourself. Now... Let me go on back up to my frame and get everything shipshape and squared away. I'll see you on the morrow. And watch your step. Uncle Sean and Mary were off the bed by the time our conference was through. I was grateful. I didn't want to talk about Sheila or her intended husband anymore that night. I hoped to sleep, but I tossed and turned till morning. And then made the mistake of stepping outside the house for a breath of air. Coming down the road towards me was a great mountain of a man, all covered with black hair wherever his clothes didn't conceal it. The one thing his clothes could not conceal were the bulging muscles that strained at every seam. He was a good five inches taller than I was and thirty pounds heavier. Um, Would you be the American, Brian Mackin? Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's my name. I'm Malachi Malloy. I kind of get that. I'm of the understanding 
that you took my intended bride up the mountain yesterday. Well, she was kind enough to take me up for a picnic and show me the countryside. A picnic, was it? And the grass stains all over her dress? I should have brought a whip. But instead, I'm going to beat you with my bare hands. Malachy, Malachy, don't. Now you tear her, Sheila. What's going on, Brian? No, it's just, just a little something between me and Mr. Malloy. Oh, the Lord be praised. Keep him apart and kill him. Oh. Don't touch him, Malachy. Now you stay back, woman, or I'll kill him. So put your hands up, Macken. If God always defends the right, he was out for breakfast that morning. Now, I'm not exactly a... Oh, and I, I usually can take care of her. Myself in a, in a fight. This was a Willie Pat against a Marciano. He just made hamburger of me until he stopped and turned with me lying at his feet. Have you learned a lesson as well as him, Sheila girl? If you haven't, I'll beat him to death. I'll make sure he never rises again. Oh, it's yes, Mary's name, leave him be, Matthew. I'll marry no one but you if you'll just leave him be. All right, so be it. Now get out of this country tonight, Martin, or I'll wring you in the neck like a chicken. <laughs> Who's that? Open the window and let me in. Quick, tell I'm saving in the daylight. Oh, good Now, watch out for it. Let me in there. And close those curtains before I disappear entirely. There. Now, sure, that's better, better, better about this. But where are you? You're just the portrait. How could you get to the second floor window? Oh, God, the only trouble I ever found with a girl is they talk too much. The answer to it all is, I'm a banshee, and I look out for my own. Brian is one of them. Oh, how is he? Was he so hurt? Oh, a few bruises, or maybe he lost a tooth or cracked a rib. But what's that? A broken heart. You should know. Am I right? If you mean the way I feel it, I'm getting ready to tie a sack of potatoes around my neck for myself in the shannon. Well, now, that'd be a whole lot ahead. Oh, now, I have a better idea. How would you like to meet Brian at Connelly's Gate on the way into the Great Bog tonight at midnight? I can't. I can't do it. I owe my father his death. And besides, Malachi would kill him. Ah, all right, all right. Spare me all the melodramatics. What I mean is, how would you like to convince that hickory-headed, lame-brained Malachi that's what you plan to do? Why? Now, what is a banshee for? Will you let me take care of the arrangements from then on? I will, Uncle Karen. I will. And, uh, if I'm successful, would you let me give you away when you marry Brian? How could a banshee do that? Oh, you let me handle that, too. Just say yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Is that the bad cheese upstairs? Is it the leprechaun? God save you, McGrush. God save you, Terrence. Come here, Dorian. Get us a firefly there so we can see what we're at. 
Yeah, no. That's better. <laughs> Do you see what Malachi did to the land? Oh, wasn't that great, don't you? Yeah, well, I, I, I took a good beating, but I'll live it. It's nice to see you again, Mr. Maha. Yeah, he said, no, no, no. And we all know what to do. Yeah, hmm? I, I just show myself in the moonlight with you in that cape and hood, and, and, and then... And then Magush will dematerialize you back to the farm. Right. And Malachi will have no one to chase but me, <laughs> thinking I'm Sheila. I'll tell you all the rest later. You, uh, you have the shoes, Magush. Uh, just the one. You know, we leprechauns never make but one magic shoe. Wait, 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 no matter. I can hop like a toad long enough until he's wet in the bog. It's midnight. Here he comes. And Brian Hush. Give me the shoe. Off they go. Sheila. Sheila, I warn you. Wait for me. Oh, you tried to slip away with your life of love, eh? But you won't get away from me so easy. Hey, where, where are you leading me? Well, we're in the bog. I'm caught. I, I'm sinking. Sheila! Sheila, help me. I'm, I'm sinking in the bog. Now come back. Come back. Come back! Ah! Ah, now there's a darling girl. You wouldn't let me go down to a dark, murky death. You that knows every path in it. Well, it's not you. It's just... What can't be? The bogles have a hold on me. It's Terence Christine. And who's that wee man beside you? Oh, little friend, one of the wee green men. Here we are, your nemesis or your saviors. Oh. And which would you want us to be? Oh, Lord's alive! Save me! I'm up to my waist already. That's no problem. Oh. A little piece of paper. Oh. And since it's hard to read in the moonlight, I'll give you the gist. As we say, I, Malachi Moy, hereby legally and completely accept the fact that all debts or claims against Thomas O'Shaughnessy are revoked and considered new and void. This is blackmail. Oh, it's what you did to my friend. And the fog is even blacker and you're sinking even deeper. All right, all right, I'll sign, I'll sign. But that, that, that's a wee bit more. I also cancelled the marriage contract between myself and Sheila O'Shaughnessy. And in consequence of my breach of promise, I award her the sum of £2,000 to see her and her mother started off in a new country. In exchange, I would accept the farm, no mortgage to thee, and etc., etc., etc. For God's sake, stop talking! Came up to my chest already, I'll sign, I'll sign anything! But would you live up to it? Now, there's the leader. You, you wouldn't have any idea now of, of attacking young Brian again. No, no! Should, uh, should we trust them, do you think, McGrush? Sure. He's an Irishman after all. I get one in trouble enough, and you never have to worry. Goodbye, happy future. Don't forget to send pictures yes, of the wagon. Goodbye. Yes, sorry, I have to leave. I have to get back for my job. Oh, we're sorry, too, but we'll take care of Mother and Son until you're married and have a place to stay. Eh, well, Mary, 
for the Mystery Theater by Ian Martin and stars Will McKenzie. It is sponsored in part by Buick Motor Division and Listerine Lozenges. I'll be back shortly with Act One. 
crumpled remnants of the car are now a dying sheet of flame. The bright oranges of the fire smeared and dulled by the black smoke as rescue crews work. The man, mercifully thrown clear of the raging flames, his fall broken by the thick underbrush, lies still and limp as the ambulance crew pick him up and carry him to the waiting ambulance. It takes off immediately, and soon, within the city limits, the familiar whoop-whoop of warning clears the road in front of it. It strikes a note of doom to all who hear it. Then, suddenly, there is the muted quiet of the hospital. Take him straight to emergency. Yes, Doctor. Superficial burns, possibly internal injuries, but main diagnosis is he was bitten by a black widow spider. Yes, Doctor. Ah, Whoever's on duty can handle the surface stuff. Alert the neuro resident. Whoever's on the psych side for the rest. Can do, Dr. Peters. Did you sign him in? Yeah, here are the papers. There's a woman with him. Wife, I guess. She got caught in the car and burned to a crisp. Oh, uh, his name is Cartwright. I guess kid glove treatment. He's one of them. We treat them all the same. That's a spirit, baby. <laughs> Just the same. His family and in-laws did build a wing for dear old Central Hospital. All right, I'll see you in the snake pit later. Peters? Hmm? Oh, yes, Dr. Mathias. Yes, you put in a call for me? Yes, Doctor. I got an accident case. No sweat, minor contusions and burns, but mm-hmm. there are complications. Involving a psychiatrist? This one may involve half the staff. First off, the guy was apparently bitten by a black widow spider. What? How do you know? Well, he was conscious when we brought him in. He told us himself. He got thrown clear of the car. He was the lucky one. Oh, well, there's someone else with him? Uh, yes, Doctor. His wife totaled with the car. Oh, how awful. They hit the guy pretty hard. Although he wasn't all that with it when we brought him in because... Well, because apparently his wife was going to have a baby. Oh, how hard can you get hit? Uh, tell me, how bad is the spider bite? Well, that's kind of out of my backyard, but according to Doc Stearns in toxicology, there isn't much to do but wait and see. Mm, well, as I remember, <clears throat> it's seldom fatal, but it uh, takes a long time for the poison to attack the system. And the pain is excruciating, if and when it does. Now, this poor guy's ready to flip his lid. Mm-hmm. I mean, he goes through the guardrail 200 feet into the valley, kills his wife, an unborn child, and turns up without a scratch. Yes, except the spider bite. Yeah, that. Well, what's that next to losing your wife, your kid, and maybe your future? You're not asking me, Dr. Peters. You're telling me. And that is my job to discover and to heal, if I can. Good day, Mr. Cartwright. Well, what's your uh, specialty? If you're a doctor, I am. I'm a psychiatrist. Oh. Well, that's different. No, no, not really. Just another phase of medicine. I hope not. I mean, I hope enough different. I've been wanting to ask for someone like you. I've got to talk to someone who might possibly understand. Understanding, I can promise you, absolutely. But, well, at least I listen well. The best I can ask for. No one will believe me. I am trapped as thoroughly as that horrible thing in the bottle I let escape. But I have to keep hoping that somehow I can find escape, too. Well, let's see if we uh, can't begin by making a start at it, at least. How open is your mind? Well, I don't know. It's uh, pretty open, I should hope. You know who I am. 
Well, you were admitted to the hospital as uh, Thomas Cartwright III. That's who I appear to be. Have you ever heard of a Terry Connolly who is buried in the graveyard behind St. Stephen's and whose headstone reads, Born 429-51, died 816-73? Well, should I have? Yes. Because that's who I really am. <sighs> How do I answer that? You consider yourself already dead? Condemned. Why? Because I sold my soul. That's rather a wild statement. You mean like, uh, like Dr. Faustus uh, to the devil? I mean like that. Oh, and I hope by all means you're going to tell me about it. You still think I'm Thomas Cartwright III? Well, to all intents and purposes, plus your uh, public identity and all the private contents of your wallet, and also your wife's identification, of course you are. I couldn't possibly be Terence Conley, could I? No, well, I don't even know him. Then may I introduce myself? Uh, not my outward appearance, but what lives within the outer shell? Suppose I accept that claim. Can you prove it? Can you listen to a sort of complex story? You have the floor. Okay. Let's start it this way. You're looking right at me. Now... I'll even give you a better opportunity. I, uh, I really don't think you should get out of bed. I'll, I'll, I'll get right back in. Now, I'm standing. How do I look? Oh, young man in his early 20s. <laughs> a little bit overweight. Uh, brown eyes, dark brown hair, slightly receding, and uh, some evidence of dissipation. Height about uh, 5'10", isn't that? It'll do. Two years ago... I had blue eyes and sun-bleached hair. I was six feet one, 185, all muscle. Here, I'll show you. In my wallet is... Yes, this this was the last snapshot I ever had taken. Laura took it. You see? Hmm. Well, this would be the Terry Connolly that you mentioned, hmm? That's right. With a surfboard. A hobby? My life. That was at Makaha, the internationals. It was where I met Laura, and the first change in my life happened. You fell in love? Uh, you wouldn't think it to look at her, but she can hang ten with any surf cat. Only by her, it was just a sport, for kicks, not a way of life. Now, that shook me. I suddenly woke up to the fact that I was nothing better than a surf bum. Oh, well, so you gave up surfing? Not exactly. I came back to L.A. Laura's from here. Well, from Santa Barbara. And since we wanted to get married, I had to find something to do to make a living. There was this kid I knew. We'd surfed at a hundred beaches ever since we were in junior high. Only he'd busted up a leg pretty bad on a flip-out at Monterey. He had a little stake, so we opened a kind of surfboard rental shop. You know, with skin-diving gear, other stuff, snorkels and all. And I went in with him, giving surfboard lessons on the side. It wasn't bad, but you couldn't make much. You know how rich Laura's family was. So... She came up with a better idea. I don't know, Laura. I, I, I just don't know if I could go that route. Oh, don't get all uptight on me. It's only money. Yours, not mine. Ours, darling. Once we're married. I don't want to live off you. Now, that isn't the question. <laughs> I want you to live with me. And I also want to be supported in somewhere near the style to which I am accustomed. <laughs> You're not going to be able to do that being a half-baked beach boy. Oh, thanks for the way you size me up. Oh, there's no big problem, Terry. Let's be practical. 
you got your college degree mm-hmm. and decided to take a year off because you wanted to prove there wasn't a wave that swept in on any shore you couldn't master. But you said yourself that the spud got all busted up. You bought it. You want to be a doctor. Okay. You've had pre-med. You just go on using my dough, and when you get to be a rich orthopedist, I'll make you pay and pay and pay. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I can cut it. After being a dropout. You can cut anything you want to, Terry. What about your father? Well, I've been breaking him down bit by bit. He's not all that tough. <laughs> and and how about my rival, Mr. Flabbelly Moneybags? Tom Cartwright. That isn't fair, Terry. He's, he's just very different from you. He sure is. Several million bucks worth. Family money. He didn't earn it. The way you're going to. Oh, Terry. What? I love you. You're what I want. Your father will never buy it. I told you I've been working on him. I've even got this far. (laughs) You're invited to dinner this Friday to meet him. You mean so he can look me over? Well, that's fair enough, isn't it? Sure. If you were my daughter, I'd make damn well sure I got a good look at anything chasing you. Fellow. I'll have to remember it to liven up one of our board meetings. Oh. <laughs> uh, you can put the brandy and two glasses on the table, George. And, uh, Laura? Yes, Daddy? Uh, why don't we have coffee out in the solarium? There's still plenty of light to admire the view. All right, I'll have George set us up there. All right, now, where uh, you go along, Superintendent, will you, dear? Mm-hmm. I think Terry and I have a couple of words to exchange. Okay, mm-hmm. Dad, but you won't be long, will you? Oh, no. I'm the only lady for the gentleman to join. No, no, no time at all. Well... <clears throat> You want some brandy, Terry? Oh, I'm not much of a drinker, sir. How much? Beg pardon, sir? <laughs> well, you heard me. How much to what? To get out of my daughter's life. Leave her alone. By the kind of man I think she should. Someone with plenty of money. Well, it should be one of the requirements. The one that you don't have. I've got a better one. She loves me. I don't know. Out of sight, out of mind. Now, how much, Mr. Beach Boy... You take your bedroll and go follow the waves instead of the most precious possession I have. How about a nickel? I don't understand you. Ah, it's obvious how cheap you consider me. I thought I'd just keep the price in line. <laughs> okay. I'll score you one for guts anyway. But it won't help you. I know who I want Laura to marry, and so does she, and that's the way it will turn out. You may be in for a very unpleasant surprise. Uh, I doubt it. I offered you money to get out of your own free will. And it'll probably cost me less to have you removed, if that's the way you want us. You've got to be kidding. I don't make jokes. Let me put it quite simply, Beach Boy. If you don't bow out gracefully, I will make certain arrangements to have you, uh... Well, if you'll excuse the expression, rubbed out. I'll give you 24 hours to think it over. John Sherman Blake, chairman of more boards than we have time to list. Inherited money and accrued money, position, power. The man who holds all the cards and who, in the long tradition of robber barons, never hesitates to use any lever to secure his ends. But murder? Even second hand? 
Is that how Terry Connolly reached such an early grave? I'll return shortly with Act Two. For a moment, as though exhausted, the pale young man in the hospital bed has shut his eyes, leaning back against the pillows. Dr. Matthias, the psychiatrist, eyes him carefully and then speaks quietly. Perhaps, Mr. Cartwright, we should let you rest for a little while before you continue. Rest, doctor? I haven't known any rest since... Oh, since the, uh, the night you were telling me about? Yes. I didn't go out to the solarium to have coffee. With Mr. Blake's ultimatum facing me, I, I went straight for my old beat-up car and took off. I had to think, clear my mind. Best place for me to do that is riding a wave. So, I headed for the beach. I always keep my gear on the back of my bus. The nearest beach was old Deep Six. Unless you had an attack of the crazies, nobody rode the junk that came in there. Rocky bottom, narrow reefs on both sides, and a crisscross that really chopped up the rides. Well, that suited me just fine. I wanted to risk my neck. It might be the answer. I took a heavy board because the wind was high. Paddle myself out over the breakers and waited for the big one. I saw a hummer coming. I waited. Then I raced to stay ahead of the crest. She broke pretty. And it happened. A rip current broke her wide open. She collapsed on me, driving my board the Lord knows how high in the air and grinding me down and under, rolling and tumbling until I hit my head and went out like the light above me over the sea, under which I was buried. Beside my head lay a dark green bottle washed up by the waves. And from it, a voice I heard. Or did I really hear it? Was it just some sounding in my half-conscious head? It seemed to be coming muffled from the bottle. Who, who are you? Oh, I am not a if you see me, it's another matter. You're... You're inside the bottle? Yes. Crap, I have no power. See, my power is limited. When I see them, ask what you want. Why, I'm not saying, knowledge, you On what condition? I ask none. Are you sure? Are we just kicking around the old Faust dream? 
Your freedom for mine. I said they had no conditions. How can you stop and let me out? And I grant you whatever one wish you desire. Okay. You got it. It's only a dream. How? There is no way I can dig this cork out. Okay. Scrooch up in the bottom and look out for flying glass. Here goes. The moment the bottle broke, a great hairy black spider with a red hourglass mark on its belly burst from the shardded remains of the neck. For a moment, it teetered on its long, jointed, multiple legs. And then, a second transformation took place. Almost as though it had exploded, the spider blew up into a giant of a man with a bald head bristling dark blue from shaving and a body covered with tangled black hair. Dressed, conventionally enough, in blue jeans, just like I wear normally. I am your servant, sir. Who are you? I am whoever you want me to be. But that is of little importance for the moment. You kept your part of the bargain. Now, I keep mine. Ask anything you want of me. One request. No strings. Choose. All right. I'm too tired and chopped up to debate the point. You ask me what I want, I'll make it within reason. More wealth than the father of the girl I want to make my own. Enough more so that he cannot keep us apart. Granted, you've made your choice. I had the feeling of having been asleep for a long time when I woke up. Without remembering why, I had this idea I should be hurting all over. But it wasn't like that. I felt like I was floating on a cloud. The bed, if it was a bed, didn't support me. I, I just sort of hovered in space by myself. I didn't want to open my eyes. I didn't want to come back to reality. This was too plush, too out of this world. Very slowly, I opened my eyes. Good morning, sir. Would you like to breakfast or bathe first? Who are you? Oh, dear. Mr. Cartwright had a big party last night. I've got a headache, like someone hit me with a sandbag. That's right. You have a bruise on your forehead. But you want ice? No. I... I just want to know where I am. At home. In your own bed. That's crazy. I don't feel that way. I don't belong here. Now you do. Huh? You made one request to be richer, richer than the father of the girl. Now you are. Wait a minute. My first question was right. Who are you? Ah, we met last night. You made a request. It has been granted. A few hours ago, it was recorded in the book that Thomas Cartwright III died 
of a sudden, massive, unexpected heart attack. At the same time, a young man whose main interest was surfing was the victim of a drowning accident on a nearby beach. Your body lies there among the debris of the tide. In this bed is the body of Tom Cartwright, miraculously recovered from a vascular and cardiac accident. And within the shell of the body, within its cocoon, not Tom, but Terry, lives on. Thus, I kept my promise. How can I be what I'm not? Who is to know the difference? To begin with, I never saw this Cartwright guy. Rise, master, and look at yourself in the dressing room mirror, or even the full-length glass, here, on the closet door. I don't think I want to look. Sooner or later. Better now, when we're alone. I'm on my feet. Oh, Lord. Everything has changed. Is that really me? That is what you asked to be. Richer than the father of the girl you wished to own. But I didn't ask to be someone else. I don't even know the man. How can I take his place? Uh, Let me arrange that, Master. But you can't be with me every moment. Don't I have a business? Uh, uh, Go to work? Most fortunately, you're now on vacation. Most of it you plan to spend on your boat. You have few social engagements, except, of course, tonight. Tonight? Yes. Tonight, you're dining with Mr. Sherman Blake and his daughter. sit at dinner again with Laura and her father. This time, a... What? What would you call me? A half-man? Or or a double imposter? How could I carry it off? And yet I knew I couldn't refuse the invitation. Laura, I know it's not an easy evening, but uh, life must go on. Uh, George, I think some more wine. No, not for me, thanks. I'll skip it, too. Dear me. Well, what can I say? The least, the better, Daddy. As you wish. A terrible accident. Yes, it was so wasteful to find young man. Why would he take a chance as he did in that uh, riptide with uh, such broken surf? Maybe you could answer that, Daddy. Me? When you shooed me out to set up coffee, what did you say to Terry? You counted him off. You made it impossible for him to even think we could ever be... Excuse me, I've got... I'm, uh... I'm sorry about that, Tom. Oh, nothing to be sorry about. I understand. You do? Yes, sir. With your permission, sir, I'd like to talk to Laura alone. Uh, Well, yes, by all means. I uh, hope you can bring her back to her senses. Uh, You know you have my blessing. Yes, sir. I know. Why don't you leave me alone? Laura, please... Don't you even have one small speck of sensitivity in that mean, rotten little soul of yours? I only wanted to tell you something. There's nothing you can tell me that I want to hear. I'm just trying to explain oh, that. I, I... Before I met Terry, you explained again and again that you were not what you seemed, a conceited, pawing slob who reached for any woman as though it was his divine right. But what I'm trying to say is that I'm not like that oh, anymore. Don't make me laugh. We've been down this route before, Thomas. There's no way... 
Now that I've known what a real man can be, if you could ever turn me on. I... I wouldn't dream of trying now. I'm sorry, Laura. Except... I wish I could tell you how sorry I am about what happened to your Terry. Thank you. Oh, it doesn't even sound like you're... I wish I could believe it. You can't. I'm not quite the heel you make me out to be. I may have been once, but not anymore. Now I'll leave you alone. I just wish... Wish what? Well, I just wish I could... I could comfort you some way. Well, I don't see how. Thank you for wanting to, Tom. Funny, but but all night since you came to dinner, there does seem to be something different about you. I, I don't know what or why. Because I have changed, Laura. Give me a chance to prove that. With time, I think you'll find I am not the hopeless case you've written me off as. I had found out two things. The first, that Terry Connolly was dead. The other that I, or Terry, had given up his life for nothing. I went roaring home in my newly acquired Ferrari to face Aki, or whoever he was, with a new decision. I want to go back. I don't want the money or this flabby, jaded body. So sorry. It's not possible. One wish only, and that has been granted. But I didn't know I'd have to give up my life for it. Please, allow me to point out you still live. Only outward identity has changed. It's the same thing. As long as I seem to be Tom Cartwright, the girl I want and love won't look at me, won't have anything to do with me. Patience, Master. You will see. All will turn out right. It is written, you will be married. Now, I must leave. If you need me again, go to the sea and find the Bottle again. In passive Oriental's head, a great jagged streak of fire exploded and disappeared. I realized that I had not been talking with Aki, but with what? A minor demon. Or the devil himself. What did it matter? He had brought me to where I was. And where was that? Was I dead? Or was I alive? For a moment, the pale, tortured young man in the hospital bed stops his story. To shut his eyes as if against a wave of excruciating pain. The psychiatrist, listening to him is tempted to react compassionately. But for the moment, he waits. The pain may be less physical than mental. And the harrowing story is not yet ended. I'll return shortly with Act Three. You've worked hard to get where you are, and now would be a very good time to give yourself a little pat on the back in the form of Buick Electra, a car filled with room, luxury, comfort, the perfect place for you and your free spirit to get together. Buick Electra. Think of it as recognition for a job well done. 
America discovers Mailgram. All over the country, people are discovering the speed and impact of Mailgram. Here's what airline stewardess April Rivkin told us. April, how did Mailgram help you? Well, one day they were going to lay off no people, and the next day it was 300 people. Literally, this is the way it went. They were just sort of hedging the issue. And I kept thinking, well, somebody must know. So I sent a mailgram to the chairman of the board. Now that's a direct approach. What happened? I was amazed how my mailgram got through. And a few days later, somebody called me and said, the chairman of the board got your mailgram and asked me to respond to it. And I thought, well, I'm off the hook. I've been talking with April Rifkin. She's one of millions of people who are discovering that mailgrams get through to people and get results. It's easy to send a mailgram. Just call Western Union's toll-free 800 number anytime, day or night. Mailgram, impact of a telegram at a fraction of the cost. Oh, do I love my legs. I do, I do. Do I love my legs pantyhose. Legs pantyhose have memory yarn. Memory yarn stretches out and remembers to stretch back. That's the memory in legs memory yarn. I can walk, I can jump, I can bend to touch my toes. Stretch to stand on tiptoes. Legs never bend. Legs never wrinkle. The memory in legs memory yarn. My legs pantyhose have a fit you can't forget. A stretch you won't believe. Comfort beautiful. That's the memory in legs memory yarn. Oh, do I love my legs. I do, I do. You'll love legs pantyhose too. And if for any reason you don't, we'll refund your money or send you a replacement, whichever you prefer. That's the you'll love our legs guarantee. Oh, I love my legs, I do. Get on up the legs boutique. of pain, whether caused by the spider bite or some deeper echo from the soul, has passed. But the young man in the bed still lies with his eyes closed. The nurse coming into the room is quickly pantomimed to silence by the psychiatrist. She stops with the tray containing the hypodermic and the phial of morphine. Quietly, Dr. Matthias goes to her. Dr. Peters ordered a hypo for him, Dr. Matthias. Well, I don't think he needs it yet. Now, if it becomes necessary, I'll give it to him. Yes, doctor. Mr. Cartwright? Yes. Are you all right? Yes. Do you have any pain? <laughs> pain? Oh. I'll never be without it. I can give you a needle if you want. No. No. No drug will reach the pain that really haunts me. I... I want to finish my story. Yes. Very well. Uh, let's continue. It was her father who dragged me back into the whole mess. He came to see me at my house, and he didn't mince words. Ah, you can't leave me hanging like this. I have a deadline to meet. Yes, I know. Well, are you coming in with me, or aren't you? I haven't made up my mind yet. Oh, good Lord, man, you can't put me off. I'm on the edge of the precipice. I foolishly overextended. I, I have no cash flow, and if the banks ever get wind of that, the whole thing would collapse like a house of cards. And how much is it you want to borrow? It's got to be a couple of million, at least. Now, we have been over this before. And the security. We're... We've discussed that before, too. You mean Laura? Yes. Except that she happens to be a security that you can't deliver. That's where you're wrong. I have only to tell her the truth about my, my business problems, and she, she, would sac I mean, she would agree to marry you. 
a lamb to the slaughter. What'd you say? Doesn't matter. All right, Sherman. Or perhaps I should say, Dad. You've got a deal. Laura, for whatever you need, up to what I've got. You'll never regret this, son. And so, you were married? Yes. Not quite two years ago. Uh, It was a bad marriage? No. No, not for the most of it. At the beginning, for the best part of the first year, it was uh, uneasy and difficult. But slowly, slowly things began to change. I wanted to tell Laura the truth, what really had happened. But how could I? She would have thought me absolutely mad, out of my skull. Then, as the months passed, I began to see it looked as though I'd never have to. I remember one night, after a party, going to bed. How many people do you suppose were at that party tonight? Hmm. I don't know. A couple of hundred, maybe. And how many men? (laughs) You think I count them? No, no, I'm serious, darling. Darling? That's what I said. Oh. Uh, Men? Uh, I don't know. I guess when Stanton throws a ball, there are more men than dames. What's the difference? I just wanted to tell you something. No matter how many there were, I'd have taken my man over any guy there. Laura. Yes. That's the way it's gotten to be with me now. That was the beginning of our whole new relationship. At first, I basked in it, gloried in it, ate it up. And then? Yes, Mr. Cartwright. And then? And then another crazy thing was happening inside. Can you imagine a man being jealous of himself? I was two people in one body, both of whom loved the same woman. One was dead, except his soul lived on inside this body. Who was it Laura really loved? Me, Terry, the scatterbrain, the live-for-the-moment guy, or Tom... The percentage man, the, the cool cat with the morals of one, and a built-in gift for destruction. Is that what you tried to solve? That's what I had to solve. Because. Because? Because so very soon after Laura and I had found each other, she became pregnant. Whose child had been created? Mine? I mean, Terry's? Or Tom's? I mauled over I agonized over what the future held. And at last, I had to decide. I I had to make some attempt to find out. But how can we? We're only human. We can't foretell the future. I could. I remembered what the Spirit had told me. To seek him, go to the sea. Again it was late in the day. And again it was old deep six. Beyond the surf... I waited for the way. I was king. Invincible. Hanging candle. Suddenly, before I could move back, the wave broke upon me. The wild cross whip snatched my board and threw it sky high. And I was ground down under the mad, swirling, breaking water below. I came to again, lying on the tide's edge, just as I had done so many months ago. Child. The child. 
I suddenly realized what a fool I was. You asked nothing from me for what I wanted. But what about my children? What could you imagine? The world on a silver plate without any regard. But you promised it was not the old Dr. Faust's gag. Naturally. We possessed the change. Your soul had no interest for me. <laughs> Only uh offshoot. Your children from here on and on and into time. As long as they shall live. That's the answer to everything. Why I came back ready to strangle the woman I loved so she could never bear a child that would foster the dynasty of the devil. But you didn't strangle her. No, because when I got home, Laura was half out of her wits. She had found that a black spider with an hourglass shape on its belly had been weaving or spinning a web over the crib we had waiting in the nursery to receive our baby when it was born. Well, then what happened? I started to push aside the web, but it clung to me. And as I tried to brush it off, Suddenly, the spider was clinging to my wrist, and I could feel its bite, sharp and penetrating, and I could hear a voice in my ear. You cannot win, my friend. I gave you freedom, but in return, you sold to me your children, and your children's children till the end of time. You accepted that? Never. Never. I took Laura with me to the car. The excuse for our wild ride, that I had to get to the hospital to get an antitoxin for the bite of the Black Widow. Take it easy, darling. I can't. You don't understand. I love you so. I don't understand. What upset you. There's no way to explain. It's just that the devil rides our face. Hold, hold tight. And remember, I love you. This is the best way out. So, you remember. You know that Laura is, uh... Is dead. Why not me? What was I saved for? That's uh, a question that can't be answered. Oh, yes. I see now. It's all clear. You. What? In another form. The Antichrist. The enemy. I can do nothing else. But Mr. Kai can kill you! Yes, I can! I mean, I want to help you! Okay. I don't need any medicine. I need to handle this. That's an unusual case, only because of the, uh, the violence involved. There's not much to say about it, Dr. Peters. Except I'd like to try to understand it. (laughs) That would take volumes. Classic world of delusions. Everything? Hmm? It's very little missing. There was love broken off. There was a child that might have been born. There was a man already beyond the norm of society who thought he was doing the right thing in destroying himself, his wife, and uh, his unborn child. And we just write him off, Doctor? No, 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 no. We write no one off. We probe as much as we can. We try to resolve what we can. There's still cases beyond all our knowledge... Someday, someday, we may solve them. Don't look to me for any answers. 
This is the story of what happened, or appeared to. I know no other way than to leave it at that, unless someone can tell me more than I can understand. I'll be back shortly. Bargain shoppers of America, you've waited long enough. Now you'd better move fast, because it looks like prices on appliances will be going up again soon. Before they do, get to your Whirlpool dealers, where you'll find some of the hottest deals in town. How about that new dishwasher you've been promising yourself? Take $74 off the old fair trade price tag on a new deluxe Whirlpool quality dishwasher. In the market for a quality refrigerator, save $60 on Whirlpool's beautiful big side-by-side 19-footer. Or save $43 on the Whirlpool 12-footer that's American-made and only 24 inches wide. Wait, there's more. You save $70 on a Whirlpool quality compact washer and dryer pair, and they can both fit in only 24 inches of space. Here's what we're saying. Whatever you're bargain shopping for in the way of quality appliances, now's the time to see your Whirlpool dealer. He's got the deal to turn you on. Prices are optional with Whirlpool dealers and savings are based on previously higher fair trade prices. Someday you'll own Someday you'll own Sooner or later you'll own General's Ready for winter, General Tire is with a complete lineup of snow tires that spells winter traction values. Now you can get General's fantastic radial snow tire, the famous dual steel gripper for as little as $43.95. That's for the size BR7813 tubeless white wall plus $2.16 federal excise tax. You'll also find low prices on the glass-belted General Gripper 780 and the General Winter Cleat. So whatever your snow tire needs, you'll find great values now at General Tire. Sooner or later, The new Lowe's Monte Carlo Hotel is alive with life. Watch the Grand Prix from your terrace. Dine on international cuisine in five restaurants. Enjoy international stars in the Folie Russe Supper Club. Play roulette at the only in-hotel casino on the Riviera. For reservations at Lowe's Monte Carlo, call 586-5099 or the Lowe's toll-free number in your area. Lowe's Monte Carlo Hotel. much to say about this particular tale, except that he who traffics with the devil must be prepared to pay the price, a sad and terrible price for all who are involved, except John Sheldon Blake, who was really the most to blame. He was the only one to survive, since Tom Cartwright, or whoever he truly is, is long since committed to an institution. John Sheldon Blake is also committed to an institution except that he remains free. Funny how the establishment has a habit of winning when, come right down to it, they are the ones who are really mad. Our cast included Will McKenzie, Marion Seldes, Robert Dryden, and Earl Hammond. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. Radio Mystery Theater was sponsored in part by your Singer Sewing Center. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our Mystery Theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams.
Tonight's Mystery Theater was also brought to you in part by ShopRite Supermarkets. The preceding program was furnished by CBS Radio. Mystery
I'm sorry, what did you say? Oh, don't be alarmed. It's nothing serious. But we're running into a bad storm, so please fasten your belt. And excuse me, the pilot reports rough weather. Fasten your seatbelt, please. Dad. Dad, maybe this would be the best way. Just to go out as you did. And have it all over with. Here we are, safe and sound. Oh. Uh, do you have a bag up above? Mm, no, Angie, right here by my feet. Oh, I can't believe I'm here in Rome. Do you have friends waiting for you? Mm, Nobody, I'm flying solo. Oh, well, where are you staying? Uh, just a hotel up above the Spanish Steps, the Embarcado. You know it? Oh, yes. Well, you won't be flying solo very long. Not between Italian men and... Oh, and being a gay divorcee. <laughs> you think the word would travel that fast, Angie? Well, in Italy, the name of the game is Amore. But it is up to me whether or not I want to play it. Sure. It isn't bad if you want to go along with it, I guess. Sure beats skeletons in the closets, hmm? Arrivederci? Arrivederci, Angie. And maybe it might be a lot better than ghost bats in the belfry, I guess. How do you like your first night in Rome? Oh, it's just beautiful, Senor Vasco. Mm, and I love your re- restaurant. Oh, oh. My, well, I hope that is for the music or anything besides me. Oh, I promise you it's nothing but jet lag. I haven't slept for nearly 30 hours or something. I am beat. Uh, but of course you are. I shall take you home subito. Uh, to bed. Oh, I am not quite sure how to accept that invitation. <laughs> Tonight, without the slightest suspicion, at face value. Tomorrow, we shall begin our romance, no? Uh, what are you suggesting for tomorrow? Well, I have my car. The weather is promised to be perfect. Let me drive you up the coast and show you my Italy and my love. I'm afraid I'll be a disappointment. Ah, signora, you have had much unhappiness. You are moltissimo triste. That is not right for a woman so beautiful. That's what I'm trying to... Eh? What is it? That waiter there. He looked just like... <laughs> no, never mind. But you looked as though you had seen a ghost. Well, it's a habit I seem to have fallen into lately. Now, I, I really think I'm just too tired to make sense. W w won't you take me home? If you will promise we meet tomorrow. For lunch? All right. But late. I've got to sleep and sleep till I get all these cobwebs out of my head. You will not be in Rome long, Mrs. Richards. I don't know, Senor Basso. It depends. On the what? My mood, I suppose. <laughs> not a very good one, I'm afraid. L'amore. It kills and it heals. I have been sorry to hear about you and your husband. And the divorce. Well, how did you know? Oh, Senor Kertze, from whose firm you used to buy, has told me. That is why he introduced us. Mm. You must stay long enough in Italy for me to bring you back uh, the sunshine. Well, huh? you are making a very good start. <laughs> <laughs> it's clouding up. Looks like rain. Non senor. importante. A shower, that's all. Oh, it's getting very dark. And you do drive very fast. I am an Italian. And I have the car to do it. What time is it? Does it matter? I would like to get back to Rome in the daylight, Senor Vaso. Guido. What? 
Well, surely we know each other well enough by now, Katarina. Or may I say, Kate? If you wish. And um, Guido is easier than Senor Basso. Mm-hmm. Guido, okay? I think maybe we'd better head back for Rome. Ah, do we really want to? Now, you're not going to start all this over again, are At you? At every opportunity. Don't you ever get any rebuffs? Mm, no, it happens. But then I do have many affairs of the heart also. <laughs> <laughs> well, score one for honesty. But I do think we should get back. It's getting quite missed. Oh, there is no hurry. I can have you back in Rome in 40 minutes. For that matter, if your nerve is as great as your resistance, in less. 60 miles? 80 kilometers? Mia carissima, you are riding in a Ferrari Dino 2500cc displacement, two and a half liters. Nothing can beat this car when I let her out. Or her sister, whichever one I race at Monza, that's the track outside Milano two weeks from now. Will you come and see me win, huh, as my guest? Well, that depends on how gentle a host you turn out to be today. Oh, Kate, can you blame me for trying so hard to do... Uh, what is it? Look behind us. Another car, so? Oh, but what a car. Oh, it does look a little strange. Hard to see in all this mist. What is it? Who knows? Homemade. You find them all over Italy. It is our other love affair. <laughs> Women and cars. Or sometimes the other way. <laughs> This Paisan, he is mad trying to race with my Ferrari and me. Yes, poor Paisan. And he's coming closer and closer. Ah, this mule track I turned off on K. Diavolo, it winds like a snake. If I had a straightaway... We show him our heels. And where do you keep your heels, Guido? On your radiator cap? What? What do you mean? Just if you're going to show them to your paisan, that's where they'd better be. He's going to pass you. Impossible. Not only possible, but there he goes. <laughs> ah, Guido, you're slowing down. And I thought you never gave up. Well, you hear what's happened to my car? Oh, serious? No, no. She is due in the shop to be taken down on Monday. She needs an overhaul. I shouldn't have let her fall out in this condition. Now I am filled with, uh, how do you say, uh, superstition. Huh? Did we really see that the car? It passed us? Of course. Mm. Who was driving? Well, in a crash helmet and goggles, how can anyone tell? <sighs> eh? What is it? I don't know. Just a sudden cold feeling that came over me. That it might not have been a car at all, huh? Just some phantom of the storm? Driven by a ghost? Was it a phantom car? And if it is, who was the wraith that drove it? Was it a deterrent to Senor Basso's carefully planned seduction? Or was it part of his general plan to win Kate? Or at least, as we used to say more politely, her favors? I'll return shortly with Act Two. Whatever the 
strange vehicle that passed him so ignominiously turns out to be. For the moment, it is not occupying Guido's mind. His thoughts are far from the supernatural. No, something more natural and obvious is on Guido's mind. Has been ever since he met Kate. And he little expects ever to see the ghost car again. Do you think you can coax her back to Rome? Oh, no, I could not think of it. But we are coming into Corvieto, a little town right ahead. We can uh, garage her there for the night. Oh. Uh, won't they have a mechanic? To touch me a bambina? Oh, no. I phoned her to Rome for my own. Well, how long will that take? Uh, just uh, overnight. Oh, and um, this Corvietta, of course, there is no railroad, I suppose. No buses to Rome. No, no, just a village. Mm. But there is a delightful little pensione, a charming little inn that is run by an old friend of mine. I see. Well, I guess I do owe you an apology, Guido. Huh? You do? For what? Well, back there on the road, I was uh, kidding you about never giving up. Guess I should have known better. You never do, do you? Kate, I am a man. And Italiano. Buonasera. You wish to register? Per piacere. Come sta, signora Brandalione? Huh? Ah, sta bene. Molto grazie, signor Basso. Ah, sì, sì. Nice to see you. Ah, you and the signora prefer a room on the garden or upstairs? Neither. Okay. Two single rooms, one upstairs, the other down, and I'll take the ground floor. Oh, but I uh, do not understand, signora. It's quite simple. I am not, technically anyway, a signora. I'm a single girl, and I guess I'm a miss. Oh, miss? Uh, uh, she means uh, that we are not married, or... Uh... Oh, <laughs> oh, a million pardons. Oh. And now I understand. And so does the signor, I hope. I was only joking, Kate. Please forgive me for all this inconvenience. I'm sorry this had to happen, believe me. I don't. Don't what? Don't believe you for a moment that you're sorry. Oh, you are so right. And I will tell you something else, I think. What? I think you're a heel, Senor Basso. Would I deny it? Why don't you sign the register, Kate? And then the padrona will show you to your room, and while you freshen up, I will arrange for a dinner with wine and candlelight. And I will hope that when you come back, you will be, uh, well, you will be more forgiving. And I shall phone my mechanic in Rome to be here first thing in the morning to fix the car. Okay? If you mean make a phone call, yes. Oh, I am not uh, forgiven? Well, I'd like to do a little thinking about that first. I will live on hope that you will be generous. Scusi, eh? Uh, the thing, uh, how to say, uh, the uh, Miss has no luggage. The only possible baggage you see is me. Now, where did the signor leave his car? At the garage, right across the street. Is there a mechanic there? Ah, oh, but the best, Giovanni. But uh, if you would care to see your room... No, I think I'd rather see Giovanni first. Ah, but of course. Shall I tell the signor you are there? Well, if you don't mind, any messages from me, I'd like him to get by himself. Oh, yes, Dad. If he knew whose daughter he was messing around with, he wouldn't be so smart. Giovanni. Si, un momento, per favore. E che faccio mi... 
something wrong. Oh, not in your life. Well, then why the... Oh, American, too. Hey, lady, I haven't seen anything like you since the Miss America pageant, uh, 1971. Well, thank you. I feel like a wine. Was that a good year? Oh, the best. Everyone a winner. But not one could hold a candle to you. And here I just about decided that you were all American yourself, Giovanni. Ah, Joe will do. I am American. Born and bred there. It's my country. You know, you sound as though you miss it. Every minute of every day. And why do you stay here? Ah, like this and that. Yeah, you know, when my mom died, nothing would do, but my pop had to come home to the old country. You know, that's for laughs in a way. Why? Well, my pop was born in Little Italy, you know, Mulberry Street, New York. He didn't even speak Italian as good as I do. <laughs> but the old ones, they get uh, kinky ideas sometimes. You see, uh... This place right here, this is where my mom was born. Not very kinky. I can understand why he wanted to see the town. Sure. And I went along. I made the trip back with him myself because Valley was pretty sick. And I, I, I knew he wanted to die here. One thing led to another. I stayed on, had to make a living to keep us going. So uh, I got the gas station and the shop and became a grease monkey. In this little town? Yeah, yeah, in uh. this little town. <laughs> I was stuck. Oh, come on. I didn't mean to break down and tell you the story of my life. It's just that talking American again feels so good. Huh? <laughs> oh, anyway, no more running off at the mouth. What can I do for you, ma'am? I just wanted to ask you about the Ferrari that you just gassed up. Oh, this baby? Mm. <laughs> well, nothing wrong. I can see. Oh, yeah, yeah. A little over-choked. Oh, that figures. You mean someone pulled the choke out? Sure, sure. Flooded the carburetor. And to make her sound as if she was breaking down? Well, yeah, if a guy handled it right. Couldn't have been accidental, could it? Well, not on a car like this unless... Well, look, I don't know what kind of a driver your husband is, No, but... no, no, he's not my husband. Senor Guido Basso. Guido Basso? The billionaire sportsman, a racing driver? That's our boy. Holy Mac. In that case, it could only have been deliberate. Like, he must have had some reason to... He... Oh. Like that, huh? Yeah, like that. He had a cute little notion that we could register here at the Pansioni. Oh. Which I don't go for. Joe, have you got a car? Have I got a car? <laughs> Lady, follow me. Now, I warn you. When I unveil her, she may not look like much, but mm. she is far out. I mean, there is nothing in Europe to touch her. There she is, ma'am. I call her La Bellissima. The gray ghost. Huh? The what? You passed us on the road a while back so fast that well, we, we weren't sure whether you were real or a mirage. Oh, she's for real. Yeah, yeah. I figured this was the Ferrari I blew by. But I never figured I was kicking dirt on Guido Basso. Joe, will you take me back to Rome? I I'll pay you, of course. Oh, no, forget it. I'm closing up anyway. Well, what business is there now? Besides, how often does a plain Joe get a chance to play Sir Galahad, huh? Uh, what do you want to leave? As of five minutes before I even asked. You are on your <laughs> way right now, ma'am. Climb in. The name is Mrs. Richards. But as long as we're going AWOL together, why not make it Kate? Okay, okay, Kate. But I, uh, <laughs> I feel a little bit shaky. Why? Guido Basso, holy cow. What are you afraid of? That he might catch up with us? Lady, I mean Kate... Not while you're riding these white horses. 250 of them under that hood. Plus a special injection carburetor which makes all the difference. A little gimmick of my own, you know. I call it uh, the Ross Special. Ross? Is that your second name? Uh, Rossini, before it got cut down. 
Now listen to this chorus sing. The only thing faster is a jet plane, and you can't run them on the ground. <laughs> Guido Passo, huh? <laughs> oh, I'll bet he popped a cork when I passed him. It's going to make him a hell of a lot madder that you passed him up. Why are we slowing down? Well, even Italy has a couple of speed laws. We're already in the outskirts of Rome. But it was so wonderful. Just, just like old times, sailing on the wind. Oh, she's a wonderful car, Joe. Just ate up the road. Do you race her? Are you kidding? How would you like to race her in a couple of weeks at Monza? Oh, no. No dough. How much would it cost? Well, entry fee, pit crew, replacements, parts, travel expense. Ah, oh, what's the sense making a list I know by heart? Around seven or eight million lira. Bottom line. It's about $12,000. If you can guess the exchange any given day. I mean, what's the diff? It could be eight billion. She's not for racing. Well, then why did you build her? Oh, is there any answer for that? I don't know. I love cars. She's all I've had since my pop finally cashed in. I'm just plain in love with her, I guess. It's all that holds me here. I, I should go home. And what would happen to Bellissima? I guess I, uh... I guess I'd sell her. <laughs> to some rich dilettante like Basso. Except by now he's too mad at me to buy. You mean after all you have told me you would sell him this car? Oh, why not? It's, it's too much a part of you. Yeah, but it's been done before. I'm in debt up to my ears. I, I could pay off and have enough to let me sneak back into the USA. No, I can't let you do that. Pull over under the trees and park, Joe. What's the point? You know, it's not very flattering if you refuse my request. Oh, put it that way. How can I refuse? You mustn't sell this car. Why not? Because I think if you did, you'd be selling your own soul, Joe. Oh, look, Kate, let's leave it, Leia. I mean, even if I had cash, who's going to drive? I've got credentials. Besides, i got to be in the pit to handle and baby this lady through, you know? Well, then we'll find another driver. How? Where? You know what a racing driver is? He ain't built of blood and nerves, only guts and reflexes and iron. He doesn't think, he only reacts. He's got wrists of steel, eyes like a fly, and nothing but the will to win. And you know how he's made? I should. He isn't. He's born. In a race like Monza, you won't find a driver who's worth a damn within a thousand miles of Italy who isn't already tied up. So where else do I find such a guy? Just give me a moment to think. Okay? <sighs> okay. Okay, Duchess. How can I help you? You can't. But Alex could. Alex? Well, he's never driven since... Since the accident, I know. I know where he is. I saw him last night, Dad, in Rome. He's a waiter. He ducked when he saw me. Alessandro Corfi, a waiter? A lot more than he deserves after what he did to you. But he can drive. Oh, will you stop blaming Corfi for me? What happened was the chances you take. Are you sure? He didn't panic or, or deliberately drive you into the wall on that turn. Well, wh why did he quit then? Do we have to rake over the old ashes? Let it go, Kate, will you? We're well out of it. Why try to get back here? But, Dad, you've said I've been running away from things. That I'm afraid to turn around and face life. Well, I think it's time that I did. And this is just as good a place to start as any. It's gonna run into some heavy dough, baby. Well, I still have most of what you left me. Yeah, little enough that was. It'll take 
make most of it. Dad, I am a gambler. Just like my old man. And I'll win it back. If you'll help me. How? When I talk to Corfe, coax him to come back to driving. Oh, it won't be easy. Look, Kate, maybe you better let sleeping dogs lie. Who is talking about dogs? I'm talking about horses, Dad. The kind you used to ride. Maybe not 4,000 cc class yet, or the big purses. This is a sports car racing, two and a half liters, but it, it, it's a beginning. And Joe will go on to build bigger and better cars and get bigger and better sponsors. And I... Well, I, I want to help him buy that future. And what about your own? Well, maybe I can prove to myself I'm of use to someone again. And then I can find mine. I don't know, Duchess. You don't know what you're asking. Ted, you wouldn't let me down, would you? a rather uncooperative attitude for a so far friendly, or should we say sympathetic specter? Why would that presence from beyond the grave not be eager to help the daughter he wants so desperately to find herself again? Or does he know something about his old friend Corfi that we don't know? Return shortly with Act Three. Soft Italian moonlight filters down through the trees, sending a dancing pattern of light and shadow across Kate's face as she lies back with her eyes closed in the car. Sitting beside her, Joe watches with a small frown of puzzlement. Has she fallen asleep? Or is it just a trick of the rippling shadows that makes it seem as if perhaps she were talking to someone? Then suddenly she opens her eyes. I know where to get your driver. Where? Who? Well, someone I saw in a restaurant the night before last. A waiter. A waiter? Named Alessandro Corfi. Alessandro Corfi? Oh, scrub it, Kate. He hasn't driven in over four years. I think we can get him. You don't understand. He, uh, there was an accident at the Indy Speed Trials four years ago. His best friend got killed. I know. He was my father. Chips to Beale was your father? But I thought you said Richards. That's right. That's my married name. Oh. And, unfortunately, my divorced one. Oh. Does that bring out the Italian in you, Joe? Give you any ideas? None I mightn't have had before. Well, cool them. I told you this is a partnership, and it's strictly business. What partnership? Ours. I'm going to put up the money so that you can enter La Bellissima at Monza. Oh, hey, now, wait a minute. I, I, it's I can't... It's racing money, Joe. It's the money my dad left me. Look, I told you what it's going to cost. If we can hold it to 10000 I know I can swing it. We can save on two items, the pit boss and the driver. Well, look, me, you got, but you, you honestly think you can get coffee to drive? Well, I think he can be persuaded. By you? By me. You know something? I wouldn't be surprised if you can. Then we have a deal? You get Corfi to drive La Bellissima and you got 50% of the car. And Joe, it's so good to see a man come to life again. Listen, we race under any color you choose. I like the gray ghost just as she is. The gray ghost? 
Yeah, yeah, that's great. Let's call it that from now on. Oh, brother, I'm as happy as a kid on the last day of school. Now you get me back to Rome so I can talk to Corfi. Oh, you did recognize me the other night. Yes. I, uh, I tried to avoid you. Why you come back? I want to talk to you. About the what? No, not, not here. I, I don't want to talk about your father. Well, he may have to be part of it. I go get excused by the head wheeler. We can walk by the river. What do I think of Basso's Ferrari? Superb! And what would you say if I told you I know a car that passed Guido as if he was standing still? Oh, I would say it is the best car in Europe. Well, how would you like to drive it at Monza? No. No, I never drive again. Not after what happened to... to Chip. You blame yourself for that? Don't you, Duchess? Well, I, I did. I, I, but I, I don't know, Alex. Now that it's far enough away, I think if if the positions had been reversed, I, well, wouldn't have Dad done the same thing? What? Cut him off from passing on the outside, drive him to the rail, and... Uh, that is what everyone saw happen. And so a friend is dead, and I, who would have died for him, am to blame. We leave it at that. I swore I would never drive again. Not even if I tell you that I'm half owner of the car. And we have no one else to drive it. Don't you owe me that at least. For my father. For oh, I must be mad. I am out of condition. My reflexes. Two weeks. I will not know the car completely, but... <laughs> All right, if you ask me, I shall drive. But hate, it will be a miracle if I can win for you. He's winning, Joe. He's winning. Can't believe it. Her first race. He's lapped the field at least twice. Yeah, except for Basso. He's holding yeah, on. He's a full lap behind. Oh, Hold up, baby, hold up. Oh, I can't. I can't see it. What is it? It's a bad crash on the far turn. Not Alex. No, no, he barely missed him. Oh, damn, he hit something. The off-front wheel. Is it bad? We'll know in a minute. No, no, the wheel's out of line. He's signaled. All right, boys, he's coming in next lap for repair. Cut out two spare wheels and grab the gas line. What's the trouble, Joe? Well, it's maybe just a wheel. We'll have to jerk it to see. Well, suppose it isn't the axle. Well, then we've had it. Don't touch that wheel, Joe. What's the matter, you crazy? Baby, are we to up? No, sure, Please, but... Please, Madonna, she run better on three wheels. Alex, you're not going out. You're not... You think not. You see who that was? Basu. He's made up. Stand away. If he can keep her on the track, he made that curve all right. And he's catching up on the straightaway. He's going to try to... No! Huh? What is it? But that's the same pattern that killed my father. No, it's okay, Kate. It's okay. He has plenty of room and enough speed if he just holds his nerve. Oh, Judas Priest! What? He chickened out the damn fool's trying to come back inside, but she won't hold her. Oh, my God, she's gone! 
I suppose we have to go in and see him. Alex? Of course, he's hurt. He may oh, be... Oh, don't worry, don't worry. I've talked to the doctors. Nothing serious. He got out lucky. We took the fall thanks to him. What does that mean? You saw what happened. He chickened out. He let Basso fake him out on that last turn. The Ferrari didn't have the speed to pass, but Alex flinched and peeled off. Went into a spin, and that's what took him over the rail. Boy, when I think of it. Before the race, Basso came and offered me 25 million lira for the Grey Ghost, and I turned him down. Now we're left with nothing but a pile of junk. Because you think Alex panicked. Well, you saw it with your own eyes. What else? I'm just not quite sure, Joe. Look, go into Alex, please, and, and try to be nice to him. I, I want to be alone in this little waiting room here to think and maybe, maybe make a phone call. Yeah, but Kate. Please, Joe. I'm okay. Only don't leave me too long with him. No, I, I won't. It'll be so short. The end. After all these years. I think I do. And you're ashamed of me. No, I didn't say that, Dad. You have to be as ashamed as I am of myself. What happened? You saw it all today, Duchess. Almost the way it was at Indy. Like Basso, I had the outside. I thought I had the speed to take the lead on the turn, but there wasn't quite enough. I was so light, I was afraid to break. It might have put me through the rail. Even though I knew I couldn't make it by cutting in front, I panicked and cut on down, figuring that Alex would break rather than take the chance. My rear end would knock his front wheels out of alignment. But I cut too sharp, and I went into a spin, and that took me right up the side and, and through the guardrail. Alex didn't ride you into it? It looked that way, but that wasn't the way it was. He knew I was crazy that I'd lost my head. Same thing that happened to Basso today. Only he came through it all right. And Alex took the fall for him just as he had to take it in another way for me. Well, I guess I'm glad it's out at last. You won't be calling on me again. No, Dad. I don't think I will. Goodbye, Duchess. Maybe now I can rest at last. I've got to make a phone call. I tell you, I'm fine, Giovanni. A bruise or two, a black eye, a little something broken on the shoulder. So what? It has been broken before. The important thing is the car. She is a dream. Yeah, that's the word. A dream that's over. Oh, Oh, hello, Kate. Joe. Joe, you mustn't give up. How are you feeling, Alex? Splendid. And Kate is right, Joe. One race, we get the bad break. But next time... Delfino next time. You won't be driving her again. You cannot think I lost my nerve. Well, what's the difference now? A great difference to me. I have my pride. Yeah, this time all you killed was an automobile. Joe. And what did I kill some other time? Oh, you mean... If you mean my father... That was not Alex's fault. Tell him the truth, Alex. No, 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 Then no. I will. This is just among us three. My father panicked and lost his head just the way Basso did today. So is it a crime? It only meant he was human. But I'm not going to let Alex take the blame. Oh. Okay, okay. Uh, I'm sorry, Alex. I I I'm sorry, but what good does it do? There isn't any car left. The, the, the gray ghost is gone. Oh, no, she isn't. We're going to raise her from the grave. Yeah, how? With Guido Basso's money. 
He's waiting to pay me for my half. He's promised to back her till she proves exactly what she is. The best racing car in Europe. So, you have a new partner. Oh, I don't know. He's really sorry. A- and he'll be with you all the way, Joe. Well, I mean, I just figure the guy for such a heel. Mm, only where women are concerned. I guess it's time to board. Goodbye, Alex. Win them all from here on in. Bye, Joe. Bye, Joe. Send me a picture when she's rebuilt. Oh, yeah, and the money I owe you. You know, I feel like such a louse. Alex is back driving again. I, I have my gray ghost, but what do you get out of this? My husband when I get home again. I hope. And at least I grew up. May I see your ticket, please? Oh, well, Mrs. Richards, it's nice to have you aboard again. Nice to be going back with you, Angie. Oh, you look a lot different. That's what Rome will do for a girl. You must have found yourself a real superman. I did. And he'll be waiting for me when we land in the States. I'm going to be married again, Angie. Oh, that's nice. Doubly nice, because it's the same man. What? That's kind of like a miracle. Sort of. Funny. I had to come 4,000 miles to finally put a ghost to rest. (laughs) Four months later, Mrs. Ken Richards received a photograph of Grey Ghost Number 2. And by the end of the year, she had established herself as the premier sports car in Europe. By that time, Mrs. Richards was able to send a picture of an even more complicated machine that her husband and she had taken nine months to build. His given name was Joseph Alessandro Richards. But somehow, everyone ended up calling him Chip. back shortly. If you should hear a voice from beyond or feel someone at your shoulder, I wouldn't trust it to be necessarily friendly. May I suggest that the best course is to follow the advice of Satchel Page and Never look back. There may be something gaining on you. Our cast included Betsy Palmer, William Redfield, Evie Juster, and Ian Martin. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. 1945, World War II. Over 185,000 National Guardsmen casualties in Europe and the Pacific. Some people think the National Guard is just an excuse for a bunch of guys to get together and have a good time. 1952, the Korean War saw 183,000 Guardsmen called to action. That they're weekend warriors, not real soldiers. 1969, Vietnam. Guardsmen awarded 55 silver stars, 681 purple hearts, over 1,000 bronze stars. I'm Tom Selleck. I can't clear up all the misconceptions people have about the National Guard, so let me leave you with one important fact. If you bring together all the ready forces of the Army, Air Force, Navy, Marines, and Reserves, you still have only half the picture. The other half, the National Guard. Skilled, capable, 
Intelligent people. People like you and me. Americans at their best. Tom Selleck, Guardsman, 1967 through 1973. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. You're listening to WWJ News Radio 95. I'm Earl Dickinson. In the next few minutes, complete details on these stories. State police in Ypsilanti are seeking an armed robber from a freeway holdup. And a 15-year-old from Oak Park is going to be tried as an adult for the two deaths he reported that caused in a high-speed accident. CBS News is next. All news. All the time. News Radio 95. WWJ Detroit. News. I'm Jim Shenaby. The Senate has voted itself a pay raise, but it's not what the House ordered. The Senate's version of the bill rates a 9.7% raise, less than half the hike that the House voted for itself, federal judges, and other high-ranking government employees. Some senators are less than impressed with the fact that they'll be making less than... I'm E.G. Marshall. Let's say it's a bright summer day with the sky high and blue and you are half dozing in the shade of a tree out in the country or on your patio. A dense, dark shadow passes over you and for the briefest moment you shudder to the marrow of your bones with such intense cold that for that moment heart, breathing, feeling, life stops dead. You open your eyes and look up, but there is nothing in the clear sky. Then you will know that over you has passed one of the ghost planes. Our mystery drama, The Ghost Plane, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Ian Martin and stars Richard Crenna and Janet Waldo. It is sponsored in part by Sinoff, the Sinus Medicines, and Buick Motor Division. I'll be back shortly with Act One. When you say when you say you said a lot of things nobody else can say. Anheuser Busch, St. Louis. For a lot of people, a full-size car is a downright necessity. Buick understands that, which is why they build the Sabre, a car with lots of standard comfort and convenience, a big trunk, and honest-to-goodness elbow room for six. Buick the Sabre, free spirit in the family size. And now for a change, some good news for the working person. If you don't have a retirement plan where you work, the Emigrant Savings Bank has a nice little tax shelter you can take advantage of. It's their IRA individual retirement account. It lets you deduct up to 15% of your annual earnings, or as much as $1,500 a year, and set it aside in a high-paying IRA plan. 
The entire amount is tax-free, including the interest it earns until after you retire. In fact, the more you save for retirement under this plan, the less taxes you'll pay each year. So when you finally retire, you'll have a lot more to fall back on than just your Social Security checks. Don't put off saving for your retirement. The longer you wait, the more taxes you'll pay. For information about Emigrant's individual retirement account, drop by any Emigrant office or call the Pension Department, 212-883-5800. They'll help set up your own little tax shelter because Emigrant wants to help. Emigrant Savings Bank, member FDIC. Here's Ralph Flinger, better known as Mr. I Know Where They Are. Ralph, whatever became of Edwin Laudy, the inventor of the bridge lamp? Oh, yes. Yeah, so he's well up in his 90s now, but he still works every day taking chain-link fences apart. A listener would like to know whatever became of a young daredevil named Warner Bromley, who flew a Zeppelin upside down. Ah, uh, yes. He once tried to fly a Zeppelin upside down through the framework of the Eiffel Tower. What's he doing now? He inflates weather balloons for the government. All right, Mr. I know where they are. How about Stuffy Hodgson, Calvin Hoogevin, Jimmy Schwab, Fred Falvey, and Mary Backstage? Oh, they're all to be found in the pages of the new Bob and Ray book, Right If You Get Work, along with Wally Ballou, Tippy the Wonder Dog, and many more fascinating characters. That's Right If You Get Work, the best of Bob and Ray, at your bookstore now. Incidentally, Edwin Lowdy claimed he invented the bridge lamp, but he didn't. Well, he's in his 90s now. I don't see any point in reopening that controversy. Right If You Get Work, the new book by Bob and Ray is available now at Book and Department Stores, published by Random House. For all intents and purposes, the plane in which we are traveling is not different from any normal jet, a 707 or perhaps a DC-9, with two exceptions, perhaps. There is no first class, as if it were a charter plane. And it carries only two lone passengers, both of them apparently asleep. There are other, many other differences in this plane. But I leave you to discover those for yourself. Wake up, Jenny. Wake up, Jenny. Wake up, Jenny. Wake up, Jenny. What? Where am I? A plane? I wasn't going on a plane, was I? Who was I? If I am, where to? What for? I can't be awake. It doesn't feel... And yet I'm... I'm not asleep, I know that. I can hear the engines. Feel the vibration. She looks so old. I never saw an old stewardess on a plane before. But at least I can ask her. Oh, why did she have to stop by him? I hope they don't talk too long. Herb Moss, wake up. Herb Moss, wake up. Herb Moss, wake up. I must have fallen asleep. Lake. Well, then, how... 
Oh, Stewardess. Yes, sir. Can I help you? The seatbelt light is out, so I guess it's safe to smoke. In the rear of the plane, it is permitted to smoke. Oh, thanks. Yeah, how about rustling me up a double martini real dry to go with that? Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Moss. There are no drinks served on this plane. Not even a little wine with dinner? No meals I served either. No. That's the way it is with charter flights, huh? You could call this a charter flight. Yes, sir. It's not a through flight, I guess. There'll be some set-downs. That's correct, sir. Well, I hope for your sake business wasn't all that bad. Just two of us. How many are you expecting at the next stop? I don't know that yet. Excuse me. I think I want it up front, Mr. Moss. May I be of assistance, Miss Waller? I I know you're going to think this is real dumb of me, but I, I fell asleep. And waking up, I'm so spaced out, I, I can't remember. I mean, where are we going? I'm sorry, dear. I'm not allowed to tell you that. You mean I, I'm some sort of prisoner? Oh, no. No, not at all. You can go anywhere in the plane you like, except the cockpit, of course. Now, if you'll excuse me, I think perhaps the captain wants to talk to me. Well, no, wait. Wait, please. Oh, just a minute. Uh, uh, there, there's so many things I want to ask you. I it really wouldn't do any good. I wouldn't be able to answer. Well, just one thing. Is, is this some sort of a... A hospital plane or something? I've told you all I can tell you. Oh, Lord, what is it? Some awful dream. I'm scared. Oh, Mom. Mom. Someone, please. I'm so scared. Oh, excuse me, miss. Oh. Oh. Hi. Hello. I, uh... <laughs> well, there are only two of us on the whole plane, so, uh... Well, to tell you the truth, I could use some company. Uh, so could I. Uh, oh, wait a minute. I'll, I'll slide over so you can sit down. Oh, thank you. Uh, my name is... Uh, just uh, something that I... I should have my... Uh, yeah, it's my business card. Herbert Moss. I'm in... Uh, I'm with Troy Train and Kenwood. That's, that's an advertising firm. Well, as long as we're talking together, I think I should ask your name. Me? Oh, it's Ginny. Uh, Ginny, she called me. Oh, wait a minute. Let me look in my bag. There, there ought to be... Yeah, here. My dent card. Ginny Wallace. That's me. Lousy picture. <laughs> no, not at all. Nobody your age takes a bad picture. You, uh... You also didn't seem to be sure of your name, Ginny. Ginny, right? <laughs> but don't look so scared, dear. You have company. Why do you think I went groping for my business card? I wasn't sure of mine either. No kidding. You weren't honest? Honest? I'll tell you more than that. I don't know how I got on this plane. Do you? you something else. You probably don't know where this plane is headed for, do you? No, I don't. And the stewardess wouldn't tell me. Or me. Another thing. 
I've looked through all my pockets, and I can't find any carbon copy of my ticket, luggage checks, anything like that. I, I feel so scared. You don't think it's like, like, well, like one of those skyjack things, and where, where the hostage is like, I mean, well, I could figure you, but why me? Skyjack. No, I don't know. It's possible, except... Except what? Well, why don't we know who we are? Remember where we're going. Let's try some questions. Do you have any brothers or sisters? Sure. Uh, uh, two sisters and a brother. How old are they? Uh, younger than me. Mary's 14, Margaret's 11, and uh, Tommy's only 7. And your mother and father? Pop. Pop died a while back. Mom's alive. You live with the family? No, I... going to say I, I didn't anymore, but well, it's going sort of blank again. All right, now let's, let's not push it. Or you. All right, let's think about me. Well, uh, we know you work at an advertising agency. What do you do there? I'm an account executive, vice president in charge of Magnum Brands. Well, I bet you live outside the city and travel in commuter trains with bar cars and all like that, and I... I bet, I bet you're married, right? With kids near my age? Yes, yes. Brian's at college already, and Adrienne is... is yes, yes, of course I'm married, and I live in Greenridge. Hey, wait a minute. There's... There's a picture of the kids a couple of years ago, and it's my wife, Nina. Here's some other pictures of the kids. And that's the house. And this one, too. Oh, beautiful. Oh, whoops, how you dropped one. Um, who's this? Hmm? Well, that's my secretary, Barbara. Oh, good Lord. What is it, Mr. Moss? Well, nothing. <laughs> no, it's nothing. I, uh, I forgot to leave her some, some instructions about a meeting. I, I, what, what day is this? I don't know. I don't even know the day. It's terribly important for us to know just what this day means. To both of us. Jenny, oh. what is it? Oh, just the way you said it. You gave me goosebumps all over. <laughs> I know the feeling. I don't like anything about this. Look, on a plane like this, there should be more than one hostess. I'm going up front to get some information about where this plane is going. Why don't you go aft and see if there is another hostess in the galley? You mean like in the back? Yes, I'm going to check the pilot. Okay, Mr. Moss. Pilot? Pilot or somebody, I want to talk to you. I demand that you open this door. This is your captain. Will all passengers please notice that the no smoking lights are on and that seat belts be fastened? Please resume your seats immediately. We are preparing to land. Passengers will resume their seats immediately and buckle their seat belts. Please put out all cigarettes. We are preparing to land. Oh, we're falling, Mr. Mullins. The plane is falling. No, it's all right, Jenny. We're just diving a bit deeply. That's oh, all. I feel kind of sick to my stomach. Now, slide in and sit down. Sit down. Oh. That's the girl. Oh. Now keep your mouth open and swallow. And fasten your seatbelt. Hold it tight. Now listen to me. I don't know what you plan to do, but when we land, whatever it is, I'm getting off this plane. 
I'd advise you to do the same. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I've only got a couple of dollars. Don't worry about that. I've got money and credit cards. Uh, you want to get off with me? Oh, yes. And the moment I tell you to, snap open your seatbelt and head with me for the exit. This is your captain. We are about to land. Remain in your seats, as this will be a short stop. Do not unfasten your seatbelts on that. We shall be taking off immediately. Pig's eyes. They were down. That's funny. I never heard him drop that landing gear. Are we all right? Hmm. Now, as soon as we come to a halt, snap open your seatbelt and follow me. Oh, yes, Mr. Mars. Okay, now. Oh, oh, I, I can't. The buckle won't open. As soon as I get mine, I'll... Oh, damn. Oh, I knew something was up. I sure would like to know what the devil is going on. What is it, Mr. Mars? These damn belts are gimmicked somehow. We're trapped in our seats. Whoever they are, they're not going to let us get off. Who are they? I don't know, Jenny. I'm afraid even to think. Still, it is a good question. Who are they? Where is this strange plane headed with its cargo of only two passengers? Why is the hostess an elderly woman? And what is the rest of the crew like? And why have they stopped at uh, wherever they have stopped? And, and who else or what else is coming aboard? I'll return shortly with Act Two. This is Zephyr Broadcaster Wally Ballou chatting with some of the wise folks who are taking advantage of General Electric's Happy Birthday America celebration going on right now at participating GE dealers. Sir? How do you do, Mr. Blue? It's a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. I might say you look much older and smaller in person than you do on TV. Could I have your name, please? Uh, Stilskin, R.P. Stilskin. And you're taking advantage of this big General Electric celebration going on right now. Sure am. What an array of super values. GE radios, tape recorders, stereo systems. I don't know what to buy first. Well, I might suggest a GE digital clock radio or one of a number of tape recorders. Buy one and you get a free Spirit of 76 portable AM radio. That's value. Hey, I'll do that. How long is this event going to last? Through March 15th. And this is Wally Bel inviting everyone to visit a participating GE dealers and share in GE's Happy Birthday America celebration now. I didn't uh, ask you what you do for a living, Mr. Stiltskin. I spend gold in the subway tokens. Now let's pick up some of that bad music. My name is Tom Carvel, and I'm sitting here with a graduate of Carvel Ice Cream College. What is your name, please? Louise Barnhart. Louise, you were the owner of a Carvel store? Yes. Where is it located? Margate, Florida. Okay. If I were a consumer, what could you tell me about Carvel ice cream as compared to any of your competitors? Well, I don't think you can compare Carvel with any other ice cream. Because actually, it's the only ice cream that's freshly made daily in all the stores. How about the weight of it? Well, it weighs much heavier than many other ice creams that we've tried. All right, the point we try to make is that if the integrity of the manufacturer is that great, why don't you put it in the package, okay? Now, if you weigh ice cream, Carvel, as compared to any other product, you'll find it's heavier. So your manufacturer is selling retail, and you're located where again? Margate, Florida. Thank you. Did you know that the estrogen pills used by 4 million women may cause cancer? Do you know why it's taking 15 years to take red dye 2 off the market? 
Do you know that the civil war in Lebanon could become the fifth Arab-Israeli war? Do you know how all of these events and facts could affect you personally? Your answer should be yes, because you should be reading the National Observer. The National Observer is written for people who want more from a newspaper. And now you can get the next 26 weekly issues of The Observer for only $6. That's less than 23 cents a week. And the National Observer will send you free a 248-page book that will give you advice on coping with college costs, how to escape a fire in your home, how you can actually make money from your trash. It will show you how to stretch your dollars on all subjects from staying healthy to taking better and less expensive care of your car. It's free if you subscribe to the National Observer now. Call 212-757-5150. That's 212-757-5150. Out of town, call Collect. The strange plane rests on the ground. Its engines idling easily and nothing happens. In their seats, Ginny Wallace and Herb Ross have given up struggling with the seat belts, which refuse to unclasp, pinning them helplessly in their seats. The cockpit door remains closed. The sense of unimaginable and pending action is so palpable that both have dropped their voices almost to a whisper. Can you see where we are out the window? Nothing. No, rub the window off. I can't reach. I did, but it's just that white mist, sort of like a cloud. I mean, outside. No lights? No movement you can see? No. What's going to happen to us? I don't know. What's that? Bring them on board. Who is it? I can't see over the back of the seat. I don't know about the passengers, but it's the stewardess who was up front. How did she get to the rear of the plane? I don't know. That's it. Mr. Schaefer in K-1. Strap him in and... Stewardess? In a moment, Mr. Morris. Miss Newman in S-1, and Mr. Downing in S-2. Make them secure. Stewardess, I demand to be released and let off at this stop. Thank you, boy. As soon as you're out, we'll button up and take off. Stewardess! Do you hear me? I... Didn't you hear? Why won't you listen? We are in the takeoff run. Please do not smoke, and make sure that all safety belts are fastened. Not release until a light goes on. Not who has a chance? Can't you stop it, Mr. Moss? Some way. Yes, I can't, Jenny. I think you must be beginning to realize that as well as I. Wake up, Danny Schaefer. Wake up, Danny Schaefer. Wake up, Danny Schaefer. Wake up. Where am I? What is this? A plane? Are you quite comfortable, Mr. Schaefer? Who the devil are you? The stewardess. Gotta be kidding, an old team like you? Hey, what kind of an airline is this, anyhow? At the proper time, you know. Excuse me, I have other passengers to attend to. Wake up, Carol Newman. Carol Newman. Carol Newman. Carol Newman. I don't want to wake up. I don't ever want to wake up. I could care about that. What am I doing on a plane? Guy next to me. I don't fly tourists. Wait a minute. Let me think. Wake up, Bruce Dowling. Wake up, Bruce Dowling. No. Oh, no, I couldn't. 
Not now. Not now. I I made the big chance. I can't blow it. I can't. Only I have. I know it. Damn motor is still running. It's still... I'm not under the car. I'm on a plane. It's all right. It must be all right. Quite all right, Mr. Downey. Uh Uh-huh. I say for the moment, it's quite all right. Where are we headed? On the passage you booked. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to make quite a few preparations. Hey, hey, wait a minute. Damn. What's the matter with this buckle? He's messing around with it. I tried. Some new safety gimmick, I suppose. Won't release till the seatbelt light goes off. Oh, well. What's the difference? You mind if I smoke? No. If you have a stick, I'll join you. Oh, no grass, ma'am. I mean, I'm strictly keep off the grass these days. Just straight old filter tip. Did I ask for anything more? You didn't have to. We're two of a kind. Right? What does that mean? We've been down a lot of the same roads. Yeah. I've been down the same roads, I guess. Just a few more of them than you, Sonny. You weather pretty well. And a couple of years doesn't give you any right to that Sonny. You can call me... Bruce. Uh, Bruce, uh... Bruce will do. I'm Carol. I've got a case of the who the hell am I, how did I get here blues, too. I was hoping you could clue me in. About what, for example? This flight. Where we're going. How I got here. I think I'd be much help. You notice what I'm wearing? Yeah. It's uh, nice. Sort of. uh... Yeah, I see what you mean. No use asking you if you've got a ticket. Scarcely. In a negligee, you can pretty well tell everything I've got. I get a blanket from the hostess. Do you have a ticket? Not that I can find. And you have no idea how or why you're here? No. Well, kind of hazy. But no. Oh, damn. If we can only get out of these seat belts. What for? You see that couple sitting down front. The older man and the chick in the jeans. Yeah. I've got a crazy notion they were already on the plane before it landed. Or anyway, before it picked us up. Maybe they have some answers. What about the mean-looking kid with the frizzy up ahead? One with a knife he's trying to cut the belt with. I don't think I want to tangle with that character. He's riding the edge of something. This is your captain. We have now reached our cruising altitude. And for a brief period till our next stop, we suggest you loosen your seatbelts if you so desire and stretch out a little. Smoking is permitted in the rear half of the plane. Mr. Moss? Yes, Jenny? What did you mean about me beginning to realize what's happening as well as you do? Aren't you beginning to remember things? I... I'm not sure. It's... Like a bad dream, things that couldn't really happen have happened to me only. And the worst of all is... I don't know how to say it. How to explain it. You don't have to, Jenny. 
I know. I feel the same way. Sooner or later, we're going to have to face it. No. Ginny, my poor, dear little girl. Excuse me for breaking up the love scene, but I'm looking for a couple of answers, man. There's no smoking in this section of the plane. (laughs) You gotta be putting me on, man. There's five of us here. That's all there are. Who cares? Them other two will lit up. In the proper section. And the lady beside me doesn't smoke. Oh, you mean love child here? Don't let her give you no run around, Dad. She not only smokes, turns on. But she's a user, I can tell. Put that cigarette out, punk, or I'll run you aft and stick your head down one of the bowls. Tough guy, huh? Still feel so tough? <gasps> A knife? Oh, Mr. Mark! Take it easy, Jenny. I don't think he wants to try to use it. It's just supposed to scare me and try to prove what a big man he is. Hey, now, don't ever kid yourself. I got nothing to lose. Now, let's answer me a couple of questions. Such as? Where's this plane headed for? I don't know. Now, don't give me that. You were here before we got up. Before... Or however we got here, you must know something. Don't you know why you're here? Hey, man, would I be asking you if I did? Hold it. What do you two want? The same thing you do, apparently. Information. Our seatbelt. Mr. Moss, we can listen to them Yes, now. Jenny, I already have. Come on, come on. Let's start cluing us in. What is this, a prison ship or something? And why would you think that? Will you lay out... Hey. Hey, what's the idea to get up your wearing? I don't know. It's what I had on when I woke up here on the plane. You mean you two were shacking up and he brought you aboard in your fancy nightshirt? No, she doesn't mean that. The first time I met this lady was on this plane. I I, I don't even know how I got here myself. And why don't you put that knife away? And why don't you cool it? I ain't letting this out of my hand till I get a slant on what this whole gig is, see? My name is Herbert Moss. This is Ginny Wallace. Who cares about names? We should get acquainted since we're all in the same fix. Well, all right. I'm Danny. Uh, Danny, uh, I don't know. Somebody must have slipped me a Mickey or something before I got caught around here. I I can't think. Jenny and I had trouble remembering who we were. How about you two? Well, a a kind of a voice whispered my name to me. Yeah, me too. That's how I knew my name. Yeah, yeah, right on, right on. Same with me. Like I was, like, like I was coming to, uh, uh... Wake up, Danny. Uh, yeah, yeah, the old bag in the uniform. She said, Schaefer. That's it. Danny Schaefer. Uh, Downing. Uh, Bruce Downing. That's me. And the voice said, Carol Newman. Newman! Oh, well, great. Now, now we're all buddies, okay? But look, I'm asking you, Dad, what's going on? What do you know? I told you nothing. Don't give me that. I heard you say something to the love chick here when I came up. Something about face it. Face what? Doesn't anybody know? Or guess? It's all just bits, pieces, things that won't go together. I I can't remember it straight. Yeah, I like that for me, too. Mr. Downing? Uh, Yeah, that's about the size of it. One thing I do... uh, It doesn't tie in right away. How about you, Dad? Well, I'm beginning to remember a lot more than I want to. All right, now, what does that mean? Now, answer me a question first. Do you remember anything? Yeah. 
I remember plenty. I've held up stores, run numbers, lifted, hoisted cars, you name it, ever since I was 14 years old. But only to put something in my stomach. The last thing I do remember is I finally went for the big one. Murder one. I was robbing a store and a cop tried to jump me. And before I could think, I I had the shiv in him and I knew he'd bought it. So that's to clear the air. I don't really care about none of the rest of you. All I want to know is what am I doing in this bleeping plane and where are we headed and how do we get off of here? And this time I expect an answer, Dad. Because I think you know. I don't know exactly. I'm only guessing. For two reasons. Spill them. First, you all heard Danny. He's done plenty to be ashamed of, even if he wouldn't admit it. I think the first part of that statement is what all of us have in common. We're all deeply ashamed of something or things we've done. That's number one. What would I be ashamed of? Or me? I didn't do anything wrong. Shut up! What's the other thing we got in common? Take a look at your windbreaker, Danny. Yeah, what about it? There's a hole in the front. So what? Unzip it. Look at your shirt underneath. Or pull up your shirt and look at your chest. Hey, come on. What are you trying to pull? I'm trying to answer your questions for you. And for all of us. Okay. Hey. Come on, blood. What happened? I'm guessing that police officer you knifed had a partner and that he shot you. Right through the heart. I, I got a hole in my chest. Big slug. At least, at least a thirty-eight. Hit like that, I... I must be... Oh, no. No, no, I can't be. I'm afraid you are, Danny. I'm afraid all of us are. You mean we're... we're this is your captain. Will you please be sure that you are seated and have fastened your seatbelts? Please extinguish all cigarettes. We are coming in for a landing now. Thank you. Better fasten up, everyone. What for? Not me. I'm getting off this plane when it lands, understand? They won't allow you to. You might as well follow orders. If he increases the pitch anymore, you'll be rolling all over the floor. You could break your neck. What difference does it make if I'm dead? I don't know that for sure. I'm only guessing because... Because I think I remember that... I am dead. the truth? And if he has, what are the passengers who ride this strange plane headed for at this next landing? That is, supposing the pilot can pull the plane out of the screaming dive that has sent Dan scrambling for a seat and, for the moment, the welcome restraint of the seatbelt. I'll be back in a moment with Act Three. Like a taste, smoothness, and a drinkability you'll find in no other beer at any price. A taste of smoothness and a drinkability that say, this beer, Budweiser, is the king of beers. When you say Budweiser, you've said it all. Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis. 
You've worked hard to get where you are, and now would be a very good time to give yourself a little pat on the back in the form of Buick Electra, a car filled with room, luxury, comfort, the perfect place for you and your free spirit to get together. Buick Electra. Think of it as recognition for a job well done. What's for dinner? Your ShopRite has the answer. Grade A oven-ready turkeys. Toms or hens, 10 to 22 pounds, just 47 cents a pound. It's a low-calorie and nutritious meal at a great price. Check the ShopRite meat case for a lot more savings. Get your vitamin C with sun-kissed navel oranges, the large 88 size, 10 for 79 cents, or ShopRite frozen orange juice, the 16-ounce can, just 49 cents. There's a lot more for a little less at your ShopRite. J.P. Morgan wanted to dine in the style to which he was accustomed. He'd go to Mr. Louis Sherry's celebrated restaurant. Good evening, sir. The highlight of dinner at Sherry's was the ice cream dessert. Louis Sherry's ice cream still has that old-fashioned flavor, yet none of today's additives. It's made only from real cream, milk, pure cane sugar, egg yolks, natural flavor, no artificial anything. You'll see that we haven't lost our taste for old-fashioned elegance. Mr. Louis Sherry's ice cream. The natural flavor of the 1890s and the 1970s. Again, the great plane lies earthbound. Or at least, not in the act of flying. Again, swirling mists mask whatever may lie outside the cabin where five people sit imprisoned now. And again, the motherly but elusive stewardess superintends the boarding of new passengers. This time, only one who is seated in the very rear. And now, with his arrival, there is a new surprise. Ladies and gentlemen... May I have your attention, please? Hey, look, I want to talk to you. I just want to get off. Be quiet and listen to me, please. I have something to explain. This will be the last stop before your destination. The passenger who has just come on board is the Reverend Dr. Pell. He will join you as soon as you are airborne. I will not be with you for the rest of the flight. May I wish you all goodbye. And good luck. Wake up, Morgan Bell. Wake up, Morgan Bell. Wake up, Morgan Bell. Oh, my beloved father, I do remember that article of the Acts of Religion which does concern the wicked. 
and such be void of a lively faith. Must I then be denied the partaking of the body of Christ in the use of the Lord's Supper? What happened? Nothing. We just stopped climbing and leveled off. Then that means the seatbelt light should be going on any minute. And then, and then the horn will tell us that we can get off and get out of here, right? I suppose so, for all that means. Hey, look, we ain't dead. I ain't buying any of that bull, understand? Now I gotta get to a dock and fix me up. Won't do any good. Too late. How do you know? I mean, what makes you so sure? Because I have a hole in my chest to match yours. Look. Your shirt is covered with blood. I had everything. A loving wife. Fine children. Successful career. I'm 48 years old. And my secretary... 22. I took advantage of her. Made her my mistress. Promised her a marriage I knew I had no intention of going through with. I was just leaving her apartment when the young man she should have married, emotionally insane, shot me. The last thing I remember was the bullet tearing into my chest. And the blackness. That's why I know I am dead and why I am on this plane. Why all of us are. Why? Why me? He said it before. We all have something to be ashamed of. What was your scene, man? Mention anything an actor can do to claw his way to the top, and I've tried it. I. I won't embarrass little Jenny by naming him. I wouldn't want to hurt a lady's feelings. I once thought I had talent as a designer, but I had another talent that men were more interested in. It was worth quite a lot of money, I found. It was after I'd been married and my husband walked out on me when I had a kid. I'm not excusing myself, but I did have to bring up my baby until she died. And by that time, as you can see, I wasn't all that young anymore, so... so much in demand, and... what was there left to live for? I had uppers, downers, everything, so... instead of my usual two before going to bed alone, I emptied the bottle. <laughs> Excuse the hearts and flowers. But it seems to be let's take our hair down time. But I thought you'd broken out of the trap. I had, at the expense of my best friend. Yahoo! An actor friend who was playing the part in Uranus, who got me the job as understudy. His first break, too. I slipped him a Mickey before the opening night performance. That's how I went on and got all the reviews. <laughs> I thought I was a big star already, had it made... Bought myself a sports job and became a party boy. Invited now instead of hired. I turned that car upside down trying to make a right angle curve at 90. Damn right I'm dead. And I know it. And maybe I'm glad. I... I killed my baby. I deserve to die. Hush. 
Jenny, hush. It's been that bad. I loved you so. I wanted to be married. But Mom wouldn't give her consent. She thought he was too old for me. I thought if, if I was having his baby, Mom would have to agree about marriage. I waited till after three months. And I told her, only he walked out on me. And it, it was too late. Too late for the hospitals to take care of me. So I, I didn't want his baby anymore. And I went to not even a doctor. Oh. It was murder. I deserve to die. We all do. And Mr. Moss is right. That's why we're here. And that's where we're all going. Straight to hell. Oh, no. No, sir, not me. Now, what do you think you're going to do? I've been looking. The door to the cockpit is open. The shiv's enough. I'm going in there and skyjack this plane. I'm going to make that pilot turn back. The belts are open. Come on, Bruce. We better get him. What do you think? There's a chance? No, I don't want that crazy kid to... What is it, Danny? Danny, what's the matter? There's no one in there. No one. No one flying the plane. I'm afraid not, Miss Newman. Not yours or any of ours. What do you mean, Father? I'm not a father. But you're still a minister. You could help us. I wish I could, my dear. I wish that with all my heart. But you see, I am one of you. I've been listening to all of you, and I know now that's why I'm here. I no longer have any right to the name of a minister. What brought you here to join us, sir? The greatest sin of all. I renounced my God. I spent the last four years in Vietnam. I saw such suffering and misery without reason that... <sighs> but I was too busy then to think of the scars it left on the mind was only returning to the United States, wanting to pray for those poor people I'd known and for the agony of our country and all the world that, that suddenly I found there were no more words. There was no more belief. Everything had been wrung from me. And my faith was gone. How did you die? By God's hand. I was passing a crowd lost in my own thoughts and the struggle in my mind. And a policeman came to me and said there was a boy on a ledge threatening to kill himself unless they found him a minister. I went up to that high place and out on that ledge and I asked him to come in. And he said to me, Father, why should I come back to a world where there is no God Tell me, convince me that there is one, and I will come in. Where were the words of comfort that can only be spoken from the soul? I, who had picked this mission to devote my life to, had none to offer. 
Again, the blackness hit me. I felt myself reeling, and like Lucifer, I fell headlong into eternal damnation. I wonder whose is the greatest sin. And does it matter after all? I'd guess that religion has touched me less than any one of you. But I still have hope. Hey, man, what are you talking about? You're the one put the whammy on us from the beginning. You're the one first put us all behind the eight ball. Whatever all of us did, we were human. Human, born to make mistakes. Big or little. If we didn't, we'd be God. Or gods. Each of us carries our private hell within us. I cannot conceive of anything beyond that as punishment. The whole idea of God surely means compassion. What's that? We're landing. Without any approach? In midair? What does it mean? Hey, help me. Hey, knock it off, Danny. Hey, ain't you scared? Sure. But not so much after what Mr. Moss said. Plane's coming to a halt. Luke, you said we were two of a kind. Yeah. Then can I hang on to you? I'm terrified. Sit down, everyone. Let's not waste time. Who are you? Traffic control, of course. Are we in hell? Not yet. May I ask where we are? This is sort of a halfway station. We have your dossiers. You have all made mistakes of greater or lesser value. That's neither here nor there. You have reached what is usually called the point of no return. That is the point on a journey where you are exactly halfway. And so you have a choice. Do you wish to continue? Or would you like to go back to where you were before the moment of finite death? You mean we are not condemned everlastingly? No one has judged you as yet but yourselves. None of you returns to face an easy life. But if you want to, you may. You mean there is a God who offers us a second chance? Of course. Everyone deserves that, don't you think? I wonder if the memory of this tale will haunt you. And if, perhaps, as it does, that mistake, that hurtful or even vicious action you may have taken may give you a moment's pause to reconsider and perhaps to try to repair the damage. For all of us, there is a second chance. At least once. I'll be back shortly. I want that sinus medicine. Headache tablet? No, the sinus medicine that relieves headache and congestion. Internal sinus pressure and post-nasal drip. You mean Sinoff? Exactly. Compare Sinoff tablets with anything you've ever taken for sinus. No sinus tablet you can buy relieves more symptoms. Sinoff gives you a full dose of pure aspirin plus a powerful sinus drainer. Sinoff works fast to help sinus pain while you drain. S-I-N-E-O-F-F. Sinoff, the sinus medicines in the bright red box. Take when needed, only as directed. Do you know about the new ways to relieve tension, sinus problems, aging symptoms? Do you know about the surgeon who uses vitamin E to help people with circulation problems? If you don't know, you probably don't know prevention, America's largest health magazine. 
All this vital information has appeared recently in Prevention, and each month, over a million and a half subscribers depend on Prevention for the same kind of helpful information about living healthier, happier, longer lives. Try Prevention for yourself. Twelve issues, only five eighty-five, and the editors will also send you the Good Health Cooking Guide free. Now, to order Prevention, send no money now. Just phone 757-5650. In New York, that's 212-757-5650. Out of town, call Collect. Or write Prevention, WOR, New York 10018. If you don't like the first issue, cancel and keep the issue and the free cooking guide. You'll owe nothing. But do phone today, 757-5650 for Prevention. Men, women, European health spas have a new membership for you that's very special for two good reasons. First, it will cost you only $4.33 a week average for a two-year program. Secondly, you get all the services and facilities that have made this one of the world's most preferred health club organizations. Your very own private membership and the luxury of the European health spas. Did you ever think a European health spa's membership would cost so little? From your very first visit, you'll feel the exhilaration of doing something great for your body. You'll feel a glow come to your face, the excitement of feeling stronger, more vibrant, more alive. And you'll receive your own exercise and nutrition program to help you keep that feeling. Do it now, now that you can afford it. They'll even give you a complimentary first visit. There's a special low-priced membership waiting for you at European Health Spas. $4.33 a week is an average cost based on the cash price of their new two-year membership. This special new membership good at one spa only. Call now for details. The number is in your white pages. Our cast included Richard Crenna, Janet Waldo, Casey Kasem, Virginia Gregg, and Sam Edwards. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. Radio Mystery Theater was sponsored in part by Anheuser-Busch Incorporated, Brewers of Budweiser, and General Electric. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams. you in part by ShopRite Supermarkets, where you get a lot more for a little less. The preceding program is furnished by CBS Radio. I'm Barry Farber. Whose side are you on in the war between parents and children? No matter whose side you're on, you'll find something to gripe about and something to cheer about in the opinions to be expressed on these microphones during this argument, Parents versus Kids, right here on The Barry Farber Show at 8.15 on WOR New York. in the Mutual Broadcasting System studios in Washington, D.C. My commentary after this. Even these days, there are ways to save money. Interested? Well, one way is to keep your car well-tuned with AC firing spark plugs because AC spark plugs not only help improve your car's performance, they could also help save gasoline. So see your AC Delco service man.
Get a tune-up with AC spark plugs today. Ask for Paul O'Reilly at Thunderbird Auto, 7301 51st Avenue in Woodside. They're body and mechanical work experts. We're all a little leery of the dark. That's why some lonely night, you'll be glad you bought a Delco battery. A Delco quality battery with instant starting power. Delco batteries. Some lonely night, you'll be glad you bought one. See Don or Mal at Tyson Motor Parts, 409 36th Street, Union City, New Jersey. There is easy access, free parking, so drive over to Tyson Motor Parts. In St. Louis today, speaking to the National Baptist Convention, representing more than six million of the nation's blacks, President Ford said equality is not yet a full reality for every American, I'm sorry to say. He called for what he termed a communion of Americans of all races and creeds to build a new and better America as the nation enters its third century. The president spoke to the convention as he began a two-day business and political trip to Missouri, Kansas, and Texas. He said that minorities and women still do not participate equally in employment, nor do they share many economic, social, and other resources of the nation. Yet the struggle goes on, he declared. And it must continue until the vision of the Founding Fathers and the dream of Martin Luther King and others has become a reality. The world's and the nation's greatest problems, the president said, can be solved only by sincere changes of the will and the human heart. It was the president's second full day before the public as, uh, as a whole since 26-year-old Lynette Fromm pointed a gun at the president just one week ago in Sacramento, California, she, of course, as you recall, was subdued by Secret Service agents on that point. And since that incident, presidential security has been extremely heavy. In New Hampshire yesterday, when the president was campaigning for Republican senatorial candidate Louis Wyman, Secret Service agents were surrounding him at all times, and there was strict police control of all of the crowds. The president, in addition, appeared to be wearing a protective vest, probably a bulletproof vest, as he plunged repeatedly into the crowd to shake the hands of well-wishers along the motorcade route. Well, today in St. Louis, a patrolman said that he spotted a man armed with a pistol near Keel Auditorium, where the president was to speak. The president apparently was not in the immediate area at the time. St. Louis police said the man was armed with a 45 caliber, uh, caliber pistol. The patrolman said the man escaped into a parking garage next door to the auditorium, and the search of the garage was ordered. The patrolman's report was received at 12.50 in the afternoon, that's central daylight time, a time when the president was at a television station about 10 blocks away from the auditorium for an interview at the police command post, an officer said that the man was described as white, about 30 to 35 years old. The officer said that about 50 reserve officers were promptly set into the area to augment about 150 officers that were already there on duty. Here in Washington, the Secret Service did receive the report about an hour after the incident occurred. A spokesman here for the Secret Service said, we got a preliminary report that a St. Louis police officer spotted somebody with something that appeared to be a weapon. In the meantime, St. Louis police also reported that two bomb threats were telephoned to the auditorium switchboard where the president was to speak. A spokesman said the calls apparently were from two different women. Well, a member of Congress and while vice president and even while president, President Ford has spoken out repeatedly against the concept of forcible busing to achieve a racial balance in the schools. But today, in his address before the Black Baptists in St. Louis, he 
Did not mention anything about busing, the president saying only that he stands for, quote, quality education for every American. He said that that can be achieved, quote, with reason, calm, and sincerity, and some prayers from all of us. The president praised the work of the church for having a major influence on black accomplishments in the United States. He stated, quote, I firmly believe that there should be more church leadership in this country. We see enough of the material power, what the American people need to know and feel more often is the spiritual power of the church, school, and family in their lives. The future of America is not so much based on how much energy and steel we produce, although these are vital to our existence, but the future of America is based on the rights and responsibilities that we as individual citizens are willing to commit to others and accept ourselves. The president offered what he called a great and noble goal, the communion of Americans coming together to face a common destiny as one people, one nation, dedicated not only to the preservation, but to the extension of that unity. While the president was in St. Louis, Vice President Nelson Rockefeller was in Dallas, kicking off a two-day political tour of his own through the Southwest. He was sounding the administration's theme of free enterprise with a tight fiscal belt and declaring that he is not worried in the slightest about his spot on the 1976 Republican ticket. The three-state Rockefeller trip is designed to raise money for the Republican Party and to make friends, of course, for Rockefeller himself. The vice president was telling newsmen in Dallas today that he's not concerned about the Lou Harris poll released yesterday indicating that he is third choice of Republicans and independents for the 1976 Republican vice presidential nomination. He is trailing, according to pollster Lou Harris, trailing former California Governor Ronald Reagan and even Senator Barry Goldwater. Rockefeller asked when confronted with the news about the poll, what's new? He was to begin his politicking with an appearance before the National Federation of Republican Women's Convention, President Ford off today on a similar jaunt, talks to the group tomorrow. Reagan, who is considered a possible Republican presidential challenger to Ford, speaks to the group tonight. In prepared remarks for the convention, the vice president said that the administration wants to solve the unemployment crisis and provide financial security, but he added more government spending could crush free society. From the Mutual Studios in Washington, I'm Fulton Lewis, and that's the top of the news as it looks from here. The CBS Radio Mystery Theater presents... Come in. Welcome. I'm E.G. Marshall. From ancient days to the present, mankind has believed in ghosts. Some claim to have seen them, heard them, and even touched them. There never was any question about the terror of such an experience, real or imaginary. Even today, we read in our newspapers about apparitions and spirit messages which have no reasonable explanation. It was such an experience at a lonely inn in Maine that terrified a man of exact science named Professor George Weymouth. You saw what there? A hundred yards offshore. An inverted funnel of water like a shroud, a winding sheet, the garment of the dead. Oh, come now, Colonel Pingree, a shroud? 
Just the wind whipping a wave crest into an inverted cone. You look as if you'd seen an apparition. Don't tell me you believe in that kind of thing. You said your name was... Weymouth. Weymouth? Yes. That could explain it. Our mystery drama, The Five Ghostly Indians, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Roy Windsor and stars Robert Dryden and Court Benson. It is sponsored in part by Anheuser-Busch Incorporated, Brewers of Budweiser, and Sinoff, the sinus medicines. I'll be back shortly with Act One. As we approach our country's bicentennial, we think proudly of 1776 and our independence. But what about the first people to live in America, the Indians? Long before we became independent, we had taken away their independence. Someone wrote, the Pilgrim Fathers landed on the shores of America and fell upon their knees. Then they fell upon the Aborigines. An Englishman exploring the coast of Maine in the year 1605 captured and killed five Indians. And the bad relationship began. His name was George Weymouth. And this is the story of what happened to his present-day namesake. Uh, uh, yeah, look at this. Indian arrowhead. Hello there! What? Oh! Oh, hello! Well, heard you'd arrived at White Pines. Uh, my name's Pingree. Colonel Caleb Pingree. How do you do, Colonel? George Weymouth. And you don't mind me butting in this way? If you do, say so, and I'll finish my walk up the beach. Oh, certainly not. I was just about to walk back to the inn. It's growing dark, and I'm chilled. Ah, that's a cold-looking ocean. Forbidding. Well, come along. We'll have a cup of tea in front of the fire in the lodge. That sounds inviting. Oh, uh, look here. Just before you hailed me... Look what I found. What's this? An Indian arrowhead among the rocks? Well, that's unusual. There's a design on it. Here, let me rub off more of the moss. It's heavily encrusted. Must have been here for hundreds of years. Look. Drums. I beg your pardon? Drums. Indian drums. Hear them? Drums. What are you talking about? I don't hear anything. Uh, Here, any idea what this design means, Colonel? Well, they're gone. They're gone. What? You didn't hear the Indian drums? No. When you rubbed the arrowhead, I distinctly heard drums. When you handed it to me, the drums stopped. Yes, well, let's not worry about them. Take a look at that design, Colonel. Hmm. A diamond figure enclosing another diamond figure. Oh, that's very unusual. It means medicine man. Why unusual? Because a tribe's medicine man hardly ever went into battle. 
He was called a shaman and had great authority because of his special guardian functions. That's why he became known to us as a medicine man. Well, you've made a remarkable discovery. Here you are. It's quite beautiful, isn't it? Good heavens. Well, what is it? Quite. The drums. And look. Look out there, about a hundred yards offshore. See it? See what? I see white caps as far as I can see, nothing more. And drums? You're hearing things, girl. Look there, follow where I'm pointing. See that inverted funnel of water? It's like a shroud. Don't you see it? I really don't. May I have the arrowhead? Yes, of course. Well, the drums have stopped. That funnel of water is gone. <laughs> You're a romantic, Colonel. Yes. Do you know what I'd do with that arrowhead if I were you? I'd throw it in the ocean. I certainly won't do that. You said it was unusual. My young daughter will treasure it as a wonderful souvenir. You're not pulling my leg, are you, Colonel? I assure you, I am not. What did you say your name was? Weymouth? Yes. George Weymouth. I'm an assistant professor of zoology. Weymouth? Yes, yes, yes. That could explain it. Explain what? Do you know anything about the history of your surname? No, not too much. There have been Weymouths here since the Revolutionary War... General Tad Weymouth. The name goes further back than that, Professor. I think I'd better tell you about it. Now, just put that nonsense out of your mind, Boggs. Want nonsense. I saw them, and I heard the drums. Yeah. I'll mention it to Colonel Pingree. Maybe he can explain it. Oh, you're two of a kind, you and that old daydreamer. Don't know how you stand listening to his same old stories over and over again. You'd think he had the second sight. Well, some folks do, Meg. Uh-huh. Well, then ask him when he comes in from his walk where the Faradays are. Should have been here by now. It's after six. Well, got lost, most likely. It's easy to make the wrong turn off at Bath and end up at Booth Bay Harbor. Well, I gave her very careful instructions. Seemed a nice young woman. They're staying a week. Well, we can use the money. Summer wasn't so bad, Fox. And after they leave, there'll be just us and the cats. Yeah. I'll miss Colonel Pingree. <laughs> Don't see why. With that second sight the two of you got, you can keep tabs on each other all winter. Drums. Uh, I tell you, Meg, as sure as I'm standing here, I heard them. And I saw what I saw. Five Indian braves dancing around a boiling pot and dipping their arrows into it? Yeah, that's what I saw on that side road, coming back to Phippsburg from Poppin Beach. The drums were rolling, and there they were, right in the middle of the road, heads down and dancing in a circle. <laughs> Lucky you didn't run them over. 
Well, I'd best be getting to the kitchen. The colonel and that professor ought to be back soon from the beach. Uh, maybe you'd better build up the fire and offer them some tea when they come in. Uh, what's that professor's name? Weymouth? Why? Hmm, Weymouth. Seems to me Oh, I... Boggs, now oh, what? Never mind, I'll speak to the colonel. Well, you keep your ears open for the telephone. If the Faradays did get lost, they'll be calling in. It's almost dark now. And it's hard to find the place. Ah, ah, ah. Oh, oh, it feels good in here, Colonel. <clears throat> well, the fire will feel better. I won't change my shoes. My sneakers got wet. Hmm. Well, shall I order hot tea? Uh, yes, thank you. I'd like a cup good and hot. Uh, uh, evening, Boggs. Evening, Colonel. Ah, that's a grand fire. Yeah, yeah. Mag thought you might like a cup of hot tea. Yeah, your good wife is absolutely right. Two cups. Professor Weymouth would like some, too. Sure thing. Hey, sit down. I'd like to ask you a question, Boggs. Sure. I got one for you, too. Oh? Well, let me have yours first. You know the side road from Poppin Beach back to Phippsburg, about four miles away? Yes. And I told Mag about what I saw, but there's no talking to her. She just laughs at me and declares I might be a, a little loose in the top story. <laughs> well, I know that your good wife feels the same way about me. Oh, she means no offense, Colonel. No, of course not, of course not. I understand that. Well, after I picked up the lobsters and the clams in Poppin Beach, I drove the old truck back toward Phippsburg. Mm-hmm. Now, about a mile from where I turned off to the White Pines, I heard drums, Indian drums. And I saw, clear as I'm seeing you, five Indians dancing round a boiling pot and dipping their arrows into the stuff, whatever it was. You see. Well, what do you make of that? <clears throat> well, I heard Indian drums too, Bugs. I knew I was right. Where did you hear him, Colonel? On the beach, about a half an hour ago. But I saw something else. About a hundred yards offshore, I saw an inverted water spout. Looked like a limp sheet held up by two fingers. A headless ghost. What did it do? Well, when Weymouth handed me the arrowhead, the drum stopped and the dancing ghost vanished. Arrowhead? Weymouth found an arrowhead among the rocks down by the beach. An arrowhead amongst the rocks? Well, it must have been there for centuries. More than three. I'd say it dates from around 1605. Now, how the deuce do you know that? Weymouth. You're from an old down-easter family. Does the name mean anything to you? Yeah, but just barely. Well, I've been thinking about it ever since Weymouth picked up that arrowhead. It had belonged to a medicine man because it had a design on it, a figure of a diamond within a diamond, probably from the Hedgeman tribe. Back in 1605, an Englishman named George Weymouth explored the coast of Maine. For no reason I've ever been able to learn, he brutally murdered five Indians. The chief of the tribe attacked Weymouth's sloop. Killed several of his soldiers. And then they were overwhelmed. Yep, it comes back to me now. Yeah. 
The English killed a medicine man, wrapped him in a sheet, and dropped him into the ocean. And now he's returned. He's returned, and he's called up those five murdered Indians to witness his revenge. You told Professor Weymouth about the curse? I intend to. But he's a professor of zoology, a man of science. He'd laugh at me. Uh, how long is he staying with you? Till the end of the week. Two more days. Mm. I'll have to tell him to leave tonight. Uh, let me handle him. If he'll give me the medicine man's arrowhead, uh, he won't be threatened, and neither will White Pines. Evening, Colonel. Here's the... Oh, there he is. Here comes the professor. Evening, professor. Hot tea. Just what I need, Miss Boggs. I got chilled down there at the beach. Evening, Mr. Boggs. Evening. Uh, thanks for the talk, Colonel. Oh, hey. you two been yarning about those Indian drums and them five dancing Indian braids. Oh, they're, they're, they're real enough, Meg. Now, don't tell me, Colonel, that you still think you heard drums and saw an apparition offshore? Uh, your name is, is Weymouth. Over 300 years ago, your ancestor, George Weymouth, cruelly murdered five Indian braves and killed the medicine man of their tribe and buried him at sea. If when you picked up that arrowhead, you triggered the guardian spirits of those Indians and they have been awakened. Indeed. To what purpose? Revenge, Professor Weymouth. <laughs> I don't believe it, Colonel. With all due respect to folklore. I didn't expect you to believe it. If Colonel Pingree and the innkeeper Boggs swear that they heard those celestial Indian drums and saw those apparitions, why should we disbelieve them? They are otherwise normal men. Psychic phenomena is not nonsense, despite the disbelief of Professor Weymouth, whose name links him with a brutal crime committed over 300 years ago. I'll be back shortly with Act Two. be that some down easters have retained imaginations more lively than our own because our 23rd state, Maine, has a rugged climate and its people never forget it. In the sparsely settled wilderness, it would be easier to see ghosts of Indians from long ago in the forests in front of a blazing hearth. Professor Weymouth might scoff at folklore, and so does Mag, the innkeeper's wife, but not Boggs, the innkeeper. He and Colonel Pingree know what they heard and saw. Boggs, what was that talk about an arrowhead? Weymouth found it. That's when the trouble began. Oh, Indian drums, dancing Indians, a ghost on the water. Oh, you and the Colonel, you're some pair. Seven o'clock, still no Faraday's? Yeah, lost, probably. Well, you'd think they'd telephone. Well, I'll serve the Colonel and Professor Weymouth and put the other steamers and lobsters in the icebox. I think I'll go outside and look around a little. Now, you be very careful. Don't want some Indian to scalp you. <laughs> Couldn't run White Pines alone. Now, one of these days, Mag, you'll believe 
I'll be back half an hour or so. Keep an eye out for the Faraday's. Yep, yep, yep. We can eat any time Mag is ready to serve, Boggs. Coming right up, Colonel. Good. Oh, you look concerned, my friend. Nope. Just annoyed. Young couple named Faraday was supposed to arrive at six. I haven't heard a word from him. Well, it's easy enough to get lost on these back roads. I'm going out to look around. We just got that one light out front and they could drive right by. Uh, had any luck, Colonel? I'm still not convinced, Boggs. The arrowhead is mine. I'm reluctant to give it up. It means trouble, Professor. Uh, so you say. But I'm a man of science. Folklore is charming, but I don't believe in it. We know that myths were created to explain certain practices and beliefs. But when reason is applied, they disintegrate. As much as I'd like to believe your story about the Indian drums and the apparition on the sea, I can't. Well, then, Professor, I'll have to... No, no, Boggs, not so fast. Take your stroll and leave this to me. But I... I don't know, please. And I'll say good night to both of you. Night. Oh, I offended him. I'm sorry. No, don't worry about it, Weymouth. Hopefully you'll be away from here without incident in a few days. Hopefully? I can understand a simple innkeeper being superstitious, but I can't understand it about you, Colonel. An educated man, well-spoken. Well, all I wish you'd accept is that Boggs and I are certain that the Arrowhead is dangerous to you. It's in your own interest to send it to York to be placed with the other Indian relics. Well, perhaps. Come up to my room and we'll take a look at it. Agreed. You're making a wise decision, Weymouth. Maybe we'd better turn around, Ben. I'm sure I took the right road out of Bath. We drove through Winnegans and Arasik. We should have telephoned from Arasik to tell them we'd be late. Well, let's keep going. According to the map, Phippsburg ought to be, well, only a few miles from here. You'd never know it. It's like being in a wilderness. I haven't seen a sign for miles. And it's pitch black. <laughs> Scared? Well, it is kind of spooky. Well, there's nothing here to harm you. Let's drive on. If we get to Pittsburgh, we'll telephone White Pines. Maybe they'll hold dinner for us. It's after 7, Ben. We ought to be there by 7.30. <sighs> Unless we're on the way to Booth Bay Harbor. I have the arrowhead in my bureau drawer. I'll regret giving it up, Colonel. Well, you'll regret it more if you keep it. Ah, here it is. Deadly looking, isn't it? But quite beautiful. Uh, well, good heavens. What's that? A regular gale. And the sky is clear and the water calm. And there's fog all over the windows. Oh, watch down that accursed arrowhead and stand back, Weymouth. Look out. Look out. It smashed out one of the windows. Weymouth, come here. Look. Look, racing toward the beach. I... I can't believe it. Did you see it? Yes. Yes. A white sheet flying over the ground. And twirling as it goes. Now it's at the shore. It's going out to sea. Pingree, 
What is it? Did you see it? Did you see it, Colonel? Hey, the wind is broken. What happened? Did it try to get in? Weymouth had the arrowhead in his hand when a tremendous gale arose. Then fog covered the window. I saw the fog. Yes. When I yelled, look out. But it weren't fog. It was that medicine man who come out of the sea. Well, that's what I saw from the shore late this afternoon, Boggs. What about you, Professor Weymouth? I, uh... I saw it, too. You believe now? I don't know what to believe. But you saw it with your own eyes, Weymouth. You saw the apparition, the ghost of that Indian medicine man, who was killed and buried at sea hundreds of years ago. Now are you going to give the arrowhead to the colonel? I admit what I saw, but I still can't believe it. My training and my mind refuse to accept the idea of an avenging ghost. What I saw... Might have been an illusion. That busted window ain't no illusion, Professor. Well, that might be explained in some way other than the fantastic notion that a ghost, which is weightless, could have broken that window. Now, what's all the excitement about? Box. The window. The ghost of the Indian medicine man paid Professor Weymouth a visit. What? Now, that's just crazy. You mean something that weighs less than a sheet of cheesecloth broke that window? And ask him. Professor? I don't honestly know, Mrs. Boggs. <laughs> now you were honest enough and you admitted seeing it, Weymouth. That's true. I did see something like a shroud, a winding sheet, trying to break through the window. A great wind preceded its appearance. Then the wind died down and the thing twirling like a top, flew back to the beach and out to sea. And you saw it? Well, it may have been an illusion, but yes, yes, I did see something. I'll pay for the window, of course, and I... I think I'll check out tomorrow, if you don't mind. Professor, you mean you're scared? Say I'm... Prudent. It was that ancestor of yours, George Weymouth. He was cruel to those Indians, and they want to avenge themselves against the person who bears that name. I'll give you the arrowhead in the morning, Colonel, and head back home. About ten more minutes, Fran. I'm glad we telephoned. She was so nice, Mrs. Boggs. She'll have the steamers ready and then the lobster. Perfect. I could eat for hours. Ben. Ben, slow down. Ben, stop. What? What is it? You, you sound terrified. Look up there ahead. You see them? Huh? Don't you see them? Who, who's them? You, you mean you don't see them? I don't even know what you're talking about, Fran. The Indians. What? Indians! Five of them! They're dancing around a big pot! And listen, drums! Indian drums! Hey, come on, you're pulling my leg. Indians dancing around a pot. I don't see a thing as far as the headlights carry. You all right, friend? Of course I'm all right. You mean you really can't see them? They're dipping their arrows into the pot as they dance around it. Toledo, you must have flipped. I assure you, honey, there's nothing in the road. Nothing. There is, there is. I tell you, I see them. 
hunger can make a person see things sometimes. I'm hungry, but I'm not starving to death. Darn it, Ben, I see them. Are you telling me I've come off the spool? Well, what do you want me to do? Shoo them away? I don't know what we should do. Well, I do. You close your eyes. I'm driving on. Indians or no Indians, I want to get to White Pines. Faraday's ought to be long any minute. Yep. Now what's fretting you? Weymouth. Won't listen to reason. I'm glad he's leaving in the morning. If he wasn't, I'd tell him to get. Just because he won't do what you and the colonel want him to? There's a curse on the man. An old Indian curse. What if that thing had gotten into the room and killed him? We'd never have another guest here, summer or fall. Oh, now get that sour expression off your face. It's almost 7.30. You stay here at the desk and wait for the Faradays. And be pleasant. I'm about ready to serve them steamers. Oh, that's them, Boggs. Hmm. Evening. Hello there, uh, Mr. Boggs. Yep. Glad you made it. Evening, ma'am. Good evening. Have trouble with the road? Well, no, the directions were fine. We just weren't sure we were on the right one. But it, it worked out. What a fine inn you have here, Mr. Box. Oh, it's lovely. Look at that lodge room, Ben, with logs blazing away in the fireplace. Fran, why don't we go in and have a drink in front of the fire? I can bring in our bags later. Never mind the bags. I'll fetch them. If you'll give me your keys, I'll pack your car off the road. My wife will get you a drink, and you can have dinner any time. Steamers and lobster. Hope you like them. Perfect. <laughs> Nothing better. All over your scare, darling? Oh, Ben. Something go wrong on the way down? <laughs> it's too silly to mention, Mr. Boggs. Oh. Well, I'm not a pride man myself. My wife saw five Indians dancing around a pot and dipping arrows into it. Hunger pains, I told her. Did you know? Silly, wasn't it? Depends. You'd better sign the register. I'll have her come out and fix you some drinks. better go down to dinner, Weymouth. Right. It's after 7.30. Hmm. Still got your appetite? Oh, yes, yes. I'm recovered now. Hmm. Quite an experience for you to tell about back home. A phenomenon. I can't quite yet encompass what happened. Well, accept it. Give me the arrowhead and tell your story on a wintry night to that little girl of yours. Of course, it's not a story, not fiction, because it really happened. It was strange. I know what I heard and saw, but there must be a rational explanation for what happened. Including the breaking of the window? Even including that. It must have been some freak kind of pressure. I have nothing to fear from mere ectoplasm. Well, maybe you don't have anything more to fear... But don't count on it. Professor Weymouth, even as you and I, is a rational man. He accepts only what he can touch or see. His mind rejects the possibility of ghosts. But is there anyone who doesn't know of a haunted house? Haunted by what? 
a specter? Yes, indeed, Professor Weymouth. For all your education, you cannot prove they don't exist. I'll be back shortly with Act Three. Pines Inn is located a few miles from Phippsburg on the rocky coast of Maine. The coast is beautiful but forbidding, as the British found out during the Revolutionary War when 6,000 men of Maine fought them determinedly. Maine remembers those days of hardship and remembers her even earlier history. The first settlement in 1620 on the Saco River, the Abnaki and Etchemin Indians of the Algonquian family. And who is to say that the spirits of those dead do not still inhabit those huge forests of white pine, fir, spruce, and birch? Excellent dinner, Meg. Excellent. Oh, thank you, Colonel. Oh, very good. Best steamers and lobster I ever had. Sure. Not to forget the Indian pudding. <laughs> well, that's real enough. Nothing ghostly about that, Professor Weymouth. You want coffee here or in the lodge room? Well, let's have it in front of the fireplace, Meg, if you please. And introduce yourselves to that nice young couple they're finishing up. Named Faraday. Yeah, I'll do that. Faraday seem as content as we are. <laughs> Good evening. Good evening. I'm uh, Ben Faraday. This is my wife, Fran. How do you do? I'm George Weymouth, and this is Colonel Caleb Pingree. Oh, pleased to meet you, sir. Yeah. Colonel, will you join us? Well, thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you arrived. Boggs and his wife had begun to worry about you. You lose your way? <laughs> well, we thought we had, but we were on the right road all along. And then the sun dropped out of sight, and it was so dark, I just crept along. Oh, we had an unexpected adventure. Then they wouldn't be interested. Well, certainly we would, Mrs. Faraday. Up here, anything unusual is welcome. It gives us something to talk about. Just seeing new faces is a treat. Especially yours, Mrs. Faraday. Why, thank you. Uh, where are you from, by the way? Uh, Lewiston. You? Uh, Brunswick. I teach zoology. The colonel here just enjoys life. <laughs> I suspect he's got a chest of old gold in his attic. And he's a mine of folklore about the Indians who used to inhabit these forests. <laughs> well, that's not quite true about the chest of gold. But Indian legends are my hobby. And we've just experienced another one. What? Well, it's true enough. Even Professor Weymouth has to admit what he saw. You saw something, Professor? I think so. When? Late this afternoon. Well, why are you looking so startled? Mrs. Faraday? Excuse me? You, uh, experienced an Indian legend? Four cups, cream, sugar. I'll leave the pot. No, thank you, Mag. Are you all right, young lady? You look kind of peaked. Oh, Indian legend. So that's it, Colonel. Got another listener to those Indian legends of yours. Oh, my dear Meg, I, I've Now, said don't let the Colonel pull your leg, Mr. Faraday. He and my husband, Boggs, sees things where they ain't. If they ought to give me the creeps listening to the two of them. 
Say what they want to. There's no such thing as ghosts. What about the broken window, Meg? Well, that's just a freak swirl of wind. Hmm. And the twirling shroud that scudded out to sea. Well, I didn't see it. Now, I'll thank you not to go scaring these young folks. You are not going to believe this, Mrs. Bards. Go on, Fran, tell them. Well, not far from here, when I thought we were lost, Ben stopped the car. And the headlights cut a tunnel of light far down the road. And, and then I saw them. People see things when they're hungry. Maybe I was imagining things, but I'd swear I really saw them. Five Indians dancing around a pot of or cauldron and dipping their arrows into it. You have no doubt about what you saw, Mrs. Faraday? I saw them as plain as I see you. Well, Professor, I was inclined to disbelieve you and Boggs, Colonel, but this story of Mrs. Faraday's cannot be discarded. You saw the Indians. Did you hear drums? Yes, distinctly. What? What's this all about? I... Revenge. Revenge, Mr. Faraday. What? Re revenge for what? You'd better tell them, Pingree. Uh, you'll excuse me. I need some fresh air. I'll see you later, Colonel. He looks terribly worried, Ben. Yeah. Because he's the intended victim of an Indian's revenge. <laughs> here with me. I was going to turn down the Professor Weymouth's bed when... Well, look. The pillar's been rung in half. Chairs overturned. It's that thing from the ocean. I know you don't believe in such things, Mag. Well, I don't want to. But this... Either the Professor went crazy or... Well, how do you account for all this damage? First to the window... Now the room wrecked, and the pillow twisted in two. Like wringing a person's neck until he was dead. The Indian medicine man. Somehow he got back in here and thought he had Weymouth by the neck when what he had was the pillar. Powerful wrench. The pillar's twisted in half, feathers all over. I'm telling him to leave White Pines tonight. You think we'd better call the police in Phippsburg? Oh, they don't believe in apparitions any more than you do, Mag. Well, I'm not so sure now that I don't. Because I've never seen anything like this. Where is the professor? When the colonel began to tell the Faradays the story, the professor went out for some fresh air. And I'll find him and tell him to pack up and leave. Mr. Barks. like to have a word with you, Professor. Enjoy your stroll, Weymouth. I just stood outside and breathed deeply and looked at the sky. Mag went upstairs to turn down your bed. The room was a shambles. Chairs overturned, bed all rumpled, and a pillar wrung in half. What? I haven't been near the room since dinner time. The ghost of that Indian medicine man's been there. If you'd been stretched out on that bed, you'd be dead. That pillow was twisted in two. Feathers all over the place. Good Lord. I'm sorry to have to say this, Professor, but I want you to pack and leave. Tonight. I don't blame you. I'll pay for all the damage. 
I'm deeply sorry. Bring me the arrowhead, Weymouth. That's the source of your trouble. Until you've disposed of the medicine man's arrowhead, you won't have peace. And you may, in fact, die. Have your doubts about specters, but give me that fatal arrowhead. I'm convinced, Colonel. I'll be right back. Even Mag's convinced now, Colonel. <laughs> I'd imagine so. The professor's a doomed man. Not if he gets rid of the arrowhead. Think the Faradays have gotten scared off? No, no. They went to bed about a half an hour ago. Mrs. Faraday has the sight, Boggs, like you and me. When I told her what happened, she believed me. Even her husband began to be convinced. Oh, they'll stay. But you're quite right in telling Weymouth to leave. Tonight. Fran, stop fussing and come to bed. I'm not fussing. I'm just thinking about what the colonel told us about George Weymouth and how he murdered those five Indians way back in 1600-something. Yeah, but it's just crazy to think that some old medicine man is out to murder the professor. He didn't kill those Indians. Why is he to blame? Just because he has the same name, that's all. You believe that? Yes, I... Ben. Oh, my goodness. What is it? Look out there. On the water, see it? Yeah. Something's rising from the water offshore. It's a water spout. No, no, it's not. It's upside down. It, it looks like a sheet, and it's turning round and round. And it's floating this way towards shore. What is it? It's that thing the colonel told us he saw. The ghost of the medicine man who was buried at sea. It, it's coming towards the end. Ben, I'm afraid. I'll, I'll get by. No, don't leave me, Ben. Look, it's on the shore, and it's coming up the hill. coming toward us. No. No, it's heading for the rooms to our right. That's where Professor Weymouth is staying. It's after him, Ben. Ah! It broke the window. The whole place is shaking. Come, come on, friend. Let's get out of here. Help! Help, Colonel Kingsley! Help! Help me! The thing's got him, Ben. Colonel, Mr. Boggs. Open the door, Boggs. We have only seconds. Don't go in there, Ben. I have to. Help me, someone! Good Lord, it's at his throat. in a heap on the floor. Uh, canvas, look. When I touched it just now, it, it crumpled in my hand. It's like dust. <coughs> oh, my... My throat. Oh, thank you. Heard you. You're a close call, Weymouth. You're lucky to be alive. Thank God all of you were close by. Or it would have killed me. I... I'm very grateful. Can you tell us what happened? I can. 
I was looking out the window when I saw the apparition come out of the sea and drift this way. Then a great wind came up and the thing kind of embraced the house. It was when the window broke that the professor began to cry out. It floated in like a, a small upside-down cyclone. I tried to stay out of its way, but it began to wrap itself around me. It was horrible. What in heaven's name was it? What could it be? You know, Amos, it was the ghost of the Indian medicine men come back to avenge the murder of those five Indian braves. It was your forebear who killed them, and the spirit of the medicine men has never forgotten. When you picked up that arrowhead, you aroused his spirit. Only by giving up that arrowhead could you break the fatal connection. Well, where... where is the arrowhead now? I threw it out the window, Professor. Oh. And something else. When it hit the rocks below, there was a burst of flame... And then nothing. I... I believe it. I believe all of it, Colonel. The five ghostly Indians. They did exist. Hmm. Lucky for you, Weymouth, that you've lived to tell the story. of the supernatural goes back to earliest man. As he roamed the earth, he was encompassed by many terrors. There was the terrible dark with its countless dangers. Legends about second sight are endless. To this day, the avenging specter of the Indian medicine man lives as fact in the mind of Professor Weymouth. I'll be back shortly. fascination of terror is as ancient as the human race. It is stronger than our intellect, stronger even than our fears. It goes to the core of our very being. The brutal, unnecessary killing of five Indians in 1605 by George Weymouth laid a curse on those who bore his surname. Perhaps there is a kind of real justice after all. Crimes of long ago, unavenged, can be avenged. Our cast included Robert Dryden, Court Benson, Guy Sorrell, Anne Petoniak, Suzanne Grossman, and Jay Gregory. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. And now, a preview of our next tale. Why did you allow her to leave so early? You and I have to talk. Well, whatever we say would be beyond her. Yes, if she's group three. Turn? How could Turn be an inspector? I suspect Turn because she's too perfect. Too absolutely group three. Well, suppose she is an inspector. What have you and I ever said to each other that's reportable? I am head of repair. You are admiral of the fleet. And we are about to be disenfranchised. Why? 
Corral cannot qualify for group one. He will fail the examination. But you took him to repair yourself. He was judged in perfect balance. Oh, yes. Because he was examined by a single practitioner, and I was present. Do you think he's out of balance? Oh, I know it. He's one of those. I refuse to believe that. You refuse to accept it. Radio Mystery Theater was sponsored in part by Buick Motor Division. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams. In addition, 
Their rented chateau, a place called Auteuil, was haunted by a ghost. But, oh, he swears he heard him. Which one is Henri, Abigail? Henri is the one who cleans the floors. When did anyone ever clean the floors in this place? Well, Henri does the best he can. This isn't good enough. Now, dear, about the ghost, there is no such thing as a ghost. Let us discuss this rationally. How can you possibly discuss a thing like a ghost? Rationally, it's a contradiction in terms. John, you simply cannot close your mind. Are you telling me you actually believe that... I am that... telling you what Henri says. I see. An illiterate French peasant has suddenly become a respected authority on the supernatural. Why don't you talk to him? How can I speak to him? I don't speak his language. Ah, but he speaks yours. I noticed that. You noticed what? The aha, he speaks yours. The ah of reproach. See how this humble, uneducated man takes the trouble to learn your language while you will not bother to learn his. That isn't what I meant to say. But now that I hear it stated, I must say I agree with it. I am far too busy to study this, this exercise in nasality. But darling, you are the ambassador. Not exactly. I am the minister plenipotentiary. And Mr. Benjamin Franklin is the ambassador. Well, actually, Mr. Franklin is the ambassador emeritus. I wish Mr. Franklin would go home to Philadelphia, where I understand he is worshipped. Mr. Franklin is coming to dinner. Oh, no. <laughs> Why are you so stuffy this afternoon, John? It's so unlike you. I've been away from Boston too long. Now, about Henri and his ghost. I don't wish to talk about Henri and his ghost. What is there that I can say to this superstitious servant who... Why don't you listen to him first? Oui, Monsieur Adams, I have heard him. How do you know it's a him? He's a voice of a him. And what does he say? He says nothing. Well, this is a fuss over nothing. John. Well, how can he hear him if he says nothing? He says something, but I do not understand him. Uh, does he speak French? Francais, no. Does he speak English? Anglais, no. Then... What does he speak? He speaks... He speaks ghost. Ghost? Yes, ghost language. Oh, that's a ghost language. Oh, yes, Monsieur Adams. But what is this ghost language? And where do you hear this alleged language? Oh, I hear him all over. But where? Particularly in the library, in the bedrooms, and all over. How can I get rid of a ghost? You must call in a witch. A witch? Yes. The witch comes in and says a charm, and the, and the ghost runs away. Why? Because the ghost is frightened. Oh, now look, my good man. There is no such thing as a ghost, and I think you had better get back to work. My uncle, he says the same thing. And one morning he is found fraud. If you spent more time getting the place clean as you are paid to do, instead of weaving these impossible fables about ghosts... Oh, I... the master will give this matter his full consideration 
And we shall rid the house of the ghost. Uh, thank you, madam. And you may finish cleaning the floor. Uh, I, I go, madam. Now, happy tale. I do not relish being called the master as if I were some feudal aristocrat. Ah, but your dear friend Tom Jefferson is a feudal aristocrat back home. And he is called master by hundreds of slaves. We are not discussing Tom Jefferson. We are discussing a matter of gross superstition. Why must I indulge him in this superstitious nonsense? To make my life easier. What does this have to do with you? One day, my dear, there will be another revolution. A revolution of the women. What on earth do women have to revolt about? It will come in a faraway future. I shall not live to see it. My dear, I do wish you would stay to the subject. Although you change it so many times, I confess I, I am at a loss to know where exactly we are. Call in a witch and have this demon, this ghost, this figment of Ori's imagination. Well, whatever it is, properly exercised from the premises. My dear... It does the lower elements no good to reinforce their superstition. Perhaps not, but it will do me good. Henri's story has infected the entire staff. I want you to go along with this mumbo-jumbo before they all run away. Oh, let them. We can hire others. No one will want to work here. Oh, please, John. Hire a witch. Do, do realize... What would happen if, if a word of this reached home? I'd be I'd be the laughing stock of the country. Thing could be done for a single silver franc. Jefferson. What will Jefferson say? I will tell Henri to find a witch and have her here tomorrow. I forbid it. John, I cannot maintain this house without servants. I can't entertain at official dinners, and I insist... I will not reinforce the dark ignorance of the human race. John, please. I have nothing more to say. This is a matter of housekeeping. It doesn't concern you. Whatever lessens the dignity and the sanity of the human race concerns me. You're not making a speech before the Congress. Oh. I'm, I'm sorry, John. I, I just realized how I sound. And, well... I realize how I must have sounded. Good. Let's compromise. And call in a witch. No, I cannot permit it. Do you understand? I can no longer be mistress of this embassy. Yes, I realize that, and therefore I shall resign the post. John, this is... This is an impasse, my dear. Each of us is standing on a principle. But you can choose to resign. But I cannot choose to be party to the dark barbarism of the Middle Ages. I cannot sanction witchcraft. Well, the truth of the matter is the French do not wish for us to sign a treaty with England. John, come to bed. And neither Franklin nor Jefferson can see it. Had enough politics for one night. I have Franklin to bed. Can't we talk about it in the morning? Jefferson is so grateful, France. John, I'm Why very hardly. Tom, understand that we did more for France than France did for us. One day, everyone will understand it. But tonight, France my... and England are mortal enemies. 
Our independence is a body blow to England. Why do you and Franklin and Jefferson argue so ceaselessly? Each of you has already stated his position. I intend to go back to Boston. Yes, dear. Retire from political life. Of course. Into the farm. That would be nice. Practice a little law. Certainly. You don't believe what I'm saying. <laughs> Not a word of it. Yes? Madame? What is it, Pauline? Uh, Madame, I, I am frightened. Of what? The ghost. Which ghost? Oh, I would assume it's the same one. Oh, now somebody has to put his foot down. John. Young woman. Monsieur? There is no such thing as a ghost. Oh, monsieur. One does not make the joke about, about the ghost. It is silly, nonsensical, superstition, and I have had quite enough. Now, as master of this house... I order you to get to your bed and have yourself a full night's sleep in order that you may be fit for your duties in the morning. Is that understood? But, monsieur... That will be all. Good night. Not another word. You may leave. You have just transformed a problem into a disaster. You told me these people were peasants. And so I thought I would speak like a master. They can't accept you as a master. They can't? Why not? Well, it is... It has to do with the customs of the country. I am becoming rather satiated with the customs of this country. You do not behave like a master of a chateau. Well, how does a master... Well, a true gentleman of the blood would have, in addition to his wife, a mistress. I'm not old enough. Perhaps when I reach Mr. Franklin's age. Oh, John, tomorrow morning, please... Hire a witch. John. John. What? Huh? John. Please wake up. Wake up. Why? It can't be morning. Listen. What? What is that? Your imagination. You don't hear it? Yes, yes I, I think so. Well, is it your imagination, too? No. What? What is it? It's a... Uh, it's a... Uh, it's a... Uh, ghost. No, have it yet. I know there's no such thing as a ghost, but what do you call that? John, I remember my grandfather and my aunt. They'd tell us children's stories about... But John, I'm frightened. Oh, dear Abigail, it, 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 it's impossible. gloomy, lightning house. Who knows what crimes may have been committed here? Abigail, there... No, no, things is a ghost. Then why is your hand shaking? In broad daylight, in safe, secure, and familiar surroundings, there is never such a thing as a ghost. But in the dead of the night, in a strange country, in a large, gloomy house, 
one can never really be sure. We have never had in this country a more down-to-earth, sensible pair than John and Abigail Adams. But they've never had occasion to spend a night like this one either. I shall return very shortly with Act Two. to be a man of intelligence and integrity, to speak one's mind and stand on principle at a time when men are valued for their flexibility. Nor is it easy to be a woman of wisdom and candor at a time when women were valued purely for decorative and pleasurable purposes. And so we have described John and Abigail Adams. And these two intelligent and rational people are now having what can be described as a crisis of confidence. Each would insist there is no such thing as a ghost. And yet... Purported to be a witch. Purported? 
What does Monsieur mean, the forfeit? I am Jewish. Well, I, I, I mean... Monsieur is a politician. I am a witch. Whose profession is older and more honorable. Well, what can you do for us, Madame Finipès? The noise you hear is the Duc Dormant. How do you know? He was strangled in the chateau. Why? It was 200 years ago. He was the queen's lover. She came to visit him here. They were betrayed. These things happen. But if he's dead... What can I say, monsieur? We are told that those who are killed for love never really die. Ah, so he wanders about the chateau, does he? Yes, monsieur. Wandering and wailing for his lost love. And how do you propose to dispose of him? That, monsieur, is my own secret. There are tricks to every trade. I do not ask how you employ yours. Accord me this similar courtesy. Ah, Count Verland. Madame said to wait for you here, Monsieur Adams. Welcome, Your Excellency, to what? Do I owe the honor of this visit? Monsieur... I think we might discuss your rental of several French frigates of war. Your Excellency, we have no need Ah, but you have no navy to speak of at present. And the Algerine pirates? Oh, yes, we... We do have trouble with the pirates on the Barbary Coast. And since the building of a battle fleet is, of course... Prohibitively expensive. We are aware of the problems involved. It will be difficult to raise funds through taxation. Your countrymen cannot seem to agree on the necessity to tax Virginia planters and Pennsylvania farmers in order to protect the interests of New England merchants. Sir, this is our internal affair. Naturally. Besides, we have other sources of revenue. Have you? I am um, given to understand that the Prussian loan is encountering difficulty. Oh, you, sir. It is common knowledge. Well, I must be going. Good day, monsieur. Such lovely weather. Yes. Thank you. John, Tom Jefferson is in the library. Good. We have business. But... You and I and Nabby and Colonel Smith were to go riding this afternoon. And John, he wants to marry her. I, Mr. Tom Jefferson, and I reached a meeting of the minds. John, I said Colonel Smith wants to marry your daughter. Later. No, they don't want to wait. Don't you know what Tom Jefferson is doing? He is selling us out to France. John, it's impossible. Defending. Look. Defending, I disagree completely with his manners, his morals, his philosophy. But I like and I believe he's sincere. Abigail, he has become a creature of the French and I can prove it. Well, John, why did you want to see me? Tom, 
We must have this out. Hmm? What? Well, George Washington won't live forever. Hamilton, too unpopular, personally. Hancock, they... Thinking nobody really thinks they have enough. Enough of what? Birds, birds are slippery. What is all this, John? This is the talk that's going on at home. This is how people are thinking and speculating. It's going to come down to a fight between you and me. What kind of a fight? Power. Who is going finally to rule our country? <gasps> I never thought much about it one way or the other. You want the truth, John. I think you're more qualified. You do a better job of it. Maybe you think that, but your friends, your Federalist friends, won't let you think that way forever. They'll let you on for their own purposes. Don't you have the same kind of friends that I do, John? Yes, and all with axes to grind. And I shall be the victim of my friends, too. And it has to be this way, Tom. Why? You and I. We are on opposite sides of every question. One of us has to prevail. Maybe not. Maybe the people will split the differences between us. Uh, maybe they will. But still, we have to fight it out. We can fight as friends, John. No. You have already betrayed me and the country. Uh, be careful what you're saying, John. Oh, stop talking like a southern aristocrat. What do you propose to do? Challenge me? How dare you accuse me of betrayal? You and I were sitting in this room night before last. We spoke to the progress of the Prussian negotiations. Yes. I had confidential information that things were going badly. You and I were the only ones in the city of Paris who knew it all. So I thought. This morning, the Count de Berlin tried to use that fact to strengthen France's bargaining position. Well, what does that have to do with me? Well, if you didn't tell him, who did? Ben Franklin was also in the room. When I read the dispatches from Prussia, Ben Franklin had fallen asleep. Oh, what makes you think I told Verzen? Your friendship for France is notorious. I am grateful to France by helping us overthrow the British yoke. Would you have us exchange the British yoke for one made in Paris? I am here to represent the interests of my country. You were the only one who could have told Verzen. But I didn't do it. On my word of honor. What am I saying? Why am I trying to insist on something that should be beyond question? My integrity. How dare Tom, we worked on the Declaration of Independence together. How could you even accuse me? Tom, I'm sorry. I... I don't know what to think. Some... Someone is betraying our secrets. Does anyone else know? No one. Are you sure? Can you swear that not one other single solitary soul? Uh, yes, I can swear. Well, will what? Abigail, Mouse. Abigail? Well, I have no secrets from Abigail. But these are matters of government secrets. I know, but Abby is my counselor. Abby is. Only a woman. Only a woman. Yes, but I share everything with her. Is it possible? No, I, I can't say it. Abby could never. Can you forgive me, Tom? Well, I'd have to. I'm sure I'll be forced to think, to say certain things in the future for which 
You'll have to forgive me. But how could Vergen have found out? I don't know. Unless the wall's heavy. Now, that's impossible, John. Who can say, John? After all, these are French walls. John. Oh, did, did I wake you, my dear? You know I always wait up for you. How was your day? Well, Tom Jefferson and I will somehow manage to live as friendly rivals. The British are impossible. French are unreasonable. They are unmovable. The Prussians are inscrutable. How was your day? Well, we got through it somehow. Has our sorceress managed to exercise the ghost? So far, the staff seems quiet. Could have told her then. Perhaps the courier. No, no. I would stake my life on his loyalty. Well, it's a problem we should sleep on. After all, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. I agree. I thought our witch took care of all of that. You won't get any servants to come into this room. I'll go myself. Help me. Help me. No, no. Now, just try to be quiet, madam. It's true. It's true. What? What? What is true? There is... I never believed, but... But there is... Such a thing. The ghost. I saw him. I saw you. You saw him. The, the ghost. The ghost. Madam. Madam Pinipas, speak to me. Speak. Say something. Madam. Well, 
scene. I, I saw her lying on the floor, but I assumed she'd been struck down, but... I, I know there isn't a single mark of violence. Then how did she die? Someone. Something must... Now, we heard her scream. We both heard her. And, and what was she muttering when we came in here? The ghost. The ghost. Yes, and something else. There is such a thing as a ghost. That's what she said. You see, she never really believed in it herself. To her, it was just a way of making money. But then at the very end, she saw a ghost and it killed her. She... How? Well, she may have died of fright. Look, look at the absolutely terrified expression on her face. Have you ever seen such horror on a human countenance? I see it. But I don't believe it killed her. Why not? Because she didn't really believe in ghosts. She wasn't an ignorant, superstitious person. Neither are you, neither am I, but we've been having our doubts lately. What is this? Clutched in her hand. Piece of cloth. Must be a ghostly vestment, part of the shroud worn by the unfortunate late Duke de Ormond. No, 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 not this. Look, it's, it's, it's muslin cloth. Well, ghosts do wear shrouds of muslin, don't they? John, this cloth is fresh. No. That proves that she was attacked, and she tried to fight. We had better call the authorities. <laughs> And uh, for what purpose had you employed this woman? We, uh, well, uh, we were having trouble with a ghost, Monsieur Commissioner. Ah, so, uh, make a note of that, Sergeant. The house is haunted, then? It would appear to be. If the ghost killed her... <laughs> if the ghost killed her... Oh, surely, Monsieur, you cannot believe in ghosts. Adams, I have an open mind on the subject. But such a thing, it's, it's not. It's not what? Possible? Yet, you and Madame say you heard the thing yourself. Well, we may have heard <laughs> the wind whistling through the chimney. Surely, Monsieur Commissioner, you were uh, a man like yourself. You cannot believe it. Ghost, Monsieur, as a police officer, I must adhere to the facts. And these are the only facts we have. Well, then, at what? present, what do you propose to do? Nothing. A, a woman has been murdered. Uh, the physician who examined her could find no mark or sign of violence. But something must be done. I ask you, monsieur, what? If the deed was committed by a ghost, how do we proceed against him? But, monsieur... There is a more convenient explanation. Convenient? Well, perhaps uh, satisfactory. The woman was over 80. It is entirely possible she died of old age. Yes, that would satisfy everyone. Uh, Sergeant, write that she died of old age. The most respectable killer of all.
outdoors in this dreadful weather. Because, my dear, we must have a talk. A confidential talk. There is a ghost. Oh, no, 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 Abigail, not you. And I can prove it. Please explain it before we catch our death. John, I want you to make up the most far-fetched story you can think of. Why? About politics. And tell it to me in the library. I don't understand. The more impossible, the better. But why? John, I'm afraid if I tell you, you won't do it. But you'll have to tell me eventually. I won't have to tell you. Then how will I ever know? Oh, you'll find out. Now, please. Let's go back to the library, and you must tell me the story with a straight face in the utmost confidence. It must be a very serious matter. You must play your part to perfection. My dear, I'm, I, I'm not... I'm not... No, but you're something even better. You are a lawyer. Abigail, this is incredible. Really? Yes, this message I have just received from St. Petersburg. Really, my dear? Yes, from Count Ramuntiev, a confidential minister to the court. But what have we to do with the Russians? Well, the Count believes our two countries have a great deal in common. I can't imagine what. Well, well, the Russians are established on the western end of our continent. We may one day become very close neighbors. We share a... A common border. I hadn't thought of that. France, as you know, holds extensive territories to the south, and they fear she will try to expand. Oh? Yes, and, 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 and the Russians would rather have us for a neighbor than the French. Well, that makes considerable common sense. And so they are willing to lend us money to aid in our expansion, provided... Provided? Uh, 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 provided we break off all relations with the French. Oh, I see. A Russian alliance. Ah, what an interesting possibility. Ah, oh, your early dinner isn't for an hour yet. You needn't expect me to dine in this house. Tom, now, now what is it? You accused me of selling out to France. And all the time you were scheming to betray us to Russia. Me? You needn't look so innocent. I've been told that you're in correspondence with the court at St. Petersburg. For what purpose? How can you ally us to the most... the most tyrannical ruler in Europe? Who, who told you I was in correspondence with the Russians? Uh, a confidential source, the Count of Vilzen. How did you know? I shall explain it at dinner. Say this ghost or whatever overhears our conversation and reports it to De Verge. Hmm. That is our ghost. That sound? Where is it coming from? The library. And now, well, there he goes now. Where? Obviously, he's leaving the house. Well, let us settle this thing, John. No, let me go first. Oh, no. Oh, no danger. I shall have two stout gentlemen to protect me. Now, let me open the door. Hand me the candelabra. 
Now. Look. Where? Just to the right of the fireplace, you see? On the floor. Foot, footprints. Yes. Those are footprints. Outlined in white powder. Yes. A lady's face powder. <laughs> Cornstarch powder. I sprinkled some on the floor. Someone seems to walk the wall. That wall, it must have a false entrance, a, a hidden panel. We should be in no trouble finding it. Now, now that we know what to look for, uh, there must be a hidden release. Here, tap against every part of the wall. That's it. Keep tapping all over. Was opening. Listen, the ghost noise. Can be a ghost inside? Or can there? It's a long, long passage. I feel a breeze. That's what it is, John. The breeze. The breeze whistling through the passageway when the panel is open. That's what makes the noise. Are you sure, Tom? The Polish panel's closed. no longer rushing along in the passage. Then the noise is created when when the ghost or whoever enters and leaves. And that's why Madame Pinipesa was frightened to death. She encountered him. It is the Duc d'Omar wandering about his ancestral home. Or is it a spy who reports all our conversations to the Duc de Gapsen? Tom, shall you help me find out? Gladly. But how? The ghost is on his way, obviously, to report to the Count that you and I have had a serious difference of opinion. Let us retire to the dining room and finish our dinner. Give him an opportunity to return tomorrow for his regular evening spy work. It is no secret. What is no secret, Count Verzen? That your country's existence is threatened by factional strife. Factional strife may be a sign of vigorous national health. Oh, my dear Adams. Now, suppose France supports your side. My side. Suppose we give you money, even troops, in the event of civil war. Assuming all you say is true, why support me? We would support a solid, uh, conservative person uh, such as yourself. Do I make myself clear? I must say, sir, you seem to have a most incisive grasp of the situation. We have excellent sources of information. So I see. A word to the wise. Consider it. Indeed, sir. I shall. I fear, Mr. Jefferson, that further discussion between us is pointless. I shall write to the Congress. They must choose between you and me. Oh, I shall write in the same manner. I have no intention of listening to further lies and slander on your part. And I have no intention of remaining a moment longer under this roof. Allow me to show you the door, sir. Well, 
if our ghost was there, we gave him an earful. <laughs> if he was there. If you gentlemen stayed your call. You shouldn't be here. Why not? Please, it might be dangerous. But it was all my idea. You know, Abigail, sometimes it's difficult for me to believe you're a woman. <laughs> I accept that as the sincerest compliment you are capable of, Tom. <laughs> it was so intended. <laughs> yes. Our ghost bestirs himself. of Mr. Adams and his friends anymore. I uh, understand. Monsieur, Madame, good night. Good night. Well, that's the end of our ghost. I think. That noise. Oh. Paddle. You'll be open. Let's close it. It's the wind. Rolling through the passageway. John, look. The panel. It's closed. It's not the wind. It's... Yeah, no, Abigail, oh. I am sure there must be a reasonable explanation. I'm sure there was. But John and Abigail Adams ever found it. Within a few months, they received orders from the Congress, which transferred them to England, 
where John Adams became the first American ambassador to the court of St. James. And if you think he had problems in Paris, when he arrived in London, he really... Oh, but uh, that's another story. I'll be back with a sidelight on this one in just a moment. There's something almost, well, uh, I can't say supernatural about Adams and Jefferson. Natural enemies. They were warm friends. They outlived all the other heroes of the revolution. They became the grand old men of the new country of the United States of America. And America became a fusion of their opposing ideas. And if you really want something to think about, they both died on the exact same day, the 4th of July of 1826, on the 50th anniversary of the Republic. Our cast included Michael Wager, Marion Seldes, Your Mystery Theater presents... Come in. Welcome. I'm E.G. Marshall. Till death do us part is perhaps the best-known phrase of the marriage service. Today's brides and grooms say them and all the time believe them, despite so many marriages ending in the divorce court. There are, however, many marriages that are indeed lasting unions, and some very few that should have the word till death do us part changed to a promise to love to the grave and beyond, to the end of time. Emily... Why can't I see you? John, darling, I am dead, and you live. You've crossed the deep and dark boundary to be here to talk to me, and it is best for you to go back now and forget me. Forget you, Emily? You know I can never do that. Forget that you ever talk to me, John. Please, for your sake, if not for mine. Learn to leave the dead alone. Our mystery drama, Home is Where the Ghost Is, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Murray Burnett and stars Gordon Gould. It is sponsored in part by Luden's Medicated Cough Drops and Buick Motor Division. I'll be back shortly with Act One. Beachwood aging for 100% natural carbonation. That's how the Budweiser people age their beer. Nobody else does it that special way. But then nobody else is brewing the king of beers. I could tell you a lot of other things about Budweiser and why it's the largest selling beer in the world. 
but it all comes back to the Budweiser taste, and that speaks for itself, loud and clear. Hear it talking? Each of us has a very special place, a favorite retreat. It may be a particular restaurant, or a very special vacation spot, or in our younger days, perhaps a cave or a treehouse. Ghosts are no exceptions to this rule, and for centuries they have favored castles, old creaky houses, and desolate wind-swept moors. For the most part, the spirit world has avoided college towns, perhaps because they were wary of the boisterous spirits displayed by their student bodies. So it came as a shocking surprise when Neil Fox, the proctor of Calhoun University, was called upon to deal with a ghost. I don't believe in ghosts. What happened at Calhoun during the International Conference of Scientific Observers happened. I admit that, but I wasn't dealing with ghosts. I was dealing with Professor Ramsey Joplin, a man whose scientific credentials were, and are, impeccable. And I will leave it to you to decide about the ghosts. It started when an excited and distraught Ramsey phoned me late one afternoon. He sounded so upset that I dropped everything to get over to his house. Oh, Neil, thanks for rushing over. Okay. I hope I didn't inconvenience you too much. No, no, not at all. I just left two FBI men and another agent from some super secret arm of the government sitting in my office, but I'd leave a lot more people than that when I heard the note of panic in your voice. Neil, I had an experience. What? Well, before I tell you about it, I want your word that what I have to say goes no farther than between us. You have my word. All right. First, I want you to open the back door to this house and tell me what you see. Okay. Uh, you coming with me? No, I'll stay here. Well, what am I supposed to see? Just open the door. Well? Well, just what I expected. Your backyard, your garden, and off in the distance, the, uh, Howroyd's house. That's it? Nothing else at all? Yeah. That's it. What did you expect? I don't know. I'm not sure. All I know is that when I opened that same door some time ago, I didn't see the backyard or the garden or the Holroyd's house. I saw Emily. Oh. Well, I suppose that's only natural. Only natural. Don't humor me, Neil. You know Emily's been dead three weeks, and I saw her. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You mean you think you saw her? And talk to her. Well, we better go into the den, have a drink, and just uh, talk this thing out, okay? Okay, fair enough. Now, please listen to me, and don't interrupt. Try to put yourself in my place. I walked to the door and opened it, and I saw no backyard, but tree-shaded walks, and I heard music, strange, unearthly music. Go home, John. Oh, Emily? Emily? Is that you? You shouldn't be here, my love. You mustn't be here in this place. 
Where am I, Em? What is this place? No place for the living. Return to life. Why can't I see you? Josh, you must stop thinking about me. You must. Why don't you ask me to stop breathing? Oh, my love. I'm not asking you to forget me. I wouldn't ever want you to do that. You must stop thinking of me as if I were alive. But you are alive to me, Em. You always will be. I can't be, Josh. Please, you must go for your own sake. Goodbye, Josh. I love you, darling. Goodbye. And that was it for you. That was the end. You mean uh, you came back into the house? No. Before I came back, the place where I'd seen and talked to Emily vanished. And I was in my own backyard, so to speak. Then I came in and phoned you. And now I'm not at all sure I did the right thing. Oh? Why the second thoughts about calling me? Uh, because you're a realist. A hard-headed ex-police officer who knows there are not such things as ghosts. And who's probably thinking right now, poor old Doc. He's on his way to the funny farm, beginning to see things. Even though you won't come right out and say it. Oh, Ramsey, you're so wrong. Would you be surprised if I told you that I've been expecting something like this? Expecting me to see and talk with Emily? No, no, I won't be that specific. But I know how close you and Emily were, and I know how badly her death hit you. But you haven't shown it. You've been holding your grief in too tightly, Josh. Hugging it to yourself. And it was inevitable that there'd be some reaction. And this... Well, I think this is all it was. You make everything sound plausible. So how would you describe my experience? A temporary hallucination caused by dwelling too long and too closely upon Emily's loss. I couldn't overcome a deep feeling of anxiety about my old friend and the role he was slated to play in the upcoming International Conference of Scientific Observers. I was also concerned about my own course. How was I going to reconcile telling the truth to my house guest, Nick James, and at the same time keep my vow of secrecy to Joplin? I still didn't have the answer by the time I reached home and found Nick waiting for me. As usual, he wasted no time. Okay, what's the scoop of Josh? Well, look, now, it's not what you were worried about. He's upset about his wife. His wife's dead, Fox. What's bothering him? Just that. He wishes she were alive. Well, how badly does he wish it? It's hard to say. Well, we'd better be able to say the whole Alexaver goat operation hangs on Jocelyn. If he's not stable, Vergota isn't going to think of defecting. So far, your outfit is the only one who's even heard about Vergota's desire to defect. Our information is correct. Look, Vergota and Joss have been corresponding for years. Why wouldn't Vergota have dropped him a hint? You're being naive. With a man as important as Alexei Vergota, the slightest trace of anything that's whispered of disaffection, and he wouldn't have been allowed to come to this conference. Yeah, but he must have told someone he was set up because you people heard about it. Vergota wants out, and we want to help him. We believe that Vergota will use Ramsey Jocelyn as a contact when he gets here. And as of this minute, I'm worried about Ramsey Jocelyn flipping his lid. Oh, come on, Nick. I, I think you're overreacting. Oh, you'll see some real overreaction if this operation gets fouled up. With all the men you've got out here, I don't understand why you say the whole operation hangs on Jocelyn. Oh, our information says Vergoda is going to contact Jocelyn because he trusts him. 
Now, will you guarantee me that he is going to stay normal until this conference is over? Guarantee? No one can guarantee that anyone will even be alive tomorrow. But what I will do is go back and check this whole thing out with Josh. On the way to see Ramsey Jocelyn for the second time that day, I felt vastly better. Because now I could level with Josh. Shake him out of this preoccupation with the loss of Emily by presenting him with his important role in the proposed defection of Alexei Vargoda. I didn't find out until Josh told me later that at the very time I was on my way to see him, Josh was having another experience. Emily? Emily? I came back. You shouldn't have, Josh. You shouldn't have. Why not? What's the harm in my talking with you? I miss you so. I know how difficult it is for you, Josh. And it saddens me. Josh, as long as you're here. Yes? Do you remember Alexei? Of course. He's coming here to Calhoun, along with a number of other scientific types. And we're going to have a big powwow. I know. You know? Em, tell me, what's it like where you are? I'd like to answer all of your questions. But there are rules, and it's not allowed. Why are we talking about Alexei? Because he will be important to you. Alexei? Yes. You never really knew Alexei, you know. I met Alexei when you did. We both saw him frequently. We've been friends for years. We still correspond. I know, Josh. Then what are you trying to tell me? Dear Josh, do you remember after our second date? Do you remember what I told you? <laughs> of course. You told me that it was part of my charm that I always believed everything anyone told me. And you also said it wasn't very bright of me. That's right, John. And you haven't changed. Think about it. This has something to do with Alexei, right? I'd rather say it has something to do with you. And I really talking to you, Em? Or is this just a trick of my imagination? Is it my longing for you that makes me believe we're having a conversation? Or am I really honestly talking to you? You're worrying about the wrong thing, John. I told you to worry about Alexa. But you haven't told me why. You must stop asking questions because answers are forbidden. By whom? Go back to your house, to your world, and take care when you meet Alexa. I think I've made a discovery. If it only depends on my will to have these talks with you, then I intend to have them. No. No, you mustn't. I told you, you mustn't. Trust me, John. And forget me. Then you must give me a reason. Very few mortals can come as far as you have. And having reached this point, you should be able to understand when I tell you that you are permitted only a certain number of visits. Once you pass that number, you can never return to your world. How many visits am I permitted? Emily? Emily, did you hear me? How many? It's unfair. Don't you see that now I'm worse off than before? Emily? Emily, come back! centuries, gamblers have known that the ultimate gamble was life or death. 
Now, if Ramsey Joslin believes that he has really been in touch with the spirit of his dead wife, Emily, then he must, if he wishes to talk with her again, take that ultimate gamble. On the other hand, there are those who will say that he dreamed the whole thing. Take your choice, and I will return shortly with Act Two. Isn't it nice to know your
I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Ramsey. It must be painful for you. Not at all. I have to learn to be able to talk about it. Maybe if I do, it will act as an anesthetic. Dull the pain. Ah, yeah, yeah. And now I come with my small problem. Perhaps you, you would be... let me help. It will give me something to think about. And also, I want to help. If you made this decision, something spectacular must have occurred to make you change your mind. I remember how fiercely we used to argue about the course of his... Oh, yes, yes. There will be time to explain all that. But now, Ramsey, you must help me. I was told to wait for your approach. And? We'll meet here two nights from now. And I will have a definite schedule for you to follow to safety. Well, we seem to be off to a fairly good start. Yeah, let's hope we're just as happy at the finish. Why? What do you think might derail us? Well, Nick, I don't know that I'd go as far as saying we're going to be derailed, but there are certain problems. And I don't think I can tell you specifically what they are without betraying a confidence. If you know of something that could interfere with us helping Alexei to defect, you owe it to your country to let me know about it. Okay, Nick, no lectures, please. I was the one who clued you in, I didn't have to. It's just that... Ramsey is convinced he's been having conversations with Emily. Mm, so he's finally flipped. No, wait a minute. I don't think he's flipped. Well, then what do you think? You really believe he's talking to a woman who's been dead for a couple of months? Of course not. Mick, haven't you ever had dreams? Are you trying to tell me that Jocelyn dreams he's been talking to his wife? Everybody dreams. Oh. How about daydreams? What? kind of daydream. Well, let's say that you open the back door of your house, suddenly you're not in your own backyard, but in uh, well, sort of an Elysian field, and you can hear and talk with your wife. I guess we'll have to get cracking and pray that we can get Alexei Bergola out before Jocelyn really cracks up. How sure are you that he's cracking up? Nick, have you ever thought that he might just be telling the truth? Good news for you. I've spoken to my people, and everything's been arranged. You will never know how grateful I am to you. I promise you that someday I will repay. Oh, forget it, Alexei. You know I'm happy to do it. Then, where, and how? It will be at the Roundabout Inn luncheon, when we make our visit to Eden Farm. Aha. That is the day after tomorrow, is it not? It is. And how? I, I hope one thing, that it is not complicated. Oh, it's the soul of simplicity. No one knows the exact minute that we'll be sitting down to lunch, because the tour at the farm will take some time. What is this farm? Oh, Eden Farms produces only natural products grown organically. It's really a fascinating and instructive project. I see, but you will forgive me if I am more interested in the, uh, the, uh, arrangement. Of course. As I said, it doesn't matter what time we sit down to lunch. Uh -huh. You will excuse yourself after the first course has been served and ask for the men's room. You are allowed to go there, unaccompanied, I hope. Hey, well, uh, usually, but there should be a contingency plan, you know. There is. I'll explain in a minute. Because I've been to the farm so many times, I shan't be along on the trip. But I will go to the inn early. The inn's facilities are somewhat rustic. I shall be in the men's room, waiting for you. You will enter and escape through the window. It is large enough for a man to go through easily. Ah, and once I am out, the gravel driveway runs right under the window. There'll be a car, and you'll be safe. And three, provided that you have a contingency in case I am accompanied 
when I leave the table. If that happens, whoever it is will be stopped momentarily by the Mater D, who will have some inconsequential question to ask. <sighs> well, it would seem that everything has been well planned. You don't sound very happy about it. Oh, I am, I am. But uh, you, of all people, just should understand that to me, I am giving up a country, a way of life, and perhaps more importantly, a philosophy by which I have lived ever since I can remember. If you're having second thoughts, the people who have been briefing me will be very upset. No, no, no second thoughts. But I am sure you will understand that it's only natural for me to be apprehensive. Ramsey, I face an unknown future. And at this time of my life, that is something to think about. Oh, Josh, you're, you're quiet today. I'm not used to this cloak and dagger stuff. Oh, neither am I. But at this point, there's nothing for you to worry about. You know what you have to do. Are you sure everything's been arranged? Positive. I'll be waiting. Your absence from the tour at Eden Farm has been accounted for. And all that remains is for you to wait for Alexei. But, uh, by the way, how did he take the plan? Oh, I hate all this. I'm a scientist, not an expert in the ins and outs of detectors. Okay, okay, Josh, calm down. There's nothing to your part in this now. All you have to do is wait until Pagoda shows, and then after he's through the window, just uh, walk out. Well, then why not let somebody else do it? Now, you know that's a silly question. Can you imagine Pagoda's reaction if he walked into that room and didn't see you? Mm, you have a point. But then he wouldn't go through with it. And maybe he'd be happier. Oh. Is that the feeling you got when you explained the plan to him? The feeling that he wasn't 100% sold on the idea? I can't say that exactly, but... Well, I imagine he'd be more enthusiastic than he was. But what do I know? Well, you're perceptive. Your feelings are important. How about Emily's feelings? Emily? Well, what's she got to do with it? She warned me against Alexei. Oh. You've, uh, seen her again? No, I've never seen her. I told you, we talked. Out in your backyard? Yes. It happened again after I spoke with you. Oh. John, when she warned you, was she... Specific? Did she know that Alexei was thinking of defecting? From the questions you're asking, it appears that you're beginning to believe in Emily yourself. No, not a bit. But I believe in you. What does that mean? Chas, I know you. I believe that your subconscious has picked up some signals from Alexei. You're not sure about them or yourself, so you've transferred those doubts to have them voiced by Emily or, or your idea of Emily. In other words, you think I'm talking to myself. Don't you think your foot's a little heavy on the gas? Talking to ourselves is one thing. And what I'm experiencing with Emily, quite another. And you damn well know it. Now, Josh, you're under a strain, and you're definitely driving too fast. I just wish I could take you with me when I open that back door into the garden. Then maybe you'd believe me. Okay, okay, we'll try it sometime. Now, Josh, slow down. I'll drive as fast as I want. Come on, now, you're being childish. Because you're treating me like a child. Humoring me. And really not believing for a moment. Or even opening your mind to watch. Josh, watch it. The, the, the truck at the crossroads. Hang on. I'm going to try to beat him to the curb. No, Josh. Yes, hello. Neil, I called your house first, but they told me you were still in the hospital. I thought you were supposed to get out today. Oh, I was, and I am. Just waiting for one last x-ray. What time do you think you'll be out? Oh, 
sometime this afternoon. Anything up? Have you uh, heard from our friend? Only the usual courtesy call, hoping I wasn't seriously hurt in the crash. He wasn't alone when he called. Mm, that was to be expected. I was hoping you were out, because I wanted to remind you about our promise. What promise? The last thing we were talking about before the accident. Remember? I asked you to accompany me when I walked in my garden. Oh, yes, yes. Have you walked since the accident? No, but I'm most anxious for us both to go. Okay, Ramsey, right. I'll come directly to your house from here, even before I go home. You're not scared, are you? No, of course not, but uh, maybe there has to be some kind of preparation. Like what? Well, like me thinking about Emily... Concentrating on her and you doing the same? I don't see why. I never thought about it before. I mean, made an effort. I just opened the door and there she was. All right. Go ahead. Open it. I just thought of something. What? Suppose, just suppose that when I open this door, you see the backyard as it was, always, and I see what I've seen before. Then we at least will have some kind of an answer. Won't we? I suppose so. Well, here goes. Well? Nothing. It's just my backyard. That's right, Sean. That's all it is. Why don't we take a walk? Okay. I've got time for just about a five-minute stroll, Josh, and... Then I think it'll be back to the drawing board because we still have a commitment to Vergota. We walked for the full five minutes through the entire garden, but nothing changed, and Jocelyn never claimed that he had heard Emily's voice. Joss and I went back into the house, and I returned home after telling Joss that Mick James was going to come up with another plan for Vergota's defection. I didn't know till Joss told me the next day he'd gone back to the garden alone. Emily. Emily. Maybe I made a mistake bringing Neil. Maybe it isn't allowed or something. But I didn't do it for any other reason except to prove to Neil that I'm not out of my mind. Emily. Where are you? Are you going to talk to me? I'm not going back until I've spoken with you. My dear love. I don't believe you. Someone I met here on this side said you were an impossible man. Oh, you didn't let them get away with that, did you, Em? No, of course not. I said you weren't impossible. Merely improbable. But that isn't what you wanted to hear, is it? You know it isn't. I knew about the accident. And you tried to warn me when you told me to look out for Alexei. Not exactly. But you did warn me about Alexei, didn't you? Yes. And you must have known what was going to happen. Oh, you must stop this job. You must. It's terribly dangerous for you. More dangerous than Alexei? Oh, yes. Much, much more. I must go. I swear by your love for me and mine for you, if you visit me once more, you can never go back. 
The question remaining to be answered is, will a man as strong-minded as Ramsey Joslin heed the warning? I'll be back with that answer in Act 3 in just a few moments. You can have great taste, lots of great taste and taste with food and Medicated cough drops that don't taste medicated. They taste great. Use only as directed. Iron Curtain countries have long been interested in esoteric sciences. ESP and telekinesis have led in experimentation that has been well publicized. But one may well wonder whether they haven't also looked into the occult. If this were true, as well it might be, then a dissenting scientist who wished to defect wouldn't be too upset to find his contact in the United States engaged in conversation with his dead wife. This opinion, however, isn't shared by the American government agent masterminding the arrangements for the defector. Follow up. That's what you can expect every time you deal with amateurs. Oh, look, Nick, I don't see how you can blame an automobile accident on the fact that Ramsey Jocelyn is an amateur in espionage. He was driving, wasn't he, Fox? And according to you, he was upset about his wife, and he wasn't paying attention to what he should have been thinking about. One thing only, to get to the inn and get Bragota out of there. But the conference ends Friday at 3 p.m. All of the scientists and visitors will be off the campus. We just have to come up with something that's workable between now and 3 p.m. Friday. Well, that gives us just two days. Two days to get a plan. Give it to Jocelyn. Have him contact for Gota and then carry it off. All right, excuse me for asking what's undoubtedly a stupid question, but what would be wrong with having Vergota simply walk up to your office and ask to be taken to a U.S. consul for asylum? Nothing. All you have to do is tell me how he can get up here unescorted. And what reason could Vergoda give to come to your office? He'd have to invent something that his people would buy. Okay. All right, what does that leave us with? What we had from the beginning. His friendship with Ramsey Joplin. At the same time that Nick James was outlining the new plan to me, a meeting was taking place at the dormitory that had been assigned to the visitors. I didn't know it at the time. But it was all too clear before the end of this affair. As you well know, Comrade Dagoda, our superiors don't believe in acts of God. Nor automobile accidents either, eh, Colonel? By whatever names we call it, it is failure. And we both know how they regard failure. There need be no failure here with Jocelyn. We are desperately short of time. Who says that Jocelyn is so important that we must have him? What? Didn't the original suggestion for the kidnapping of Jocelyn come from you? Whether or not Jocelyn is important to us has no bearing on their attitude about me. You agree that I am still a number one priority on their books? Yes, I agree. So they must renew their efforts to set up another rendezvous. And time also pressures them. I am going to explain to my old friend Jocelyn that I have decided it isn't in the cards for me to be able to defect 
took that, Sally. Hmm, very clever. Then you expect him to argue with you and try to change your mind, huh? Most certainly. And during that urgent arguing, we will again become very close. And we will talk much more openly about everything, including his experiments. I, uh, cannot see any major objections to this proposal. Uh, what is our agenda for today? Well, let me see. Uh, two meetings. The afternoon conference on weather control data is at Goodwin Hall. As I remember, there is a cafeteria at Goodwin. Why don't we launch there and allow ourselves to be, uh, shall we say, discovered? I think you should know, Alexei. You never fooled me for a moment. What? Who is that? Emily, the girl you hoped to marry. You always had an underlying streak of treachery, Alexei, and it made you completely unattractive. Is this some trick? Something? No trick, Alexei. But please, remember, you may fool John. But you will never fool me. Ah, this, this, oh, this is ridiculous. Gentlemen, may I join you? Of course, George, of course. I am delighted to see you so rapidly recovered from your accident. Thank you, Alexei. I, too, had my pleasure at your recovery. Thank you also, Colonel. You're attending this afternoon's conference, then, Alexei. Oh, I wouldn't miss it. Well, there you are, Colonel Polovich. I'm very glad I found you. Yes, Mr. Fox? My office received a threat just about an hour ago. Ordinarily, I would have had the campus police handle it, but this one was partially written in Russian, and so of I... Of course, thought... you were right. I would like to see it. Uh, it will keep till after you finish your lunch, Colonel. No, 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 no. I want to look at this immediately. Comrade Vergoda, we will meet later at the conference in the usual seat. Of course. There aren't any words to apologize for what I did to you, Alexei. So I won't say any more. Ah, Josh, you mustn't feel that way. An accident. It was not your fault. It could have happened to anyone. But it didn't. Do you think I could live with the thought that except for me, you would have been free? Well, it may not have worked. A new plan has been formulated. Ah, Oh, that is very kind of you, but I do not think that there is enough time. Oh, there's plenty of time. This may be even a better plan than the first. I'm giving you a farewell dinner tomorrow night at my house. Of course, I know that I also have to invite Colonel Polovich. But that is all. Also present will be Neil Fox, the proctor, and a few others, all agents. After dinner is over, you will announce that you are staying. What can the colonel do? Well, I, uh, I do not know. Oh, come on, Alexei. You know as well as I, there's nothing you can do. You are attempting me. But if your house is watched too closely, Ramsey, it will only serve to alert Pulovich. Not with the threat that he's going to read in Neil's office. That will be the ostensible reason for having agents around the house. Perhaps I was remiss in not notifying you that I had had a change of mind, but... I had no way of knowing that you would be preparing another plan. Look, Alexei, you have every reason to believe that somehow I may foul this up again and you would be the one to suffer. But I ask only one thing of you. Be prepared to make a decision when you come to my house for that farewell dinner. Uh -huh. 
So now, Solomon, we go back to the original design. We take Ramsey Jocelyn back with us. But now we have to take him from under the noses of the men who think you are going to defect to them. Ah, they have made a large mistake. Because of the false threat they showed you earlier, you have every right to ask to participate in the security arrangements for the dinner. Hmm. It should be a relatively simple matter to replace their men with ours. Perhaps. But still, I will have to be at the dinner and will have to use... Uh, some uh, force to get Jocelyn away. Ah, yes. A dart gun to incapacitate the agent Nick James. I do not think that the proctor will give us any trouble. And uh, Jocelyn? Well, if necessary, we can drug him as previously planned. Uh, we will go to the dinner and adopt your plan. <laughs> An excellent meal, Mr. Jocelyn. Excellent. Unhappy to hear you say that, Colonel. You see, Alexei, everything went off as planned at your farewell dinner. Not quite, old friend. Not quite. What? No one will move, please. Uh, now, wait a minute, Colonel. Before you do anything foolish, you should know that this house is surrounded. Surrounded and under surveillance by loyal members of my country. And that your friend there, Nick James, is a government agent... Whom I deal with for. Oh, there's no need for alarm. Please. Mr. James is not dead. Merely tranquilized. Oh. The same will happen to anyone else who tries to interfere. I swear to you, Alexei. I don't know. I, oh. Ramsey, it was all my doing. Oh, I don't understand. I never intended to defect. I've always been happy with my life. But, old friend, I do believe that you have stumbled across a discovery that we can put to good use in my country. If you're talking about the lesson I am, you can forget it, Alexei. I wouldn't think of... Either of... you come with the colonel and me willingly, or we will tranquilize you. Emily, she warned me against you. This is what she meant. Come, Alexei. We waste time, and we do not have enough to waste. Emily... She warned you against me? Impossible. You lie. She was not sure which of us to choose until the very last moment. Oh, I don't mean years ago. I mean now. Just before your visit. But, but she couldn't have. She is dead. Nevertheless, she did. And I can prove it. Do you dare to have it proved to you? Enough. You will come to this side of the table. Ramsey. How can you prove it? Easily. Just step out into the garden with me, and Emily will prove it. The garden? By that we have... Stop one moment, Colonel. The garden. One minute in the garden, and you have your proof. All right. Move quickly. We will be back directly, Colonel. There is nothing to lose since we have the house safely surrounded. I give you one minute, Alexei. No more. The door closed behind them. We waited. One minute passed, then two. And then the colonel ordered us all into the garden. But they had disappeared. Both Ramsey Jocelyn and Alexei Vagoda. Neither was ever seen again. Thank <laughs> you.
The story you've just heard cannot, of course, be verified. Although we do know there was such a conference. And we also know that one member attending the conference was taken ill and never returned to his homeland. As for Professor Ramsey Joslin, the papers say he died in an automobile accident. All we know is that he is dead. I'll be back shortly.